All right, everybody. Well, welcome. This is the culmination of the first 18 episodes of the Lore Seekers podcast. All of our lore lessons in one place. This was a huge download, and so we can't thank you enough for listening, for supporting us these past 18 episodes. And we really wanted to do something special just for you. We are going to have it kind of written out a little bit for you so that you can fast forward to your favorite lore lessons or maybe a lore lesson that you missed or you want to refresh on. I'm going to apologize in advance. You're going to be listening to me talk for a long time. (laughs) You actually really don't hear me that much. (laughs) That's actually brilliant. But I myself will probably not be able to listen to this because (laughs) my own voice drives me absolutely crazy. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, make sure you check the show notes wherever you're listening from. Or not show notes, I'm sorry, the description of the episode. We will have everything time-stamped right there for you. So you'll be able to go straight to the lore lesson that you want to hear. Thank you guys so much for your continued support, for everything you continue to do for us. The Lore Seeker community, you guys are awesome. Everyone supporting us on social media. Thank you everyone at Zoss. Enjoy the lore lessons. Keep glued to your podcasting feed because we are going to have some really cool stuff coming up soon. We guarantee you're going to like it. That's right. July 13th, baby. Look out. Enjoy it. Dilly dilly. Enter my mind, Vested, and walk with me through the shadows of past events. Eh, I think it's time for the lore lesson. I think it's time for some lore. Let's do this thing, bro. All right, so... We're going to talk about some lore here, and I'm just going to preface it with this, and I know I already talked about it a little bit before um, at the beginning of the show, but we are going to cover the basics of Elder Scrolls lore, and the reason being is because we are going to be learning this stuff right alongside of you. So if you're a lore hound and you know this stuff, you can either choose. There's two choices here. You can fact check us and then not send me nasty emails, (laughs) or... You can turn the show off for a little while because <laughs> we're literally learning learning the lore with everybody else. Yeah. So I think yeah, I'm like a decent beginning lore guy. I've played through almost all the games except for like the super old ones. I have not played those admittedly, but um, most of the most recent Elder Scrolls games I have played through. So I don't think I'm like completely new to it, but still, we're going to go over this stuff as if we're very new to it. Uh, because we want we want to kind of learn about it a little bit. And Jibs is going to ask me some questions, and maybe you guys have some questions you can throw them at us uh, via email or via, via our uh, voicemail, which we will talk to you about here shortly. Um, so let's do it. We're going to get right into it. Yep. Today, we're actually the very first lore lesson. There is nothing really that we should be talking about before we talk about how the actual world was formed. So right. keep in mind that much of the lore that we actually end up presenting to you is found in events outside of the games. Right. So, and that really is most of the lore is most of the deep, deep lore is stuff that's found from outside of the game. So even though the content in the games is from Tamriel, a good chunk of the lore that we talk about t- takes place beyond. So other continents or realms that have not appeared in any games yet. So, Right. And worst case scenario, you know, what you hear here will just kind of amplify and help you enjoy your experience and test that much more anyway. So before there was any conflict, before there was man or myrrh on in Tamriel, 
on Nern. There were the Adra and the Daedra. So if you've, I'm sure you've heard them in the in the game. If you've played it, maybe you haven't paid attention. Maybe you're doing the clicky clicky thing through all the quests. Shame, shame on you because it's so shame, dang good. Shame. Um, but anyway, there were two groups of immortals who actually took part in the creation of Mundus. So what is Mundus? Mundus is the realm in which all mortals reside. So, and we're going to get a little bit more into that here in right. a second. So basically, the the, Adri the the origins of both the Adra and the Daedra are myth within the Elder Scrolls universe and are still highly conflicted, but for the most part, they are believed to be true. So Adra, meaning, literally meaning our ancestors, were considered by the majority of cultures in Tamriel to be gods. They're also believed to have... Um, sacrifice part of themselves to create the world of Mundus. Now, most people think that they did this voluntarily, and there's also some that believe that they were persuaded by the missing god, whose uh, name is Lorcan. So, um, now, he also keep in mind, there is so much deeper of a story to all this stuff. Oh, yeah. We are hitting yeah. the basics. We're going to do our cast would be... Four hours long every week, and you would all be asleep. I guarantee. Yep. Not that it's boring lore; it's really cool stuff. But to hear somebody so else much. talk about it, it's like, man, we're gonna give you the basics. These right. are the Cliff's notes. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Nobody knows what Cliff's notes are anymore. I totally oh, just aged myself. Whatever. That's uh, okay. I'm right there with you. I'm there with you. Okay, so the Adra, our ancestors, gave a part of themselves for the creation of Mundus. Now there are some that did not want to have anything to do with the creation of Mundus. And they are known as the Daedra, literally meaning mm. not our ancestors. Right. So the Daedra are all the jerks who are trying to do everything they can to, in effect, screw with Mundus and Tamriel. So, right. <laughs> okay, so in the creation of Mundus, there's also three realms to consider. First realm being Mundus itself, which I mentioned is the realm in which all mortals reside. Right. This consists of multiple planets. So the planet where all Elder Scrolls games take place and most of the lore takes place, or a lot of the lore takes place, is Nern. Yes. That is where Tamriel is located, on the planet of Nern. Right. Uh, there are also several planets orbiting around Nern within the realm of Mundus, and these planets are where most scholars believe that the Adra, those who created Mundus, reside. The second realm is Oblivion. That might ring a bell for some of you. Mm. Yes. Because they had an entire game on it. Um, well, this literally is the realm where the Daedra reside. So right. all those baddie baddies are all in Oblivion. <laughs> so each Daedric prince, who are the most powerful forms of Daedra, they control their very own unique piece of oblivion. And we'll talk about these Daedric princes here in just a few minutes. So when I say their own unique piece, I mean the landscape and setting of, the, of each piece of oblivion that these Daedric princes control are very, very different. So... Oblivion is said to be the night sky on which Tamriel and the Daedra reside. So when you look up into the sky when you're on Tamriel, you're literally seeing Oblivion. Right. Which I thought I thought was kind of cool. I just figured that out as I was doing that research for this for this lore project, and I thought, man, that's really neat. Yeah. 
Yeah, it kind of makes you think uh, you want to go in a game and just look up. I know. You look up and you're like, oh, my God. That's literally Oblivion. I don't want to go there. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. so then the third realm is uh, called Aetherius. And Aetherius is where the actual divines are believed to reside. Mm -hmm. And that is also said that it's believed by some that that's where the souls of the dead reside. So the three realms, Mundus, Oblivion, and Aetherius, make up pretty much all of the lore that we're going to be talking about. And uh, we're going to start covering um, some of the major players here pretty quick. Okay, so right. the most prominent... I'm going to ask you this question here, JB. The most prominent set of Aedra, those who created Nern, worshipped by men in Myrrh on Tamriel, are the Divines. Mm -hmm. Which... Which one do you follow? Before I even go over them, which one do you like? Um, well, I'm used to hearing Akatosh a lot, and that rings a bell because it brings me back to Oblivion. But which, you know, it's really it's constantly is Akatosh and Oblivion. Um, Dude, he's the dragon god of time. I totally get that. You can stop right. right there. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's freaking awesome. Yes. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Divines, and... Keep in mind that the Divines, everybody always says, oh, by the Nine, by the Nine. Well, yeah, when you're playing Skyrim, they do. But keep in mind that we, the timeline of Elder Scrolls Online is not there yet. So right. at the time we're in right now, there's only eight Divines. And the eight Divines are said to be a set of Adra worshipped by the men in Myrrh on Tamriel. Right. Okay, pump the brakes. What the hell are men in Myrrh? Okay, so let me explain that a little bit to you. Men in Myrrh, quite simply... Men are humankind, myrrh are elvenkind. And when we get into the races, that'll make a little bit more sense, especially with the elvenkind, because there's several different types of elvenkind. You guys are probably playing them all right now in the game as you listen to the podcast. But they have specific reasons why they are certain types of elvenkind. And I totally geek out on the elven stuff because I'm a huge fan of the Bosmer. Right. Uh, we'll cover that on another show. But um, there's a lot of history behind the Elvenkind. So anyway, when I say men and myrrh, I just mean humankind versus Elvenkind. Right. Okay, the Nine Divines. Once again, keeping in mind that during the timeline of Elder Scrolls Online, there's only eight. Correct. We shall get into them. Akatosh, the dragon god of time and the chief god of the Pantheon. There's Arpe. Mm -hmm. Yep. RK is the god of the cycle of life, death, and mortals. Ominous. One of my favorites, Debella. <laughs> She's the goddess of beauty. Let me meow, meow, meow. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, there's Juliano. She is the god of wisdom and logic. Right. Uh, my very favorite, my personal favorite, because I love to play Bosmer, and um, I love the nature aspect of this yeah. game is Kinnereth, and he's the goddess of air, wind, sky, and the elements. Oh. So you'll hear me say he and goddess. Well, there's kind of a reason. Oh, Kinnereth, she. I'm sorry. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit more about the he, she thing when we get into uh, Daedric Princess. Gotcha. Hold that thought. Okay, so then there's Mara. She's the goddess of love and compassion. Right. Stetar, the god of mercy, justice, charity, luck, and righteous rule. Hmm. Heard a lot of that one in Skyrim. You know what I hear a lot of it in chat is y'all need Stendar. <laughs> I hear a lot of that. 
<laughs> you see a lot of the chat. Oh, it's own chat. Y'all need to stand up. <laughs> Make that t-shirt. Um, okay, so then there is the ninth. The, he typically is the ninth. We'll go. Okay, well, so we'll say Zenithar first. Zenithar, the god of work, commerce, and trade. Super freaking boring. Come on, Zenithar. Yeah. But no. Talos. Then there's Talos. Talos. Yeah. Super widely debated whether or not Talos is actually godlike. Mm-hmm. And we will kind of cover that a little bit, but um, Talos started off as a human being and was said to have ascended to godlike status. So he is known as the hero god of mankind, might honor state law, war, and governance. This guy is a badass, but just keep in mind, that's why there's the difference in our ESO timeline right now. The game that we're playing is second era, I believe. And there's no such thing as the Nine Divines. He comes along much, much later and is hugely debated whether or not um, whether or not Talos is actually a divine or not. Right. So. Right. Maybe that's the one I heard a lot of in Oblivion. It's either Akatosh or Talos. I think it was Akatosh in Oblivion because um, Talos you hear a ton of in Skyrim because he he was born of, in, of the province. Yeah. Yep. So um, yeah. going back to Oblivion. That was that game. I know, like the Daedra are terrible, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you. I, you know, I, I want, I didn't want to play one in ESO. That's because filthy. That'd be you should go wash your hands <laughs> immediately. Um, go to the pool. That's disgusting. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna backpedal just one second. Um, for those of you who did not know, and I apologize, I didn't mention it before, but Talos is basically the ascended version of Tiber Septim. So, Google that, people. Tiber Septim was a badass. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the Daedra. Ooh, yeah, okay. I know you are. Jeez, you are evil. <laughs> right? I don't know did what's wrong just, with me. Oh, you just finished games. the main storyline. I did. Right? Yep. Yep. Did it hurt you to... Vanquish all those Daedra? Mm. No, because it brings up, you know, because it brings up my fighter skills too. <laughs> Another pro tip: you know, get XP pro. Killing Daedra brings up your fighter's guild skill. So when you when oh, you man. make it through the the main story quest and you end up in Cold Harbor, just kill everything <laughs> because you bring your fight, yeah. fighter's guild skill up pretty quickly. Yep. So okay. Okay, so now we're going to transition a little bit to the Dirty Daedra. The most powerful of the Daedric of the Daedra are known as um, Daedric princes or lords. Mm -hmm. So they have no connection to Nern. And here is the part that I love and the way they kind of interwove the story in. And I'm not going to do any spoilers or anything about the main storyline in case there's anybody who hasn't gone through it. But really by this time, really by this time... Come on, people. The game's been out a while. Uh, four years. The game's been out four a... years. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not going to give anything away. But um, the Daedra cannot be permanently killed. Hmm. Daedric princes and lords cannot be permanently killed. Only banished. Right. So that means they can come back. And they do come back. Yeah. Um, they can be summoned to Nerd, which is really forms the foundation of the School of Conjuration Magic. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
And I love that yeah. too. And you're going to hear me relate to Oblivion a lot because that to me was one of my. That and Morrowind. Skyrim was pretty cool. I liked it, but it didn't connect with me like Oblivion and Morrowind. I love the conjuration stuff in Oblivion back then. Yes. That was so awesome. Yeah. And in this game, if you roll a sorcerer, you have conjuration magic and you can summon Phaedra right. to fight right with you. Right. So there's a million sorks out there, so you know yep. how it goes. Know all about that life. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about the Daedric Princes. Another very important thing for you to remember, which I kind of led to a little bit earlier, the Daedric Princes are sexless. They can hmm. be either male or female. A lot of them switch back and forth. Some of them choose to stay looking as a... It's a bad kitty. <laughs> Some of them choose to stay looking like a female or looking like a male but they can morph huh. into whatever they want to be while they're basically screwing with everybody on Nern. They can just... Interesting. It's rad. It's so wrong. Rad. That's so crazy. I had no idea they could do yes. that. So let's talk about huh. the Daedric Princes. You're going you're right. to notice a lot of these names from other games, from things that you see out there. So don't clicky-clicky. Don't you space bar through all this stuff. This is important stuff. Absorb the story because it's amazing. Okay, off the soapbox. <laughs> yeah, I need some more meat. <laughs> I, need, I need a swig. Oh, I'm out of my Balmora blue. Where's the waitress? <sighs> oh, that is some good stuff right oh, there. Sweet man. honey meat. Okay. Okay, there's Azura. She is the mother of roses, the queen of dusk, and the dawn of the night sky. Mm. Sounds nice. It does sound nice. She's a Daedric prince. <laughs> so. <laughs> she sounds so relaxing. No, no, not so much. Okay, then there's Boethia, the Prince of Plots, the mm -hmm. Deceiver of Nations, mm -hmm. the Queen of Shadows. See, so there's one, Prince of Plots and Queen of Shadows. Right. Shapeshifter! <laughs> Male, female. Yeah. And the and the Goddess of Destruction. Mm. She sound, Boethia sounds pretty B.A. Yeah, yeah. Then here's one of my favorite, which there is a pretty big quest line that you'll hit both in Skyrim right <laughs> the one in Skyrim before I even knew about Clavicus Vile um it, it caught me off guard because I'm thinking I'll explain okay Clavicus Vile the child god of the morning star the master of insidious wishes yeah this dude has a freaking dog for a partner <laughs> and his dog I'm walking along this road in Skyrim and his dog is like looking at me like and I'm like oh who's a puppy a puppy needs a puppy's hungry he needs some water <laughs> oh yeah so this puppy ends up dragging me through hell oh man and I end up <laughs> I end up oh. in front of Clavicus Vile and I'm like you sneaky little trickster so they're little <laughs> nice little trickster ways and then you end up um, in the game you there and you end up with a quest mm -hmm. in ESO mm-hmm where you encounter the duo. Right. It's pretty cool. It's pretty That's freaking neat. cool. I, I yeah. love it, love it, love it. Okay. So anyway, then there's uh, Hermaeus Mora. She is the demon. He, she is the demon of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Her scene, which if you play a yeah. werewolf. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. the huntsman of princes, the father of man beasts, and the lord of the hunt, which I love this character because in the single player games, you actually get um, you can get his uh, jerkin. Right. 
and it's a pretty powerful piece. And yeah, I remember that. So her scene's pretty pretty badass. Yep. Uh, Jigalag <laughs> is the Lord of Order. <laughs> Malakath. Malakath is uh, beloved by the orcs, is um, worshipped by yeah. the orcs, and is known yep. to be a good Daedric prince. Uh, he's a creator, master of curses, and the keeper of odes. Hmm. Now, I know you're going to okay. recognize this name. Go on. Mayrun's Dagon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sweet memories Some sweet right memories from, uh, from Oblivion with this one. Uh, he's the Lord of Razors and the Prince of Destruction. Mm -hmm. There's Mafala, who you will run into in the Elder Scrolls Online. Right. She is a web spinner. Yeah. Dirty spider. Burn the whole freaking house down <laughs> for one spider. One spider. Burn it down. Yes. Burn it down. Oh, man. So uh, another, I think everybody will know this one. She is also considered to be a good danger, and she chooses to take the form of a female, and her name is Meridia, mm -hmm. and you will absolutely run into that um, in the game, and also happens to be the name, Segway, happens to be the name <laughs> of the guild that we run with. Uh, Meridia's Order of Guards, and we will um, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we uh, right. as we go along. <laughs> right, I feel so like out of place now that I realize it. I never knew the meaning of that. Like I'm over here loving the evil characters of just about every game, and we're in a guild that's named after the Lady of Light. <laughs> but she's still she's a Daedric Prince. She's a Daedric Prince, bro. So she goes both ways. Oh, okay, all right. I've got that working. She for could me be then. terrible. It's true. She could be. Okay. I'm good. All right, cool. So next, I, this is my by far my favorite one, and it's just because of the description of who the dude is. Oh, my gosh. It's terrible. This is so I'm bad. I'm not condoning this at all. This is so I bad. I do not condone this at all, but Molag, Molag Ball, he's the king of rape. <laughs> that is that is so... What kind of description it's terrible, is that? Okay? That's terrible. Uh, also known as the uh, father of the vampires. Heck? And basically what happened, is, the story behind this, is that... Oh, it, seriously, I, I, you should probably bleach everything that uh, oh, that yeah. you have after right? I say this. But he raped a virgin, and she became... Uh, she gave birth to the first vampire, which is why they call him the father of vampires. Mm. Kind of badass? But really jacked up. At the same yeah, time, so. it's really jacked Terrible. up. So, that being said, yeah. I love vampires and Elder Scrolls, so I can't, you know, like I can't. It's terrible. I really didn't know that was his description until I read the show notes, and I'm like, yeah. oh, that's so it's bad. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like Borat, the king of an ape. It's an ape. Oh man, it's horrible. It's so bad. So, so bad. you'll be happy to know that you have an opportunity. This is also the man who stole your. Who stole your soul, by the way? So in in ESO, yeah, so happen. you'll be happy to know that you can remedy that situation at some point in the game. So no spoilers, even though the game has been out for quite a while, uh, four years. <laughs> okay. So then uh, there's uh, Namira. She is the Lady of Decay mm -hmm. and the Spirit Daedra. Right. There's Nocturnal, who you will recognize from not only from ESO, but you also recognize her big time from Skyrim, if mm -hmm. you did um, the Thieves Guild from start to finish, mm -hmm. you will recognize Nocturnal. I won't spoil that there, but if you have not done the Thieves Guild, mm -hmm. then you should probably uninstall the damn game. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> um, oh, here's uh, There's Periite. Uh, Periite is a taskmaster and the bringer of pestilence. He, Periite is also 
kind of chastised as the weakest of all the Daedric Princes, but I don't know. You never know. Mm. Uh, there's Sanguine, mm -hmm. the Lord of Revelry. Yep. I, I know you yep. know Sanguine. Sanguine mm -hmm. has to do with uh, the Dark Brotherhood. Right. So if, And here is the second part to that. If you've played through any Elder Scrolls games and haven't played any Dark Brotherhood, you should not only uninstall the game, you should take a sledgehammer to whatever machine you were playing it on, because that is the bread oh and butter gosh. of the Elder Scrolls. <laughs> Hands freaking down. Oh. You gotta play. Oh, because you we gotta know. Play. Because yes, we know. Because we know. So <laughs> then there is you definitely, definitely run into this freaking nutbag in Elder Scrolls Online, and I laugh because he's hilarious. Shia uh, Gorath, the Mad God, the Prince of Madness. Mm -hmm. um, no spoilers there. Mm -hmm. He is awesome and he's hilarious. I think you run into him at at least one point in um, Grotwood. I want to say southeast corner of Grotwood. You will run. I know Grotwood very well because all my characters are mostly Bosmer and they've all been through Grotwood several times. So uh, I know Shia Gorath makes a play down there. So anyway. And then there's the last one is uh, Veramina. She's the gifter and weaver of dreams. Uh, and then there's the lesser Daedra. So those are all the Daedric princes. Those are the strongest of the Daedra. You're going to run into any one of those at any one time. So pay attention to quest text because if you're doing anything that has to do with some type of heretics that are out there, people who are trying to summon Daedra, even, um, even a lot of the... Uh, some of these names will pop up when you're doing the dolmens. Yeah. Like a lot of people, I always see right. in chat, what's a dolmen? What's a right. dolmen? Okay, so dolmens are the dark anchors that drop. That is mm -hmm. Molag Ball's attempt to pull Mundus or to pull Nern into oblivion. That's right. what he's trying to do with those dark anchors. Right. He drops those dark anchors, he drops all of his danger down. And he's trying to basically yank the world that we're in into oblivion. So anyway, right. you know, a little tidbit if you didn't know, that's what the dang dark anchors are for. So every time you're in game, you know, you do, you're like crafting like tink, tink, tink in town, and you hear get at it because this dude is trying to pull your world into the world of oblivion. That's what the guy's doing. So anyway. Right. Um, he drops a bunch of lesser Daedra down, and a lot, a lot of times you will see some of these named Daedra, um, and you know, pop in. And there, mm -hmm. those Daedra are kind of like the. They're still lesser Daedra, but they're still kind of a little stronger. And those are the ones that you're, that you're battling at those dolmens. But you'll see right. them at, you know, anywhere in ESO. Right. You'll see them pop up, and they come in tons of different forms. There's Dramora, there's Golden Saints, there's Dark Seducers, there's Knights of Order, there's Daedroth, there's Clan... Oh, man, I hate those. Atronox, Wing Twilights, which I freaking totally hate those. Mm. Uh, Spider Daedra, Ogrim, Hunger Scamps for my Seekers and Lurkers. Mm -hmm. So there, And there's probably more than that. That's just the ones right. that I found for, right. for this, you know, little lore lesson. Little lore lesson. So anyway, that's the start and end really the base just the basics on um the world that we're in the world that we're playing in the extended world and then adra and the daedra uh next week we are going to literally talk about the elder scrolls themselves like okay elder scrolls it sounds great totally cool series 
what the hell is an Elder Scroll? We're going to cover it. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, we kind of went through all this. We knew it was a little bit lengthy on this, but we were really, we really wanted to lay all the groundwork because everything. My man. <laughs> My man. My man. All right, everyone. Well, we're back again with another lore lesson this week on the show. Well, last week, we covered the Daedric Princes, and we went over how Tamriel really was founded, you know, how it really got its start. And this week, it's a pretty important thing to go over, especially if you're playing an Elder Scrolls game. <laughs> but this week, we're doing the Elder Scrolls and the Tamrielic timeline. Cash, I know you've been uh, studying up on this stuff. And as per usual, I kind of want to keep myself a little unknowledgeable in this area so that way I can effectively ask questions to you as we go throughout this stuff. Questions that yeah, I was going to say, have. you un you unknowledgeable? That's that's easy. Dumb, dumb. <laughs> Words are hard. Yeah, so we um, we kind of hinted at it last week. We, we wanted to talk a little bit this week about what the Elder Scrolls actually are. Mm. And then we're going to finish it up with a little a little bit about the uh, the timeline, so you know where your character sits, right? In the Elder Scrolls Online, because the timeline is quite huge. Yeah. But we're going to start off with the Elder Scrolls. So what the heck are the Elder Scrolls? <laughs> uh, well, to quote the uh, a, a member, an Altmer member by the name of Protector Arfire or Arfire, however she wants it to be pronounced. Mm. Um, a she's a member of the Aldmeri Dominion. She's found in the Temple of Mem. She is a keeper of the Elder Scrolls. And she says, I quote, The scrolls contain records of all past and future events, but they cannot be read without a severe price. Madness, blindness, even death. Many believe they were created by the Aedra, but why or when is unknown. So, essentially, the Elder Scrolls are artifacts of historic past and future events. Correct. And the scrolls will often tell of events that require a hero to solve them, i.e. the games. If you played through any of the single-player games and you know that you are that hero. Though the scrolls themselves cannot or do not select who the hero is. So, where they come from, nobody knows. How many there are, nobody knows. And they're also known as Adric Properties, Adric Prophecies, suggesting that they may have been created by the Adra, but that is a very widely debated topic. Mm. Much, much like a lot of the things we're going to cover in lore, is <laughs> they're very widely debated. But right. that's what makes lore lore. Yeah. Um, so one of the very important things that that I kind of refresh my memory as I'm reading about what these Elder Scrolls are is why is the prophet the way the prophet is nuts so right <laughs> it's like <laughs> duh and it, it kind of all brings it back together well, that's why the dude was like pretty is he still behind me is he gone I, I think he's gone okay I so why is the guy so freaking lame right I mean I don't mean like lame lame I mean he seriously has some issues it's because of reading the, the scrolls so like dude it's like meth <laughs> like once you start <laughs> It just jacks you up for life. <laughs> so, anyway. Drugs are bad, including skooma. But moon sugar's okay. So, anyway. 
and Destix. As as he said, the prophet, Baron Aquilario said, the scrolls allowed me to glimpse the very fabric of reality, but each profound insight dimmed my vision and eventually left me permanently blinded to the light of the world. It's like, dude, you knew that. Mm-hmm. So... The Elder Scrolls are said to exceed both Adra and the Daedra, implying that neither group created them. So, you see what I mean by widely debated? Right. Like, nobody really knows where they came from. Yeah. So, until the events described in the Scrolls actually become reality, they contain information about the possibility of events happening. So, viewing from different people may contain slightly different versions of events that may or may not happen. Right. So then once that prophecy actually happens, the text that is readable on the parchment becomes fixed and then cannot be altered by any known magic. So it's like permanent ink, not permanent. Actually, it's more like going from a Word document to a PDF. It's kind of how it goes. This reminds so me. I, I feel like I'm in a, like an episode of The Flash where they're talking about the time travel. Like This is totally what I feel like. It's like you can change stuff, you can change stuff. Oh, it's set in stone. Okay. Right. Oh, and my friend, it's so funny that you mention time and changing time because that brings up a very widely debated thing called the Dragon Break. Oh, the Dragon Breaks. I know this. Yes, the Dragon Break. So a Dragon Break, also known as an untime, is I'm gonna blow your freaking minds right here. So put on your thinking caps and try and understand what I'm about to say here for explosion. <laughs> a dragon break is a temp a temporal phenomenon that involves the splitting of natural time, which results in branching parallel realities where the same events occur differently or not at all. <laughs> I'm already confused. So at the end of said dragon break, the timeline reconnects making all possibilities and outcomes truth though contradictory to each other and the dragon break the dragon is mentioned in dragon break because it's in reference to akatosh who we spoke about last week is the dragon god of time and that is where i switched off my freaking brain in doing this research because i was like excuse me what <laughs> Can somebody like explain this to me? I'm done. Like they would explain something to a preschooler, right? Because Talk to them like I'm five, please. Right? Yeah, because that's what Cash needed at that particular moment. So, <laughs> okay. So anyway, on reading the scrolls, not just anyone can read from the scrolls, and this also lends us back to the fact that uh, Varen Aquilarios, the prophet, mm-hmm. was a moth priest. He studied with the moth priests. So traditionally, only the cult of the ancestor moth may read from the scrolls. And this will it requires a certain ritual called the ritual of the ancestor moth. So the rite is performed by moth priests in order to read an elder scroll. And only a very chosen few, the most resilient of the moth priests, are able to read from an elder scroll. And it takes them months to prepare just for the reading. So... It's a very, very rare chance for a moth priest to even get to perform this ritual. And that's why, I mean, it, it jacks people up. So, did you actually, it's very, it's, did you get a chance, sorry, did you get, actually get a chance to look up the ritual? Did you read up on the ritual? I did not. This part? I didn't want to go, like, super in-depth. I did. I don't know why, but I did. I'm like, I want to know this part. So, for them to be able to interpret the Elder Scroll... They have to literally get this certain kind, I think it's called a high ancestor moth, a legit insect, 
and oh, that's like Sands of the Lambs. So <laughs> to and you have to attract a, like a certain amount. I don't I don't know how many. I don't know if it's if it's the more the better, but they have to be in the general vicinity. And these moths are tied to the the energy and kind of like the whole life force kind of thing. It basically allows the moth priest to interpret what he's reading. To get said moths to you, you have to use a special knife and cut a piece of a tree, the bark off of a particular tree, and in doing so, you will attract the moths. And that's when the moth priest can actually interpret what he's reading. Wow. That's a lot of work. Check out the big brain on jibs. Well, that's all I got, so everything else is going to (laughs) be... Okay, so on, on the actual reading themselves, mm-hmm. every subsequent reading strikes the reader with gradual blindness that increases every time they attempt to read the scrolls, but at the same time, they get a broader view of the contents of the scrolls. Mm-hmm. So basically, the more you read, the blinder you get, but the more that you know. Right. The, and that's why they, they begin to call these um, the readers of the scrolls prophets. So by knowing so much information, readers of the scrolls often become known as prophets. They're blinded. They are removed of their right to read further in the scrolls. So the scroll basically tells you that's enough. You've had enough. You can no longer read anymore. Now you're blind and you're and you're done. But the knowledge that they have has been known to drive, drive people insane because it's so much to handle of what's happened, what's you know, what could potentially happen. I mean, it's... It's kind of, kind of beautiful, actually. <laughs> oh, it's so poetic. No, I honestly, I felt like with the Elder Scrolls in general, um, that this is the most prominent part of the Elder Scrolls to me, like visually, because you've dealt with the Moth Priests in Skyrim, you know, even back in Oblivion. It's, it's to me when I think of Elder Scrolls, I think of Moth Priests. I think of blind Moth Priests. Like that's the whole part. Now going back to the blindness, did you know? The Dwemer, which are, the, for those who don't know, the, the dwarves that are long extinct now in Tamriel. Please bring them back some way. Please, please, just for me. Um, they actually had an invention that allowed them to read in Elder Scrolls without going blind. And I forget the machine's name. I looked it up, but that was a thing. It's a lexicon. It's, a le- <laughs> it's called the lexicon. <laughs> this is the prophet speaking. <laughs> Thank you, Fish. <laughs> That's awesome. I You're right. It. Please bring them back somehow, some way, and make me subscribe to you. We will get into the history of the Dwemer. Dude, that is one race. Yeah. If there was some way, somehow, sorry to break us off here, some way that there could be anything, this would be the icing on the cake for me, to bring the Dwemer, to have them reappear somehow. That would just... Yeah, that's not going to happen. So anyway, let's move on to the Elder Scrolls <laughs> timeline. <laughs> A little bit. Um, so I'm going to explain a little bit about how, how the timeline works. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to hit some some of the biggest things that have happened in history. And then, of course, I'm going to let you know where we land, where the, uh, where the Elder Scrolls online actually takes place. Right. So you're not confused. I'm just, I don't want people to be confused about where they are. So consider That's... me like your life coach right now. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, so in order to figure out... The way the timeline is read, typically the way you'll see it, you'll see it like 
one E seven hundred. And basically what that means, it starts off with the era number and then the year during that era. Mm-hmm. So for instance, one E zero. That is the first era. I haven't even gotten to a full year yet. The first era begins when King Eplir founds the Cameron founds the Cameron dynasty. Mm-hmm. Um, see some other. Uh, I got a, like a super long timeline here. Oh, um, dude, it's long. Actually, it's on um, this. The timeline, Elder Scrolls timeline, is actually on IGN's website. It's really good. It is good. It's like a full blown timeline of everything that's happened in Elder Scrolls. And uh, if you're if you're interested, in, I'm not going to read off this whole thing because you guys will be writing this hate mail, but. <laughs> It okay, was so long. <laughs> it was so long. Okay, so uh, first era, year 700, the, the Dwemer supposedly disappeared suddenly around this time. I feel like, and that's where we can stop, because that's the most important part. Please bring them back. Make else. me happy. Okay, so let's see. Oh, here's a very good one. Uh, second era, the year 230, Vanis Galarian forms the Mages Guild. That's pretty important. It's good to know. It's super important. So the Mages Guild is is going good and strong in uh, the second era, year 583. Ding, ding, ding. The events of the Elder Scrolls Online take place. Woo! So that's where we're at, my friends. And that's like where we were talking about how there's only eight divines mm-hmm. as opposed to nine divines. The ninth divine, the very controversial divine, takes place much later. Right. Much later. So, right. Uh, the events of the Elder Scrolls take place in the Second Era. Um, okay, Second Era, year 830, Tiber Septum is born. Woo! Speaking of another divine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's see here. He begins in the year uh, 895 of the Second Era, Tiber Septum, also known as Talos, may or may not be, begins conquering Tamriel. Mm hmm. And that's where that ninth divine comes in. Right. Okay, so El, uh, the third era, year 405, the events of Elder Scrolls II Daggerfall take place. Oh. I wonder how many listeners actually played Daggerfall. I did not. I came in on Morrowind. And that was so I have good. It. I've never played it. I have it on, I have the anthology. Oh, do you? Elder Scrolls anthology, yeah. Oh, man. I know. I just like to open that thing up and just smell it. <laughs> I can smell floppy disks in Windows 98. Smell it. No. <laughs> did, did I take it a step too far? Made it a little weird? Eh, a little weird. I'll get over it. Okay. <laughs> okay, third era, year 427, the events of Elder Scrolls 3. Mm. I know you played this one. Mm-hmm. Morrowind. Take place. Mm-hmm. Such, yes. So good. It's so good. So good. Okay, so what else do we have here? Ah, this, my friend. We had. Uh, I ruined this for somebody the other night. I was in guild chat with some uh, some friends who were playing through Morrowind for the first time, and they're like, "Oh man, we totally you know we we saved everything, and that big meteor didn't fall." I was like, "Okay, first of all, that meteor is called Bardow, and it's being held up, okay, by the power." Anybody? I don't want to spoil this for anybody. You were all jerky okay. about it too, weren't you? Like, uh, yeah. So well, hold on a minute. Hold so, on. Lord. Let me expound my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> so Lord Vivek, the power that Lord Vivek yeah. uh, wields is holding up Bardow. And uh, unfortunately, to much to everybody's dismay, in the fourth era, year five, Bardow 
the meteor suspended above Vivek City in Morrowind falls to the ground, <laughs> destroying the city, <laughs> causing the Red Mountain to erupt, ravaging the island of Ardenfell. I like that they named it. Like they could have done in they could have just hey the meteor. No, they they had to make yep. it personal. Yep. It, it, it gets a Bardow. Okay, so um let's see here. Keep going down the timeline. We're almost there. Fourth era, year two zero one, the events of Elder Scrolls Skyrim and all DLC take place. So that's where the timeline ends, my friends. Until Elder Scrolls six. Please, 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 please. Sugar on top. Lots of sugar on top. Please. (laughs) Make it happen. So anyway, my sources, obviously the Elder Scrolls Wiki, and then uh, we talked about IGN.com's timeline. Really good place to go if you are looking for more information on this. It's pretty extensive. So that is your Elder Scrolls timeline. Next week, we are going to dive into the very races of Tamriel. I'm excited about that one. Um, and I've been holding off on this. I've been going through, because you know I bought the Tales of Tamriel, the books, the the, the lore and the land. The, right. And I've purposely been holding off, so I'm super excited to go over the, uh, the races of everything. Alright, well it's that special, wonderful time again. We're back with another lore lesson. You guys have consistently shown how much you uh, seem to enjoy these lore lessons. And this week's a special week because we are officially starting to go through the races. Cash, this week we are doing High Elves. Yes, we are. And I think before we get started, uh, where's the waitress? I don't know. Waitress! My dear! Cyrodiilic brandy, please! Coming right up. Because I'm nearly out. This stuff is strong as hell. (laughs) I'm a lightweight. Okay. I'm a lightweight. So, yes. <laughs> I'm super excited. If, if you could see me right now, I have hands in the air victorious because uh, we're starting racial mot- uh, motives. And I'm super excited about this. Here's the other question, JB. Hmm? Is it motif or motive? You know, it's kind of like tomato, tomato. Really, you're going to get the same result. I personally like motif because it makes me feel a little bit smarter when I say it. Makes you okay. Makes you feel like an Altmer. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> so let's go with let's go with motif. So anyway, uh, let's talk okay. about the high elves today. I'm very actually very excited to talk about this because it happens to be the character that I'm currently maining uh, is a high elf sorcerer. So let's talk a little bit about where they come from and how okay. snooty they are. Okay. They are uh, so, the Altmer, or the race of the ancestor race of Aldmer with a D. So, ancestor race, Aldmer with a D, the mm-hmm. newest, most, most now high elves are known as the Altmer with a T. Correct. Uh, their name actually translates from Old Mary, Old Old Mary language, to mean high ones or cultured ones. Mm hmm. And that totally so makes sense. So if that kind of sets the pace a little bit, <laughs> if it sets the pace a little bit about what people think about them and what they think of themselves, then there you go. <laughs> so they uh, are actually one of the oldest races known on Tamriel. And they are uh, they are an elven race, basically from the Somerset Isles, which is uh, the southwest coast of Tamriel, southwest of Valenwood. 
Now, Somerset Isles is a very interesting place, and I don't mean to get too off topic here, but there is a lot of speculation out there that that may be the next expansion we get for Elder Scrolls Online. It may it's be true. the Somerset Isles. It's true. There's a so, lot of people talking about that. Uh, I've seen it a lot on social media. It would make sense. I'd actually be kind of down for it because in a way, in a lot of ways, this is where everything began for this series. Right. Exactly. And there's they're already close. I mean, we have Aradon, which right. is about the closest you're going to get to Somerset Isles. So if you look at your map, you will notice where Aradon is. If you look just to the west of that, that island that is not yet touched in the game is the Somerset Isles. So Correct. that is where that's where the Altmer are known to have come from. Even before that, they were said to have come from Old Elnafe. We're not really going to go into that. We're just going to kind of touch on the most recent stuff. Um, I'm sure somebody's probably going to give me some hate. Why didn't you cover Old Elnafe? Because I'm too new and I haven't read about it yet. So there. So anyway. <laughs> trying to get it man <laughs> i'm still trying to learn this stuff okay so there are other elven races uh that mm -hmm. also came from the somerset isle which include other playable character races the bosmer or the wood elves and the dunmer or the dark elves now we're going to cover them in their own segment on another show but just know that both the bosmer and the dunmer both the wood elves and the dark elves came from the high elf line they right. just decided, for whatever reasons they chose, to branch out, and then they've evolved into what they are today. Correct. But Right. So, let's get back to the Altmer. The Altmer, the High Elf. They are very well known for magical affinities. Yep. And they ha are one of the races who have appeared in every single Elder Scrolls game thus far. Probably because they're the most well-known race. True. I'll never forget the first time I interacted with one. I'm like, wow, you are a douchebag. I'm so you're, glad I spoke to you. You're kind of a D. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, we're going to get into some of their snootiness. It's actually it's true. kind I, of funny. It's funny, but it's kind, of, it's kind of warranted in a way. But anyway, we'll talk about it. Totally is. Okay. All right. So their physical appearance and traits. Yes. So they are the tallest of the humanoid races. You will be able to tell that your sliders will make them very, very large. And it's actually surprised me that they're taller than the Nords, because Nords are freaking gigantic. Have you seen Lyris? Um, yes. Why is is she like an Amazon woman or something? Did I miss something? Because holy crap. Actually, yeah, she's huge. And put her up against a Bosmer. <laughs> oh, my God. And it's like, yeah, I know. Yep. That's like insane. hip level. So. Yeah. It's like, All right, so. Yep. Uh, Altmer are very light of skin, very slender. They, they have very refined and prominently pointed ears. Yes. So far, she sounds. They sound a lot like Cash. Yeah. Awesome. You know well, what? I'll, one. I'll give you that. Yeah, for sure. I'm gonna sit here and I judge totally you now for the rest of the episode. Go on. I want to keep should. judging. You've been judging me for years, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they are, they are typically not as muscular as humans. Okay, let's see. Well, that's where we differ right there. Uh, and not as agile as wood elves. So okay. that makes plenty of sense. It makes right. plenty of sense. Right. Okay. So they are the most intelligent and magically gifted race on Nern. Yep. 
Yep, that's where you're like going to get... Yeah, and I like how they put that in the game, too. You know, it's They give you just a little bit of a bonus, just enough for you to recognize, hey, if you're going to go... If you want to min-max, your best option is the High Elf. And you know, I think it's like 2% right, difference. you better recognize. <laughs> Y'all better recognize. And I love the fact that they have that in the game. It's not huge, but it's just enough to recognize, again... And the high elves, in their own mind, they're better than you, and they know it. Yeah, and it it does make a difference. I'm not kidding you. Full stam, or excuse me, full magicka on my sork. He's a beast, a beast. Yeah, I love my character. I know you. I really love my character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my character's life. <laughs> let's, get, let's get back on track. <laughs> All right, so. Um, the Altmer, being the oldest race on Tamriel, are very quick to remind you of their superior civility, which is why many other races consider them douchebags. Now, can we can we stop? <laughs> snobbish. It can, says can snobbish, we, not douchebags. Can we stop here for a minute and talk about that? Because as long as it's good, I think. Well, no, I plan on it to be terrible. <laughs> but here's the thing. Got, uh, Shoddy Cast did a great video on High Elves. This was oh, they, yeah. they released it in 2013. It's five years old, but it's just as relevant as today. And they kind of addresses this. And and I'll be honest, before I watched this video, I didn't want to watch the video because I can't stand the High Elves. I generally my first I'll never forget the first time I spoke to one in Morrowind, how jerky they were, and then in Oblivion, it got even worse. And you have you have to be a high elf just to get any amount of respect, even even if it's a small amount, depending on your intellect, because that's how they judge you in this society. The high elf society they judge you off your intellect. The most intelligent are the ones running the show, and those of us who are just workers, we're at the bottom level. Okay, and so when I first talked to these high elves, and they're so jerky about everything. I get, I kind of get it now in their own mind why they feel that they have that right because they they live, they can live like over a thousand years, and they have seen more, they have experienced more, they vastly understand more things than we do. They taught the people in Tamriel uh, the basic writing, the whole basic language, like they were very very instrumental in us well, the rest of <laughs> the rest of us learning and picking a lot of things up and so in their minds they're higher high elves like they're they're a step above and i kind of get it now so i'm kind of okay with it right but at the end of the day you're still a jerk like there's just there's just no way around it <laughs> right they're they're extra it's funny that you say that because remember we were talking about parallels to real life in this yeah. game yeah there is you're if a jerk you're playing high skyrim there well if there's if anybody's you know played <laughs> skyrim or any of the other games there's a lot of racism it's it really gnarly. is it's really it's, i mean it's it, yeah we're not hey we're not condoning we're just saying it, it's in the game it's in our world so right it is there regardless of how you feel about it it is there and um yeah it really it being is. in the game, it does. I mean, it makes it makes things that more real. Like, oh my gosh, it could go that deep. Well, yeah, it really does go that deep. Yeah, especially. So, and, and I feel like they have the most disdain. Yeah, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I feel like too from Tales of Tamriel, the 
It was either the lore or the land. I want to say book two, the lore. and Or no, it was the land, I'm sorry. There's an article, I forget what, what page it's on, but it talks about how the High Elves almost have a sharp disdain for the Bosmer. How they truly look at oh, them. absolutely, yes. Like, they are the crap on the bottom of their boot kind of thing. I mean... Yes, and it's not only... We will get into it more when we when we talk about the Bosmeri culture, but it is... It stems from many different things. The beginning of it is the fact that the Bosmer were once High Elf. Right. And they yeah. decided they did not want anything to do with the society and the empire that the High Elf was building. And they right. decided to, to travel further east. And that's when they ended up in Valenwood. And then over over time and centuries and generations, they adapted to the, the forest life that they live. And that's why they're so much smaller. Some of them sprouted, actually sprouted um, uh, deer antlers in, in small amounts. And they became so much more agile was because they needed and a whole bunch of other stuff in their culture. That's freaking amazing. I can't wait to cover the Bosmer. It's awesome. Oh but gosh. even in this game, if you play in this game, if you play through the quest line in Grotwood, you will see the racism between the High Elf and the Bosmer and the Khajiit. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. It's very political. It's very, very interesting when you when you play that. If you have not played Grotwood, it's my favorite storyline. It's my favorite zone in the whole game. I love it. So Well here's the thing it. too, really, and I played really cool. and I play a Dunmer, a Dark Elf, and you're clearly still not as good, but I don't even feel I mean, I feel kind of like the the black sheep in a way, but dude, Bosmer in the eyes, the <laughs> Bosmer are like on a whole nother lower level. Like the way that they, the way that they talk to them, and yes, it's kind of mind blowing, man. And and you kind of and again you, you know, when you actually start looking at the stuff and and the books that they've got out and understanding it more, it it really sucks you into the game that much more. Yes, and I, I will say this on my last point for understanding the reason between um, the for the rift between the Altmer and the Bosmer. One of the things that the one of the things in the Bosmeri culture that has evolved over time, and we will talk about it. Um, the rest of Tamriel sees is terrible, and all I will say is cannibalism. I'm going to leave it at that because we're going to cover that one. We're going to cover that one at another time. And, uh, man, that's going to be a fun one for me because I love the Bosmer. Oh, man. Hands down, my favorite race. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. I think Bosmer. if there's anything that kind of sticks out with – gosh, I, that <laughs> – Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, it really is. If there's anything, too, that I remember with the High Elf, though – is and I remember watching it in the uh, the Shoddy Cast video. They have a very refined way of eating, and they totally expect you to follow they it. They do. Do you want to cover it? Yeah, sure. You know what? I'll take this. I'll I'll jump on the bandwagon here. Um, so, and again, you and I remember with this video, and they did a great job. Well done, Shoddy Cast. Great, great job. I oh, recommend yeah. you guys go just type in Shoddy Cast High Elf and spend the next 23 minutes just learning about him. Did a great job. 
mean, you've got to seriously watch the way that you act around these people. So they've got um, a very detailed set of table manners. Uh, one, you got to refill the glass of the di- of the diner of the dinner. I think is what that's meant. To your left. No, it's, no, it it's diner. Oh, okay. yeah. So if diner you're sitting to, your- to my left and you d- and your drink is almost empty. I have to refill your drink. Oh, I see. Okay, okay, okay. All right. That's kind of... So, okay. All right. So never you never refill your own glass. That's one thing that they expect from you. Um, you never rest utensils on the edge of any vessel. So it can't be touching anything. That's... I, I, I couldn't... I would be... I'd be like the janitor if I was a high elf. There's no way I could follow all this. Um, do not eat more than the most prestigious attendee at any function. I'm out. Uh, <laughs> I'm out. Um, never watch another while they chew. Now, see, that's just provoking for me. Now I just want to stare at someone when they chew. Um, using the wrong utensil is considered barbaric. If you do not know which to use, watch other guests and follow their example. Hmm. Okay. I you could know. not be IRL a an altar. There's no way. No, I'd be cleaning the toilets. That, there's no way I'd be have a seat at the table. That's well, my biggest happened. problem is number one: refill the glass of the diner to your left when it's low. What happens when the guy who's supposed to refill my glass has had too much to drink and he either forgets or blacks out? Punch him! Right I can't refill my own glass. Right in the face! I wouldn't be punching him in the face. I'm talking right in the mommy daddy button. Right. That's my drink. Right in the low blow. Mm. Yeah. I understand okay. that. So anyway. You know that... Super that, weird. They really are. Uh, there's, that, there's no way you or I would make it as a Holdmer ever. Ever, ever, no. ever. So history and religion. This is the last part we got for the, uh, the high elf motif. Right. So um, the ancestors known as the Aldmeri arrived on Somerset Isles, and they really don't know why they they came to Somerset Isles from the continent of Aldmeris. And that's this is like super ancient times. Um, And then we talked about before how the Aldmeris split into their own groups and ended up traveling beyond the Somerset Isles, and that was the Bosmer and the Dunmer. And then the Aldmer remained in the area of the Somerset Isles, uh, and they really started an empire. Yeah. their influence, really, if you look at Tamriel today, the Altmer influence really dominates the entire continent um, in the forms of like culture, religion, language, architecture, um, and it all stems from the Cyrodiilic Empire. Right. There's that influence all over Tamriel. So um, the High Elves primarily will worship the Adra. And specifically the Adra who assisted in the creation of Nern, but were smart enough to remove themselves from, from the creation process and save their divinity. Now, there's only a few. So, Akatosh is one, mm-hmm. the, uh, the god, of, uh, god of dragons, and he is, he is known as Ariel by Altmer. So, uh, especially if you're doing those Grotwood quests, um, you will hear them reference Ariel. Basically, they're talking about Akatosh. Um, he is their, their chief deity. And then Standar, y'all need Standar. You've heard me say that before. And then also Mara. Um, uh-huh. They also revere, they might not worship, but they revere Trinimac. 
So yes. Trinimac was known as the champion deity of the elves. Um, and it's actually a very a fun fact I'm going to cover here in just a second on Trinimac. Very interesting. Um, also, they revere Magnus. He is a source of magic on Nern, according to the Altmer. And uh, Finister. He is the patron god of the Somerset Isle. And then here's another very interesting guy. The guy who is in charge of all of the creation of Nern. Is he a trickster? Is he not a trickster? I don't know. But this guy is Lorcan, the patron god of man. And we covered him, I think, episode one when we yep. talked about the creation of yep. Nern itself. Yeah. I, I think my favorite thing I picked up from that, I was reading, again, I was going through the Tales of Tamriel, uh, the books that they put out. And um, did you know, Tales of Tamriel, book two, lore, page 59, Finister actually showed... <laughs> why is this a thing? <laughs> showed them how to adjust their walking so that they could live another hundred years. Well, I don't know. I guess walking wrong could make you old. <laughs> why is that a thing? Why is that Maybe a you thing? trip. You maybe you trip, fall, hit a rock, sustain a neurological injury, and die. Knee. Okay. Yeah. I could see yeah. that. Short lifespan from a rock. All right, right on. I dig it. Anyway, yeah, there you I go. thought that was funny. Con- continue. <laughs> Okay, so we talked a little bit about Lorcan, and uh, as you remember, he was the one who was believed to have tricked the Aedra into giving part of themselves for the creation of Nern. So, he's a pretty widely debated guy. Um, oh, then I want to talk about Trinimac. I almost forgot about Trinimac. Trinimac. Here's the little fun fact about Trinimac, who is revered by the Aldmer. Mm-hmm. Altmer. Uh, ancient Aedroth, an Aldmeri deity whose physical manifestation allowed him to actually walk on Nern. This is back during the mythic era. It's not like modern times. Right. Um, Unfortunately, though, for the Altmer, who did revere him, uh, he disappeared near the end of the mythic era, and legend states that he was eaten by the Daedric Prince Boethia and reformed into Malakath, who was very highly revered by the orcs. That's a sucky way to go, right? Yeah, be eaten? Yeah. That's not good. <laughs> and I would get imagine vomited out into something else. <laughs> I would get stuck into whatever it is his teeth, for sure. I'm sticky. <laughs> so. Oh, that's funny. All right, so we're going to finish this up with uh, some notable Altmer, some notable High Elves in uh, Elder Scrolls Online. Um, I'm going to start off with my very favorite, like from start to finish, my very favorite, uh, Queen Irene who you see several times uh, within the game and with the different storylines. She is a very famous uh, Altmer, and she is also, fun fact, voiced by Kate Beckinsale in Elder Scrolls Online. Let um, meow meow. Let's just be honest. That's the main reason why you're in Queen Aaron. Uh, Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and the her avatar is freaking beautiful. Yeah. But Kate Beckinsale awesome. is like... Remember from like, the main storyline. Like real beautiful yeah so anyway um then there's vanis galarian who you know as the founder of the mages guild he right. is also a very famous altmer yes um oh this next guy <laughs> <laughs> Mane Marco, mm. the king of worms douchebag is also <laughs> a altmer 
And then um, this one I put in there strictly for you, my friend. Strictly for you. Uh-huh. Calselmo. He is an Altmer and was the leading researcher of Dwemer culture in Tamriel. Squee! Love Isn't it. that awesome? I, I love yeah. it. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, so that he's in there. And as always, awesome. my sources are uh, the Elder Scrolls Wiki. And then this time, just like JB did, I actually got into um, the Tales of Tamriel book again. It's God, it's so, so, so good. It's so good. If you and have I not think, picked it up, yeah. it's it's not expensive to pick up. It is a great book on lore, and the way that they tell it is just so cool. So yeah, don't have yeah. Well, I think so, someone in our community just uh, sent a message out saying it was fifty percent off. So if that's still going on, get on it at uh, Amazon. No one wants vicious. No, no. Hey, show no. the guy a little. Show the guy a little respect. He lost his eyesight <laughs> reading the Elder Scrolls. All right. Well, everybody, it is that time again. Transition from teaching you how to do some simple tricks in the game. Now we are talking lore for this week. And I'm pretty stoked because this is kind of a special place in my heart. This was the first race that I ever came in contact with with an Elder Scrolls title ever. And this week, Cash, what are we talking about, man? We are talking the Dark Elf, and I believe mm-hmm. that is the reason that we are sitting up in uh, Balmar right now. Is it's because we're we're among these peeps, so you know maybe they uh, maybe they're going to gather around the table because they want to hear a little bit about themselves, or maybe they're going to leave the tavern. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it. Not the Dunmer. Give us free drinks because <laughs> <laughs> they're not stingy at all. <laughs> no. Well, let's not forget they're cousins of the uh, of the High Elves, so. You still have that gene. You can't really get once you're yeah once you're an Altmer, you you never really go back. Right. Never get rid of it. So okay, so anyway, the uh, we're continuing our lore lessons. This is lore lesson four. We're talking about an additional racial motif this week, and we're covering the Dark Elves. Last week we covered the High Elves, and next week, the Bosmer. <laughs> Actually, no. The next, Bosmer. well, we don't know what we're doing next week. Next week's going to be all about that the next chapter so you may have to wait another week you don't even know what you're talking about pretty much <laughs> talk about what i want you don't to. know me you don't know me <laughs> you said this was 50 50 <laughs> <laughs> all right the dunmer which actually there was a, a very nice uh dunmer waitress just walked by um the dunmer are the dark elves they are the dark skinned cousins of the high elves are we ready for round two Round two, yeah. Waitress! Waitress! Order up another round! Coming right up. All right. So the Dunmer, they are the cousins of the High Elves and the Wood Elves, and they hail from the province of Morrowind. Uh, they're, they're known to be very intelligent and dexterous. Very dirty. Often very reserved to keep it down. <laughs> it's going to freaking turn into a bar fight. So... They most often keep to themselves and have a very, very bitter distrust of other races, and they also consider themselves superior, which makes it really fun when they get into arguments with the uh, High Elves, who also consider themselves superior. <laughs> okay, so most Dunmer have red glowing eyes with grayish, sometimes like green or like blue skin tones. Uh, their height is relatively similar to human races. It's They're not as tall as... The High Elves, and they're definitely not as short as the Bosmer. 
Um, we were, and we, last week we talked about how the high elves are the tallest of all the races, um, or of all the uh, elven races. So right. the Dunmer were once known as Chimer, um, literally meaning changed folk or changed ones. So and we're going to talk a little right. bit about how and why they changed. But yep. they were among several clans of Mur, and remember I was talking about Mur meaning elven kind, who were convinced by Boethia, the Daedric Prince of Deceit, to abandon the customs and laws of the High Elves of the Somerset Isles, squee, to follow the prophet Veloth. I know. Mm-hmm. To follow the prophet Veloth to uh, the land that was later became known as Morrowind, which was originally known as Resdane, which is where we're at now. Um, so these XL, these exiles became known as the Velothi, which is a, a term that is like now used synonymously with Dunmer, especially the folks who've been here for a long, long period of time. Um, and they were just considered exiles and they literally just preferred a more nomadic lifestyle, similar to the Bosmer, which we'll talk about next week or the next or the week after. Um, they mm-hmm. preferred that nomadic lifestyle away from the rules and the politics of the great houses of Somerset, which we talked about last week with the high elves they established this empire that was very rigid with rules so both the bosmer and the dunmer skipped town they're like we're out don't right. dig it you know I'm and that was kind of the, rules that was kind of the <laughs> that was kind of the vibe too when i first started playing Morrowind, and the very first time you talked to somebody of course you know the graphics really <laughs> back then really lended to the whole like you know you feel dirty Whenever you talk, you know, you look at them, they're like really dirty. And like, hey, I know. I, do, I remember that because they, they would act differently towards you, like big time. You know, or yeah. even like, um, here's another example, which, you know, I know it's it's not Dunmer, but it's Bosmer. I'll walk by somebody in ESO at, on my Bosmer character. I'll walk mm-hmm. by somebody in, in a, any town and you'll just hear him go, savage. I'm like, yeah, Seri- right? seriously? I, we've made comments about this numerous times, but my yeah. goodness, racial undertones are in other <laughs> schools. You are a racialist. My goodness, <laughs> it's funny, right? So. Gosh. So if you if you notice, if anybody's done the Morrowind content, you'll notice that there's like tons of ruins all over the place. Um, they're like done. These are like old, ancient Dunmer strongholds that are everywhere across Morrowind. So a lot of what these were, were once the Dunmer settled in Morrowind, at the time they were known as the Velothi, they worshipped mm-hmm. three good Daedra. And these strongholds, these like, ru- they're ruins now, but these are evidence of where they used to worship. So I, th- I thought right. that was pretty cool. I'm like, oh, I totally remember that. I totally see those all over the place. Yeah. So... Right. There is so much history to the Chimer. A ton. So yeah. I took the I took the main chunks out of this so you kinda understand good like, idea. <laughs> like where they came from. Um, yeah. but like my sources for this are really the wikis. Because they're 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 the best ones. So here is, I'm going to kind of transition into some of the struggles that the Chimer went through in the year uh, over the years. So they had a major conflict with the Nords. 
and mm -hmm. it lasted years and years and years where the Nords actually took control of Morrowind for several years, but through a, you're going to love this, through a union between the Chimer and the Dwemer, they were actually <laughs> able to stand up to the Nords and ult ultimately right. defeat them. Because the Chimer being Chimer, Dark Elves being Dark Elves, they had an issue with the, with the Dwemer, and they ended up this union led to several internal conflicts, and ultimately it ended up in a war between the Dwemer and the Chimer, who were originally kind of allied to get the Nords out. So right. what ensued was the Battle of Red Mountain. Um, Such a cool battle name. It's awesome. So that led to the very mysterious disappearance of the Dwemer and the annihilation mm -hmm. of any allies that the Dwemer had. So the Chimer... Okay, basically what happened is there was a tribunal. And the tribunal was from the Dark Elves, the Chimer. Their actions in defeating the Dwemer was speculated to be because of the Dwemer's use of tools to create a new god and to become gods. Um, and then also some speculated that it was in the murdering of Nerevar, who was a uh, Dark Elf ruler. And these, whatever ended up happening, which is still speculated, pissed off Azura. She was yeah. mad. So, and then you guys all remember Azura. Uh, we covered her on uh, one of our previous casts. So, mm -hmm. tons of story, tons of versions of the story exist. And then some accounts attribute the word to the possibility that the Dwemer had discovered the heart of Lorcan, the great trickster beneath Red Mountain and were using it. It's, it was an ancient relic. The Heart of Lorcan is an ancient relic. They were using it to create a new god. So when mm -hmm. the Chimer got word of this, they told the Dwemer, stop, don't do it, or we're going to kill you, basically. And that is, that's exactly what happened. That's why the war started. So right. regardless of whatever took place, Azura was mad uh, she was angered at the whole thing. She actually cursed the Chimer people, turning their skin to ash and their eyes red and making them into the Dunmer as opposed to fair-skinned people. Man, I thought that was the coolest thing because I cool? never knew that. I never knew that. And I will never forget that guy that you talk to when you're on the ship in Morrowind. First time ever that you meet a Dunmer you know, on in Morrowind. The very first conversation, and I remember seeing this guy and looking at his skin. I'm just like, "What happened to you in all these years?" I, it never occurred to me to ever look into it, but all these years since I played Morrowind for the first time to now, which is well over what, like 13, 14, 15 years? I don't even know how long. You know, I, it's it's it blows my mind. I had no idea until I read this I thought this is the coolest thing ever it never even occurred to me this is how we're, it never even occurred to me that they had their skin was just like the Altmer it would have made sense it's just I never put two and two together because I've always known them to have you know to have like the char um, ashy looking skin with the red eyes right or that they've that they have adapted to the, yep. their new environments and it was the same it's the same thing with the Bosmer yeah they adapted to their new environments. And I've, that's, ooh, that's why I love this lore so much. It's so freaking cool. You know, if you, 
especially since playing these games for so long. I mean, I've played these games for a lot of years. And now yeah. now ESO, and it's like ESO is like all these games put into one. But really you don't truly you don't truly understand all of the story until you really read the backstory to it. And I think we talked about it before. A lot of the lore we're going to cover is stuff that never took place in any of the games like Chimer and Dwemer and all this different stuff. This is all stuff that just builds up to the world that we live in now in Tamriel. And that's what I think is so cool. It's so, it's so rich. I mean, you want to talk about the people who wrote these stories are, they're amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's cool too. Cause it, in a lot of ways, it's kind of similar to other, you know, like pop culture, just, um, genre. So, you know, not to break lore here, but you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, um, uh, Lord of the Rings for people. Um, heck, even now to the younger generation, to them, it's Harry Potter. You know, that just, just all these genres that are out there and you know they're built over time and over time they just become so much more precious to you and the fact yeah I totally agree in so many ways Elder Scrolls Online is it's it's before everything in a lot of ways but it's also everything wrapped up into one in a way right and then like and this this story with you know between the Dwemer and the Chimer and what actually happened to the Dwemer and when I was reading it, there's so many like different versions of the story that even in itself lends to the intricacies of the history in Tamriel and in all these areas that we get to explore because it's so mysterious. Like there's different historians. These are hyper, these are theoretical historians, you know? Yeah. There's different versions Based on who you yeah. talk to in the world. It's like, oh my gosh, it's yeah. so it's just so so rich. Okay, I'm fanboying out. So we're gonna go ahead and transition into the history and bring religion. It down. Bring of it the down Denver. back on the rails. <laughs> <laughs> so really what happened is there were two people, they thought they were friends, and now all of a sudden they got into a fight because they're not friends and one of them was gonna turn into a god, so they were playing with these different tools and the other one got mad and said, Stop playing with those tools. And then um, we're going to hurt you. And then they hurt him. And then their mom, uh, she got mad. And then she made the ones dark skinned. <laughs> and you can direct all hateful comments to at Cash. That's pretty much what Twitter. happened. That is the <laughs> down and dirty version. If that's, if, that's if Spoilers. I was five year old. <laughs> that's right. So, okay. The history and religion. Uh, the ancient Velothi tribes created houses, which... If you've played through the Morrowind content, you have seen this. There's mm -hmm. tons of different houses, and they're all battling. Right. Uh, these houses function as political parties within Morrowind, and they control trade, local administration. Um, each of these houses has, has representatives that they send uh, that are part of something called a Grand Council. And the Grand Council right. is the true ruling force in Morrowind and has been since like the first era. So, right. you know, it's politics, you know, a little representative here, representative there. Right. Um, and, and I remember, sorry, I don't mean to pause in here for a minute, but I remember, too, going into Balmora for the first time. And you're, you're meeting these people that are so 
you know, like off the beaten path and so rural in a lot of ways. And then you step into Balmora and it's all these houses. It's like, oh, oh, oh you guys are far more official, far, <laughs> far more regal in a whole lot of different ways than I first anticipated. And so that totally threw me about this race. It's like they're, it's almost like they're contradictory of themselves. They're very rugged. They're their own, you know, really their own thing, their own gig. Um, they love to be nomads and all this, but at the same time, they're very regal. They're very political. You know, it's it's just like total polar opposites. Yeah, absolutely. Which is what makes it so interesting. Well, then, see, even then, even with all these different houses, then there are the folks that don't. You know, they they still still might be Dunmer, but they don't necessarily agree with the structure that the Dunmer have put in place. And these folks are called the Ashlanders. They're still Velothi, they're Dunmer, and they are the ones who are sticking to that nomadic lifestyle that they wanted to keep when the original settlers left um, Somerset and ended up on Morrowind. So anyway, the Ashlanders, they live off the land. Um, They don't necessarily establish cities. They move. Um, They live Mm -hmm. in small camps. Their huts are usually mobile. They have herds of guar that they move from place to place. You guys have seen guar all over the place in Morrowind, and I love the guar. Oh, gosh. Thank you very much. Yeah, they're everywhere. Um, and they have hunting parties. They just live off the land. So Ashlanders believe that the land is theirs by ancestral right, which I don't get how they do that because they ended up. I, okay, fine. They're ancestors. Fine, fine, fine. Um, but they believe that they have the right to plunder any settlements for resources, and they, and they also take people for slave labor. So it's real. Slavery is still alive in the Elder Scrolls Elder universe. Scrolls. It's that and racism. <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. Gnarly. Great. So um, they have some very specific uh, primary figures of worship, one they being uh, Mephala. He is uh, the Daedric Prince. She is the Daedric Prince, also known as the Web Spinner. Uh, Azura, which we talked about. about. The Daedric Prince of Dusk and Dawn. Uh, The Mother of the Rose. She sounds wonderful, doesn't she? she? And the Queen of the Night Sky. Oh, so majestic. They're so majestic. And then there's Boethia. (laughs) Boethia, remember, was the Daedric Prince that originally got them to leave uh, Somerset. Right. Uh, The Daedric Prince of Deceit. God, they're all so bad. They're still mean. Uh, and then many more of the Dunmer still follow Evil Daedra, including Sheagorath, Meru's Dagon, Malakath, our very favorite Molag Ball. I banish you! And mm. um, together, these Evil Daedra are known as the House of Troubles. Kind of funny. I think that's, that's so cool. <laughs> I like it. It's kind of funny. So... Uh, even to this day, and once again, as you go through the quest lines in Morrowind, there is severe conflict between the Ashlanders and the Tribunal, uh, which we talked about. Now, this Tribunal is a Dunmer sect dedicated to the worship of the three god kings of Morrowind. So these three, these are very important because the, these are all three of these are definitely part of one in particular, but they're part of the the plot on Morrowind when you play through it. Uh, the tribunal is known as the goddess Almalexia, the mm-hmm. god poet Vivek, and mm-hmm. Sothasil, which you will hear and learn a lot more about in the Clockwork City stuff, because he's a creator of Clockwork City. Mm-hmm. 
so these should very sound very, very familiar if you've done any of the quest lines in Morrowind. So the problem that the Ashlanders have with this is that a lot of Dunmer see this tribunal, see the goddess Almalexia, the god poet Vivek, and Sothasil, as that tribunal, they see it as an abomination because they're supposedly living gods. And the Ashlanders think, ah, yeah, no. I mean, they don't, they don't agree with that at all. So there's still lots right. and lots of uh, conflict. A lot of tension. Yeah. A lot of tension. So, and then, of course, you know, as a great hero of Morrowind, you got to go and try to settle some of the conflict. And some of the houses are going nuts against each other. And then the one in Balmora, the storyline in Balmora that you do with um, Naru and Vea, I really like that one. That one's fun. I've done yeah. that one probably I'm, three times on different characters, but I really I enjoy it. polar opposite with that. I am so... I am struggling to get into this storyline right now as opposed to what we had with Lord Vivek. And maybe there, there'll be an episode and we just, like, notif- you know, put some notes on there let people know when we're talking about it, but we need to talk about these quest lines at some point soon. We need to talk about the difference in them. Cause, man, I'm on the struggle bus getting into this whole Vea storyline. I, I really? just think I, like I feel it. like it just hasn't ramped up yet. Well, you know but what the pro- your problem is? Is that you went... What's that? You went straight evil when you went. You basically logged into the game on day one and went straight to the Dark Brotherhood and signed up. Hi guys, I'm in. <laughs> Who do I kill? Yeah, so you, so you've seen some of the most job is done. Some of those <laughs> BA content in this game immediately is uh, the Dark Brotherhood. So then you come back and now you have to deal with yeah. the Morag Tong, which is like, yeah, they're kind of baby assassins. Yeah, they're right? they're yeah. Yeah, they really. It's yeah. You're right. You're 100 percent right. It's like you go from something that's so dark and just so. You all heard it here. You heard it here. I'm 100 percent right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go on. Uh, okay. So here's a little fun fact for you. Uriel Septum. I believe what's that? The fourth. Uh, fourth. Yep. That's fourth. Uriel Septum. The 15th emperor to rule Tamriel, right? Everybody's kind of heard of Uriel Septim. Kind of a big name right. in the Elder Scrolls universe. So, half Breton, half Dunmer. Bet you didn't know that, did you? I did not. And I read that He's I half thought, Dark Elf. It was his mama. It was his mama. She was a she was So Dark awesome. Elf. I know. So, um, no, absolutely no blood relation to Tiber Septim. What happened is that Uriel Septim was appointed to the King of High Rock and then later ruled Tamriel as Uriel Septim. He was, right. like, given that title. It's kind of like um, the Boltons. Remember the Boltons in um, Game of Thrones? I'm going, like, way off topic here. But Boltons in Game of Thrones? How the super psychotic son ended up being, like, you're now a Bolton, mm-hmm. even though he really wasn't a Bolton. Anyway, mm-hmm. I digress. Let's talk about some notable Dunmer in ESO. Among, among my favorite, Naryu, the Morag Tong assassin. J.B. Hutzer, mm-hmm. whatever. Veya. She is sassy. She's super sassy. Yeah. Well, so is Veya. Yeah, she is. Veya's yeah, very they both sassy. are. Yeah. And she's yeah. the... Um, Veya's kind of spoiled brat. Right. But yeah. Whatever. A little she bit. brought up in royalty. Yeah. Um, Vivek. Lord Vivek. One of the three mortal gods of Morrowind. And then we also talked about Sothasil and Almalexia. Yeah. Uh, now, other games. In other games. So here's a couple. You're going to recognize these two. 
If you played Skyrim, then you know who Carlia is. She's the one mm -hmm. that uh, brought you into the Nightingales. Sorry, did I spoil that? If you haven't played Skyrim by now. Okay, take a screwdriver. <laughs> here, we're here I wasn't going to say put it in a light socket, okay? I was going to oh say put it, through, put it through your console or your computer and just be done with it. If not, stop listening to the podcast, go buy Skyrim, and go put aside about two months of your life and lock yourself in a dungeon and play that freaking game. It's the best. So, First anyway. thing, play Dark Brother. Carlia, also a dumber. Okay, mm -hmm. and then I know that you've heard of this one. If you've, if you've played Skyrim, you definitely know what the Stones of Berenziah are. Now, although Berenziah does not appear in the game, those stones belonged to Berenziah, who was a dumber. So, mm -hmm. there you go. The more you know. Through the shadows of past events. All right, well, it is that time again. Your favorite lore lesson series has returned. And on this week's show, like we talked about earlier, we're going to be doing this week, Cash, a full, what, history of Somerset? Yes, sir. I have scoured lore books, and I've actually gone to several different sources this week to make sure that I get it, um, that I get it right. This one's important. Um, I was really excited about it just because it really is going to kind of bring us into the feel of Somerset and... In, in the era that we're in, in ESO, our gameplay timeline, it's going to kind of explain to you where we are and why we are. It's Some of the stuff might might repeat a little bit from the some of the locations that we talked about earlier and then maybe from a previous lore lesson when we covered the Altmer and the Aldmer. Um, so, you know, bear with me on that, but there's a lot of new stuff here. So, in the spirit of it, in the spirit of the announcement of this next chapter... Um, our other racial motifs are going to have to kind of be put on hold for a little while because we're, I think in the next few weeks, we're going to cover much more than just the history of the Somerset Isles. We're going to hit on the Sigic Order and some other things that's going to kind of bring it all home for you right before the launch of this thing. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's just us. You know, we're shucking and jiving. That's what we do. We want to adapt to the situation. We're dynamic like that. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So let's roll into it. So we've already talked about before when we covered the Altmer that the Somerset Isles are their traditional home. This is where mm -hmm. where they, you know, when the original Aldmeri came from Aldmeri's, they originally settled on the Somerset Isles. And that is a big reason why we're in the tavern that we're in tonight. And there is now a party going on in the tavern that we're in. It's actually, re it's actually really cool. To Holy see all crap, of our guildies in kidding. here. <laughs> There's literally a dance party going on in here right now, and we are screenshotting it. That is great. Okay. Oh my God. So we decided to pick the northern shore of Aradon, which was literally the first landing place of the elves coming from Old Mary's during the Merithic era. Um, and they, this was the first place that they landed on and founded, and it, that's why it's called First Hold, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But... Mm -hmm. During that landing, a legendary High Elf Lord by the name of Torinan was the very first Aldmer to step foot off of, off of one of their nine ships onto the sand, basically. And he claimed the island of Oridon for his people. And as you know, Oridon is in the game now. 
Um, mm-hmm. he, he gave it its name, and he swore a blood oath that he would never leave it. And that comes, comes into play here pretty quick. So the Aldmer actually began to explore the island, and while they were exploring it, they ran into a number of, of creatures that were native to the island, uh, namely the Gietis, the uh, Ilyadi, and the Welwa. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. of the danger of these creatures and, and the damper that it was putting on them colonizing the island, there a few of them actually, a few of the Aldmer actually said, hey, we need to get out of here and go try to find safer lands. But Lord Terranan, Lord Toranan said, uh, no, we are Aldmer, we shall roar. And they battled the monsters, slang them with the powers that they had from the teachings of his ancestors. And this is some of the early... Um, magicka that was used in sorcery. So because of that, they were able to get rid of the threat and then the Aldmer resumed taming the land using their magic. I love this part. Using their magic to sculpt and tend the island to their needs. I'm like, how freaking cool is that? So, I don't know. I'm just super into the, Al- the Aldmer now, too. I love my boss. Can we just stop like for a minute and look at how legit the well would look? Yeah. Did you did you open uh, formidable? Talk about intimidating, right? Yeah. They got like four eyes, and they're pretty much armored bears, or I don't know what you'd call them, like <laughs> dog four, rats. I don't know. Yeah, four-legged beasties. Four-legged angry. That's a whole lot of angry. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were able to stop them. And continue on with their uh, with their quest in colonizing island. So, Truth. anyway, um, continue. Yeah. So anyway, after that happened, uh, they began to spread throughout Oridon, eventually inhabiting the rest of the Somerset Isles, and the islands became divided into several different social classes, which is why the Sigic Order ended up on one of them uh, because they didn't necessarily agree with all the tenets of Aldmer life. So. At the very top of these social classes were the wise. Those were the, your teachers and your priests, followed by uh, different people like the artists, princes, the warriors and their defenders, landowners, merchants, and workers. Mm-hmm. Now, below this, which is a very interesting fact, and I would be very, very surprised if we don't see some of this in Somerset um, with the re- release of the new uh, chapter. At the bottom of this social class were the tamed beasts, such as the goblins, who were native to Somerset and became enslaved by the Aldmer. Interesting. Interesting, right? Yes, it is. Now, goblins have been in some form um, in almost all of the games that are out there. And even in Elder Scrolls Online, there are forms of goblin in the game, and I believe they're called Reichlings. Mm-hmm. I could be fact-checked on that, but I believe they're called Reichlings. Yeah. And um, sure. they are some form of goblin that they believe were not unlike these original goblin that were found in Somerset Isle. So, very, very interesting that they enslaved them. So anyway, a right. uh, little bit more on, on the history of the uh, the original people to hit the islands. Um, they continued to travel and explore beyond the islands. Eventually, Altmer began colonizing the mainland of Tamriel. So really, everybody else on Tamriel kind of owes them a debt to discovering and colonizing in those ancient mm-hmm. times. Um, right. 
I, th- I just, yeah, I think Altmer kind of misunderstood, but it's okay. We'll talk about it a little bit more. I, Go. You got something. I know you do. I just, well, I just feel like, I mean, no matter what you do, when you talk to the people the way that they talk to people, you're going to get that reaction. Yeah, douchey. Okay? I, totally douchey. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same point, I I get it. Like, I, I totally understand why they, they feel the way they feel. And to be honest, they probably have that right because they've been around for so long. Right. And I, that is um, it's a part that I think is is much overlooked and it's talked about in a lot of the in a lot of the lore it's talked about is the fact that when a normal person sees something as, you know, that's OK, that'll do. The Altmer don't see that way because they can see past the detail it's kind of like somebody looking at somebody else's um it's like somebody looking at somebody's curious you know their their Mm -hmm. their chess piece and you know that's a nice chess piece you know yeah it's this color and that color and it looks that looks like it would work well that Mm -hmm. may be what a man would say but an altmer might look at it and say you know the craftsmanship is is subpar and why would they use these materials as opposed to these materials? And boy, you could have made that more decorative in this in this area or that area. That's the way that an Altmer sees life because of their lifespan. They have the time right. to dedicate to seeing the finer things and perfecting everything that they do. And that's just the way that they are. Yeah. So, you know, like I was saying, I just think that they're maybe a little bit misunderstood. I, I agree. And I think we see a lot of what you just said in this new expansion with the zones you know just everything top to bottom man aside from that one zone was, which is pretty much just the bathhouse like, i love it i mean yeah it's, i mean perfect I, I think that's the only zone that's not screaming you know altmer like all the other ones are everything's perfect everything's pristine everything's clean and tidy like i right. get it and, and maybe sometimes here's, a little dirty i'm an altmer but i'm not dead right <laughs> right, right okay here's here's another thing too is with Altmer, as they're growing and learning, their their flavors are constantly changing. They're constantly, like you said, perfecting. So they may have one time looked at a piece of armor that was currently being worn by somebody else and thought probably a little bit more of it than what they do now, being right. that, that they've learned so much. So anyway, right. and I think because of because of the way that they feel about about this about them and other races and how perfectionist they are this is a reason why their islands were highly protected and exploration and travel was extremely limited i mean extremely limited nobody else was allowed the only people who were allowed to travel the islands at all were traders and they even then even when traders were able to come over they were restricted to the city of alinor that was it that's all they could come to so right I think it lends yep. to the fact that they're they're super protective of the Somerset Isles just because of the, their nature. Right. So, so speaking of the islands, uh, the three major islands, um, and then there's five outlier islands in the um, uh, archipelago of the Somerset Islands. So obviously, the the first and foremost is the Isle of Somerset. This is known as the mainland or the Big Island, um, and it obviously is the largest island of the entire cluster and most of the population and the resources um, that go into their building live there. Um, of course, notable islands on the, or notable locations on the island are the Crystal Tower, and we'll cover that here shortly. You know, I know we talked about it before, but I got a couple more tidbits on it. 
Um, a second largest island is Aradon, which is the island that we're currently on. This is the island that is currently in ESO, um, but was the first island to be inhabited by the ancient Aldmeri traveling from Aldmeri's. Um, right. The major cities in Aradon are First Hold, Skywatch, Vocal Guard, and then, uh, as we talked about, First Hold literally means first among holds. That was the location of the first city that they built, not very far from the location that um, the first old Mary landed. So, like, mm-hmm. that is so cool. I never knew that. Right. Um, third largest island, also an island that we're going to be exploring in the new chapter, is Arteum. Arteum is the home of the Sigic Order, which super excited about learning all kinds of crap about. Um, yes, please. Yes. Uh, that later led to the founding of the Mages Guild by Vanus Galarian, which who, if you've done any of the Mages Guild quests, you've run into him a bunch of times. Um, kind of a snooty dude, but also kind of cool. Um, and that was in the year, that was in the second era, year 230. So right about our timeline. So mm-hmm. uh, the funny thing about Artaeum, it has a tendency to disappear from Nern completely. And in our timeline, it has been 350 years since anybody has seen Artaeum. So for us to be able to travel there, kind of cool. Now, I think um, I can't tell you exactly where this came from, but I really felt like this was in the, I believe this is the Twitch stream when they announced all this, and the lore master, whose name escapes me currently. Awesome. He can can Um, go by awesome for the rest of his life because that's what that guy is. (laughs) I totally geek out. When that guy comes on, it's like everybody in the room needs to shut up. So I can listen to this man speak. He is the freaking prophet. <laughs> so there's that. You aspire to be in life. <laughs> yeah, I hope he hears this because I'm a super geeky fanboy. <laughs> a fan man. But uh, he he made a comment that talked about we're actually going to find out why Artem was gone for so long, and we're going to find out. Uh, I think how they do it or why they why did they choose to do it? I don't know. So anyway. I, we're we're going to learn more about why the island disappeared. Right. And as as just a, a short aside, if there are people out there that did not see or that, you know, really haven't watched any of the things from Zoss, there is literally a person with the title of lore master in their office. That's his job. Yeah. Mike Drop. They actually wrote an article about him. They're like, hey, I bet you don't have this job title. He's the only guy I know ever. Dude, you have that job title. He's so freaking cool. Okay. So uh, the smaller islands, there's a small island named um, Aivia. Aivia. What? Oh, try. Oh, are you having problems pronouncing? No, I just wanted to make sure people heard it and make sure you had some extra to edit. So there we go. (laughs) Um, This is a small island located in the northwest of Somerset Isles. This was used in the second mm-hmm. era as a safe haven for mages and was settled by Archmage Shalador. If you've done the Ma- uh, Mages Guild quest, you will know who um, Archmage Shalador is. Kind of a pain in the butt at times, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> uh, another I digress. small island off the western coast of Skywatch and Aradon is called Aranorn. Uh, this island was used in shipping and commerce and storage of goods. Then there's another small island located near the coast of Matisan, and this is called Buranim. This island is used as a, a major commerce location, but has since been abandoned 
but you can still find very large ruins on the island that are ripe for exploration. Very cool. I like that. Yeah, Sounds I awesome. Hope, I hope that one's in there. Um, another island uh, a little bit far from Somerset was created by a high elf named Arrhenius. This one is called Silitar. Uh, Arrhenius was known as the Rock Witch of Silitar for her creation mm-hmm. of the island. And she apparently used a form of magic to form the island by literally lifting the land out of the sea. That's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. And the island is now an abandoned location. But I thought that was pretty cool. Agreed. Uh, and then the last island in the uh, archipelago is a smaller island called Dranel Kir. This is off the coast of Aradon. Uh, it is a very mysterious island plagued with storms. And the Sigic Order once dwelled here, but no longer. So, mm. also very interesting. So that is that's the chain of islands that make up Somerset. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Altmer moving from Aldmeris to Somerset and kind of you know kind of how that took place. But um, so they were known as the Aldmeri people prior to being known as the Altmer before they died off. And they came from the land of Aldmeris, which we don't really know too, too much about, especially in the games. They're like, you literally know nothing about. But um, during that, the earliest time, the ancestors became known as the Altmer, and then or, or they were Aldmer first, and then once they made their migration to the Somerset Isles, they became Altmer. Um, they were very, it was very peaceful at first, uh, but... Aldmer being Aldmer, it did not take long for them to just kind of start their own internal conflicts. So, right um, to the outside, the Aldmer would lead the other races to believe that they were kind of living in tranquility, which I think is a reason why they've kept those islands so segregated from everybody else. But in reality, the beliefs of the majority of Aldmer people as being superior of other races really began to tick some of their own people off. So a lot of them started ad- adopting kind of a critical view of the hierarchy and why, why it was so rigid of their own people. And it really kind of created this strict cultural xenophobia um, in between their own culture. So there's a lot of infighting that started. So they started to band together for social change. I mean, this <laughs> sounds a lot like the modern world <laughs> when you really think right? about it. But yeah. Um, they started to band together for social change. And then the most outspoken members of Altmer society, they just exiled them. They said, you're out. So they eventually started to figure out that, well, that doesn't really work just to exile them because there's so many people that are really ticked off about the way that we're running things that a lot of, a lot of these outspoken groups kind of started to rise up and, and, and really rebel. Um, One such group was literally called the beautiful is what they were called, which I lolled when I was reading this, but (laughs) (laughs) so beautiful, but kind of dark and gnarly. They began a destructive campaign against a lot of the um, most revered ancient sculptures and emblems of Altmer history, just to kind of gain the attention of the royalty. And so they did. But then they even went as uh, they went so far as to murder the daughter of the king at the time, who was King Shimmering. Wow. Gnarly. Like too much. That's intense. Yeah. Right. Yep. So 
Um, a lot of these young outspoken Altmer actually found a refuge within the Sigic Order and started to like boost its numbers. Um, and as you know, we've talked about the Sigic Order just being the ancient order on the island of Artaeum, but they were speculated to have been responsible for the birth of mysticism in Tamriel. And I know I alluded to this earlier, but I'm really interested in the mysticism part of sorcery and, and magicka. Yeah. Um, and that's really what the, the Sigic order was kind of based around was mysticism. And it was really, it was known mm -hmm. as the old way quotes, the old way. Um, and it was, it focused around their attempts to unravel the mysteries of the universe and possibly even tell some of the future when correctly applied. So that's what mysticism is. And a lot of those Sigic order skills that we're going to be getting stopping time or winding time see what i mean see how it intertwines mm -hmm. yep. see how the lore works yep. i freaking love it when i was reading this i was like yes i totally get it so i was super <laughs> stoked i was super yeah. geeked out on it and just really um really excited about it but um we are going to talk more on the sigic order coming up but uh and especially mysticism because it's, i think it's going to play a part in the game that we play, especially if you play a Magicka-based character, uh, most especially if you play an Altmer Magicka-based character, um, I really think it'll be interesting for you if you're interested in lore because it's one of the oldest and least, mysticism anyway, is one of the oldest and least understood schools of magic in Tamriel. And it's out there. It's in the other right. games. You know, super, there's tons of references to it. So, you know, you're going to love it. Yes, I can't wait, dude. I can't wait to cover the Sigic Order. I can't wait to freaking get in that guild. I, 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 I got work to do this week. so. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk a little bit more about the Somerset Isles and um, how that kind of falls into ESO's timeline, like where we're at. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the error, the following error, just a little bit. We're just going to touch on the following errors and really where it came from, where it is now, and then where it leads to in some of the other games that we played. So um, so we've already talked about how the Somerset Isles and the Altmer were really the foundation of the Aldmeri Dominion, formed by mm -hmm. uh, Queen Eren, and also compo comprised of the um, the regions of Valenwood and elsewhere, which is the Bosmer and the Kajiti. Um, Correct. So then we, we want to kind of, that's like right now. That's what's going on right now. And obviously us working into this new chapter, we're going to be going, visiting there to investigate these new threats and then hopefully save it all so that Queen A. Ren can continue her quest to, you know, lead the Old Mary Dominion, much to the chagrin of the other two um, factions. But <laughs> right. it's fine. They could rot. Anyway, so later, later history of the Aldmeri Dominion in the Somerset Isles. Uh, during the Third Era, the Somerset Isles was the last nation in Tamriel to be brought under the Third Empire during the Tiber Wars. Tiber, yes. Tiber Septum is who I speak of. The islands themselves were later defeated in the Third Era by Tiber Septum and forced under his control, becoming the last province of the Empire. So, quite interesting. Agreed. Now, during the Fourth Era, this is actually during the Oblivion Crisis, and you'll remember this from the game, 
The Somerset Isles were invaded by Daedra, and the Crystal Tower was actually destroyed. No! So right? to deal with the crisis, the Thalmor, who I know you've heard of from Skyrim, mm-hmm. uh, known, they were a nationalistic party. They actually took control, taking the monarch of Somerset Isles out of power. So the Thalmor, I think another... Um, is another faction maybe a little bit misunderstood, maybe a little bit gnarly to some people. They originated from the current Aldmeri Dominion, and they included members of the Altmer, the Bosmer, and Kajidi separatist organizations. Um, they also believed that the Thalmor were um, high-level diplomats, and there was also a paramilitary unit that did a lot of their dirty work. Um, but many believe that the Thalmor who took power in Somerset were kind of an inner sanctum made of like powerful aristocrats and dark magic users, which is kind of how I feel too. That's how the games kind of display who the Thalmor are. Right. But just know right. that uh, during the fourth era, they kind of came in and took control. They were given power because there was a, a big Daedric threat going on and the Thalmor were given the power to go and uh, some say it was done through a coup. Um, mm-hmm. Others say they were given the power to successful, uh, successfully re- repel the Daedric threat. And they ended up being known as the saviors of Somerset Isle. Go figure that. Right. So, yep. So anyway, that's a little tidbit about where we're at in the Somerset Isles right now in ESO. And then what kind of what happens in the third and the fourth era. We're going to hit a little bit on the um, some notable locations. We'll hit some pretty quick. Um, Alinor, this is the capital of Somerset Isles, the city located on the western shore. We talked about Cloudrest being a city on the north in the north central area. Mm-hmm. And now the Crystal Tower. This one's very interesting. The Crystal Tower is probably the most well-known location in the Somerset Isles on the main island. Um, it is was built as a powerful monument to the spirit of the elven people. And literally entombed within the walls of the tower are the bodies of the earliest Aldmeri settlers. As symbolic importance to the Altmer, kind of like, and we talked about this, JB, kind of like how the White Gold Tower was for the aliens. It's yep. kind of the same thing, but the Altmer did that with the White, uh, with the Crystal Tower. So to topple the Crystal Tower, you can see how incredibly symbolic that is to the Altmer. Right. But when you're walking through it, just know literally the souls and the bodies of the Aldmeri settlers who first settled the Somerset um, Islands are there. So I'm like, hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. It's kind of cool. A little creepy. Pretty cool. Way creepy. It's like a living mausoleum, really. You think yeah, about pretty it. much. You you walk, and you know it's probably going to play a part in the storyline. You know, every everything on Somerset because it's such an integral part of old Mary in, in, in general. So, right. you know, there's bodies for days. <laughs> exactly. So just a few more notable locations. Uh, Dusk is a city on the southeastern shore. Uh, it near where we, that we talked about is um, also the tallest mountain in Somerset Isles and is a site of some of the island's most amazing architecture that is located in the north central area of the uh, main island. Uh, Lillandrill, that is another city on the northwestern shore. Shimmering, which we talked about, is sitting on the eastern uh, eastern central area, and then Sunhold is an additional city in the south southwestern area. 
of the island. So, um, as usual, I had tons of resources for this. So, if you want to fact check me, please fact check me. Uh, I went to the official, unofficial Elder Scrolls pages, the uh, Shoddycast Elder Scrolls lore series, which in this one is amazing, and then the Elder Scrolls wiki. So, agreed. Check me out. Call me on it, yo. Absolutely. Well, that was awesome. I, I dude, I, I'm still chomping at the bit for the Sigic Order. Like I'm the same way. I'm going to be studying up on all of that. Oh, hey, look who's there. What's up, man? And walk with me through the shadows of past events. Thank you, Mr. Aquilarios. Uh, okay. Let's talk a little bit about the, one of the hottest topic this, topics that's going on right now. And we just kind of alluded to some of the skill lines is uh, the Sigic Order. Um, mm. Yeah, I kind of dove in head first on this topic because I'm very interested. I think there's a lot of inquiring minds about the things that are going on with Sigic Order. Mm. And let's talk about it. A lot of it kind of alludes back to the things that we already talked about with the Altmer, but now we're really going to just kind of... We're not home. even going to check the water. We're just going to dive straight in. That's what I'm saying. Yep. Yep. So... Okay, so anyway, the Sigic Order is an ancient order believed to have originated on Somerset, um, actually on the Somerset Islands, specifically the island of Artaeum during the First Era. So they were said to be the order responsible for mysticism in Tamriel, and from the existence of the Sigic Order, the Magus Guild would later be formed by none other than Vanus Galarian in the second era of the year 230. Um, Vanus Galarian is certainly in ESO right now. You can run around with him. He's kind of snooty, but otherwise pretty awesome. Pretty pretty big uh, character. But yeah, he really is. So where did the Sigic Order come from? The Sigic Order, basically what happened was when the Altmer left Aldmeris and settled on Somerset Island, there was a movement within the culture of the settlers to kind of change the way that they worshipped. Um, typically in Altmer society, they worshipped um, several different entities. Well, instead of worshipping the ancestors like they always had, a lot of the Altmer began to worship just a few of the ancestors chosen by the elite of Altmeri society. So these few ended up being uh, like Ariel was one, Trinimac was one, uh, Cerebane was one, uh, Finister was one, and there were some mm -hmm. others. But they were these few that they began to worship were said to have become gods and kind of became the cornerstone of Aldmeri worship. Well, that didn't sit too well with some of the more traditional Altmer. So right. a lot of a lot of those elders who referred to themselves as the Sigics disagreed with where this trend of religion was headed. Now these Sigics chose to honor what was known as the old ways. Mm -hmm. So they basically used the mystical powers that they had and they settled on the island of Art of Artaeum away from what they called like quote unquote the corruption of their society. So 
they they'd had it. They were done. They wanted to just get away from everything, which is interesting because the Sijiks, even though they had split from society, um, they were still like very highly respected. So they would often yeah. travel to the main island of Somerset to counsel the royalty and kind of lend them advice from time to time because a lot of the wisdom from the original councils disappeared because they started, they went with the Sijiks. They just didn't agree with the route they were taking for worshiping religion. Right. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I agree. So the very first recorded mention of the actual Sijic order on Arteum came from a Breton sage by the name of Varney. And Varney had traveled to Arteum to meet with the Sijic Rite Master Iachesis, who we mentioned in our last uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. So uh, Varney, really what he was doing was he was just documenting what he found on the Sijics, and he described the Sijics as the teachers of the Elder Way, or the Old Way. But that was really the first recorded mention of them in Tamrielic history. So this old way or elder way was, it became like a philosophy of meditation and study in the area of mysticism. And when you look at the skills that uh, Zoss is releasing with the Sijic line, a lot of them, you can find a lot of parallels in how, in what the lore is. So it's, it's really kind of neat. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, so this elder way was um, uh, it was really like this basic area of study, and it became mysticism. We're going to talk about mysticism here pretty quick, um, right? So these Sijics were also they were also believed to have maintained a portal in oblivion called the Dreaming Cave. Now, if this is on the island, I'm going to freaking flip out. If the Dreaming Cave is there, or any quest, or anything that eludes to the Dreaming Cave, because it's pretty cool. So this this portal in this cave was used by Sothasil, who, if you played through Morrowind, you'll understand, or Clockwork City, you'll understand who Sothasil is. He's one of the living mm-hmm. gods um, from Morrowind. Sothasil, who is rumored to have been a member of the Sigic Order, used this dreaming cave, the portal in this dreaming cave to meet with Daedric Princess. So I was like, that is cool. Everything ties to, you see the hip bones connected to the leg bone. I love it. Um, So let's talk about mysticism. So what is mysticism? And and I think I mentioned on the last cast too, I just mentioned a few minutes ago, I want to build a sorcerer around this, this Sigic line. Yes. a, a mystic. Absolutely. I really want to build a mystic sorcerer. So learning some, some about this, and we're going to talk about some of the spells, and some of the spells are going to be different from what we're going to see in ESO, but some of these are traditionally what you've seen in the other games and what's in the lore of what mystic, uh, mysticism spells are. But anyway, right. mysticism, what is it? So this is the main project or product of the Sigic Order. Uh, it's one of the six colleges of of magic on Tamriel. Um, not typically taught, um, but it is obviously well known from the Sijics. But it is probably the most least understood. Um, yes. And the reason being is this, because it is often described as a mage's ability to alter the nature of magic itself, manipulating magical forces and boundaries 
to bypass the structures and limitations of the physical world. So I had to read that like two or three times to get what it meant. But to me, it made a lot of sense in explaining how the Sigic Order is able to move an entire island and make it disappear and reappear at will. So I thought yeah. that was pretty darn cool. So Yeah, okay. just kind of step out of lore here. Um, if you kind of want to <laughs> see this used in Hollywood, uh, this whole mysticism line totally harkens back to Doctor Strange. If you are a yes. comic book fan, go watch Doctor Strange, and you will look forward to enjoying the whole mysticism skill line of of the uh, Sigic set much more. Well, shoot, just watching the um, some of the trailers of the new uh, content. It, you choking it, out there? I am kind of choking out here a little bit. I think um, <laughs> some of that mead <clears throat> went down my air hole. Oh. Yeah. Sound like, do I need to do I need to get that big burly guy over there, the Nord? No, Mr. I'm pretty good. I'm good Nordless. I'm good Nordless. All right. Um, All right. If I go He's down though, if I go down though, I am I expect you to run from here. It's a ways, but I expect you to run and fetch the town dock. And get back quickly. I'm okay, good. Deal. Yes, we're good. So, see, all it takes is more meat. Um, okay, so I digress. The Sigic Order and the way that mysticism works allows them to move their home. And that's really where the timeline is, is, is coming from. When Artem reappears, it had been gone for 350 years. Yeah. Which is a long time. Yeah. So, anyway. Um I kind of like this part, too. Through the use of conundrums and paradoxes, the users of mysticism are able to abandon logic to embrace a temporary sort of insanity to cast a wide array of spells. They sound like parents of small children to me, because I think I've been <laughs> in that state so, several right? times. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my gosh. Embrace yeah. a temporary sort of insanity to cast a wide array of spells. <laughs> Yep. That's okay. hilarious. <laughs> wow. So incredibly true. It can probably resonate with half our listener base, I would imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so some of yep. the spells that they can use. Um, the first type is called the transportation spell. Uh, these spells make it possible to travel to remote locations not accessible by other means and allows the caster to return quickly to a previously marked location, such as a shrine. Hmm. Might Sothasil have used this kind of spell to come from the mainland Tamriel to the Sigic Island of Artaeum in order to commune with the Daedric Princess? And we also see that with the ultimate undo. Going back in time for seconds. Yeah, absolutely. And and as a transportation spell, are we not utilizing some type of mysticism every time we port from one location to another? That's a valid point. It is a valid point. See, we're all mystics. Every one of us, we have it in us. Uh, then there's detection. One of us. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> then there's detection spells. These spells allow a caster to reveal the locations of life forms or objects of a magical nature. Um, okay. So, inner light in the mages' guild skill line. Good. Point. Yes. Wow. yes. So you can reveal the locations of life forms. It also gives you a giant magicka and um, 
And was it spell penetration or spell power buff? Um, yeah. Huge buff. So if you don't use inner light on your caster characters, use it. It's really good. Um, absorption spells enable the caster to transfer various types of energy, such as skills, health, or magicka, directly from the target to him or herself. Sounds okay. like the siphoning line to me for the Nightblade. Yep. Right? Kind of cool. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, reflection spells allows the caster to return a portion of incoming magical physical attacks back toward the target. Wow. Hmm. I like that. I, I know there's lots of skills like that already. So, um, you know, I just wonder by, by making these parallels between the skills that we already have, are they using some form of mysticism? Makes um, makes you wonder. Dispels. This skill allows a caster to remove an existing magical effect from the target. Mm-hmm. Then there's telekinesis spells. Allow the user oh, to move items without physically manipulating them. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, soul trapping. We all have that skill line. Uh, this right. skill allows a caster to store the soul of a creature within a gem and use it to create or recharge a magical artifact. So technically you can say every single Tamriel, Tamrielic person playing the game operates in a form of mysticism with soul right or they they at least know one you know one or two mysticism spells which i think is really cool for for it being so misunderstood and kind of shunned you know i thought that was kind of kind of interesting so um we already talked about vanis galarian he is the founder of the mages guild um i know you probably run into him especially if you do the mages guild stuff um, oh yeah, he was a known follower of the Sigic Order. He was a member. Um, during his time on Artaeum, he met and befriended a fellow student by the name of Manamarco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't you know? See, I'm talking about the hip bone connected leg bone. It's, it's all this stuff is connected, and it's so freaking cool. So, Manamarco, if you're not familiar with him, he is uh, he is an antagonist in the main storyline. Um, yeah. And you, things happen. You do things to him. Things happen. That he doesn't like, <laughs> unless you're a terrible player, then he might do things to you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Madam Marco is a, is a big part of the main, main quest line in ESO. Yep. And um, I'm sure everybody listening to the cast knows who Madam Marco is. So anyway, Vanis Galarian and Manamarco were very close friends. They did they were chums. They did everything together. They were cash and jibs. Right? Until one day Vanis bad. <laughs> I like how you made it you. <laughs> until well, no, you can't do it. Until one day um well actually even before that. They both had a great friendship and they both became masters of mysticism. Very important. Um Years later, Vanis Galarian discovered that Manamarco was using his mysticism skills to basically raise the dead. Um, now, this, according to Sigic practitioners and uh, mysticism practitioners, was considered extremely profane. Like, uh, yeah, we don't do that. You don't mess with the dead. That is a sacred thing. But Manamarco, being a worm was just decided to do that. And he was manipulating, he's starting to manipulate it into his own, for his own reasons. And so what happened is when Vanis found out, 
he was very conflicted because here you have you have your a close friend that's doing something that you don't want them to do. So Vanis decided to confront Manamarco and Manamarco just told him, Hey, we're friends but pound Sambro. I'm doing this. Right. So um, Manamarco and the other Sigics who didn't really find that hey, we, we don't see this as a problem. They all left the island. Manamarco took a bunch of Sigics with him and they never came back to Arteum. And then uh, later Galarian also left the Sigic Order and he went on to form the Mages Guild. So um, kind of an interesting history of where the Sigics come from what they're all about. You're going, we're going to be seeing a lot of stuff about mysticism and then how it kind of lends to the greater Tamriel. I mean, the Magus Guild is a major part of this game. And now you kind of know that Vanis Galarian was part of them. And not only yeah. from that, but the main storyline of the game. I mean, one of the main villains in this game was a Sijic. Right. So now we're going to get to walk on the island where he came from. And that, to me is huge i'm super pumped for that yeah absolutely i think the the vestigics is one of the main it's it's absolutely one of the things i'm most excited about and mo- and honestly i hope it's more than just a quest line i hope there's more of a reason to be there um on arteum with them um because I want to truly invest myself, my character, as much as I can into this. Like th- This, to me, is the equivalent, the Magicka equi- equivalent of you know, the Dark Brotherhood. Because the whole Dark Brotherhood, the whole, the whole draw of the Dark Brotherhood for so long, ever since, shoot, when I first started with, uh, uh, when I think they were mentioned in Morrowind, and then you saw them in Oblivion. You know, you had that whole quest line. It it was it was purely based off of mystery. You never fully like they always had this mysterious vibe about them with the Dark Brotherhood, and I see that so much with the Sigics. They're so mysterious. They are incredibly powerful, and now as a player, we can go there and we can take on their skill sets. We can learn more about them. And I just love... This is so brilliantly crafted and connected. Like, the whole lore, all of this. Right. I want, and I want to know where their... I want to know where their moral compass is. I want to know if yeah. Metamarco is, is a complete anomaly of the Sigic Order. And if they used their... This is going to sound so cheesy. I want to know if they use their power for good. Right. You know what I mean? And or I don't know what how, is good to them. Yeah, and, you know? and what's good to them? Where does their moral compass lie? So I'm really looking forward exactly. to running any kind of um, of quest line and learning as much about the Sigic Order as I can because I really think the School of Mysticism is in, is just incredible. I think um, I would attribute mystics to like a modern world um, monk. You know, yeah. where where the study of your inner being and meditation is such an important part of what they do. Um, mm-hmm. And I can see that in mysticism a little bit because, you, you know, you, they just have to reach inside of them um, and really trick themselves and then use meditation and stuff for recovery. And, and they're able to mm-hmm. manipulate 
the, the physical world. I think that's amazing. So I'm really looking forward to, to that skill line. Absolutely. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And again, I, I, there's so many things I look forward to about this expansion, but one of the main things is uh, the Sigic Order. This is, this is, they have a lot that they could really do with this because they could totally, I mean, just like the whole, and again, just like the whole Dark Brotherhood craze, even if you're not into it, the fact of how much of an impact the Dark Brotherhood as a faction, as a guild, have made on the Elder Scrolls franchise, dude, they could really flesh this out and make it into something grand that lasts for games to come. We know we have Elder Scrolls, uh, the next Elder Scrolls, possibly in development right now. Everything's being hush-hush. I mean, dude, they could totally go into it there and continue it on. I mean, there's so much here. Yep. So much here that could be done. So, I have a quick mention uh, about the reasons why we are here in Daggerfall tonight. Um, but I'm going to kind of allude a little bit to an article that we wrote about griffins in Tamriel. There seemed to be a lot of chatter about why are where the griffins come from. They came out of the blue... Oh my gosh, they're flying in the air and they're mounted. Are we going to get a? We're going to get flying mounts. Let me just put that to rest right now. No, we are not going to get flying mounts. Do I know for sure? Thank no, but I'm heavens. pretty darn sure we're not going to be getting flying mounts in ESO. And Don't I think ever do it. I think a lot of people are pretty thankful for that. But anyway, um, I wrote an article about um, the history of griffins in Tamriel. Just period. Like, where do they come from? There is not a lot of information out there. So go take a look at that article. Just a quick snippet. The reason that we are here in Daggerfall is because one of the only references to griffins that there are out there in the lore for us to grab is a griffin feather. And that came all the way back from the actual game of Daggerfall, which is Elder Scrolls 2. You were able to find and use a griffin's feather in the game uh, as a crafting um, crafting ingredient. So I thought we'd throw it in there. I know we've been to the Rosie Land before, but we came back because we kind of wanted to do the old Griffin Daggerfall feather thing. So anyway, go read the article. It's short. Um, just a little snippet about Griffins and Tamriel? Question mark. I love that Griffins have been a part of the Elder Scroll franchise that long, and it probably went under the radar for that long. Yeah, yeah it's high fantasy. Okay, well, it's that time. Lore lesson. Racial motives. Back. We're talking the Bosper. Yes, we are. I'm super excited. So, number one pro tip. There's a few pro tips in this one. The number one pro tip, don't drink rot meth. It <laughs> sucks. <laughs> That's an acquired taste. <laughs> I know. I've gone, I've since gone to a vanilla stout to mm. wash this down, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. okay, let's talk to Bosmer. I was super excited about this one. If you've listened to the show, you know that I'm a fan of our little woodies. Those, they're just so cute and they're so cool and they stink like jasmine and bad decisions. But and, anyway. <laughs> tree set. So let's talk, let's talk about our tree set folk. Um, the actual name Bosmer. Now remember, these are cousins of the high elves. They just came to a point where they figured out, yeah, you guys are kind of, you guys are kind of haughty, you're kind of douchey, we're out. Mm. 
So mm -hmm. let's talk about it. The name Bosmer itself is derived from the Aldmeri language. Bos meaning forest, mer meaning people. So Bosmer has a literal translation of forest people. Love um, many people also refer to them as tree sap people, but they don't take that as an <laughs> insult. They don't be like, oh, am I punching in your mouth? They don't do that because they take tree sap people uh, merely to suggest that they have a very wild vitality and like a youthful energy. So they're totally cool right. with it. They're totally cool with it. So as we alluded to during the first era, when society was starting to take off on Somerset, the, there was a certain portion of Altmer that did not care for the politics and the infighting and the structure um, that was taking place in Somerset. So they kind of chose to reject all the formalities of the civilized world that the Altmer were putting together. And they decided to say bye-bye to this lavish life. And then they ended up leaving for a life in the wilderness, like among nature, the trees and the animals and such. So yep. they bailed, they had gotten their ships and they bailed and they headed east, southeast, and they landed on the shores of Allenwood and where they landed, they just began a new life. And over time, they started to kind of adapt to it because Valenwood is, it's pretty bad. Untamed, is thick forests, all kinds of wildlife there, but they dug it. So they had to adapt to the, that changing environment, especially because it was so different from Somerset that, um, over time, they kind of slowly started to adapt to their different environments. So what were some of the changes? Well, one of the first changes is their size. They were finding that um, uh, through hunting, they had to do a lot of crouching. So over time, they started to shrink. Mm. So over time, they began to, um, to increase their agility. They began to get very, very agile with the things that they did. And as hunters they start their skin colors actually started to morph into the different shades of the forest. So I thought that was really freaking cool. Like some of them even like sprouted um, antlers, kind of like a fork and yeah. horn, like a, like a young buck. They started to, yeah. uh, to sprout antlers. So a lot of them like chose to decorate their bodies. I don't know if anybody's played a Bosmer before you can certainly relate to the fact that you can walk into a city, especially with Altmer there, and they'll be like, you'll walk by them, they'll be like, barbarian, savage. Like, you like oh turn, look gosh, at them, you're yeah. like, what, what the F did you just call me? But that they remember did. That, That's uh, what they did. <laughs> you remember that college from the Jester's Festival? Yep. Uh, that was gnarly, dude. That was gnarly what? racism. Yes, oh my bad. goodness! Do you, like, can you remember, I remember exactly what they said? I can't. I don't remember exactly, but I do remember you ran by the guy, and the guy said, "You can lend a hand once you've realized that your race is worthless." <laughs> I was like, "Yes, <laughs> pump the brakes!" What did that dude just say? What? Right? Holy cow! Yeah, yeah I mean, if anybody. Intense. Yeah, and I love the Altmer, but if anybody deserved to have their lip split, it was that freaking guy. It was like, wow. So, yes. Any, anyways. Mm. 
So, uh, so many of them choose to, to decorate their bodies. Many Bosmer decorate their bodies. A lot of it is just to camouflage, camouflage themselves, um, themselves into the earth tones of the forest because they do a lot of hunting. So speaking of hunting, at a very young age, most Bosmer are taught to hunt with a bow. So that's why you'll notice in ESO, they get racial passives um, and bonuses to bow, to the bow skill. And the reason being is because they are said to be among the most accurate and skilled archers in all of Tambrio. So um, okay. another interesting point about Bosmer is that they are, they're very proud because it, don't, don't forget, they are descended from the Altmer. Um, however, they're very humble and welcoming to outsiders. So, I mean, like entire races of people. As long as the people respect their customs, which we're going to talk about here, and their customs are significant. <laughs> Let's just say that. Right. As long as, <laughs> as, long as outsiders uh, respect that, they're incredibly welcoming. Like they will take you into their fold and just be like, just, you're fine. Live with us. We understand you're going through hardships. I'm not going to get too much into um, that part of the history because it, it gets pretty deep. Um, I mean, there's actually races that were trying to escape oppression that came to live with the Bosmer. And that's why, um, uh, that's why there were some like interbreeding and stuff that, that ended up happening later on after that, but I'm not going to really going to get into that stick with the Bosmer. So talking a little bit about their history and religion, it was very difficult for them to abandon the civilized life. But over time, not only physically did they adapt, but also spiritually and culturally, they kind of evolved and, um, they really truly became a forest people. Um, so one of the biggest things that, people talk about when they talk about the Bosmer is the green pact and the tenets of the green pact. Well, essentially what the green pact was, was a strict code that they followed in order to thank Ifray, who is, is like their main God, their main deity that they, they worship. They wanted to thank Ifray for providing the protections of the forest. So a little bit, about Yfrey. Let's talk a little bit about him real quick before we get back to the Green Pact. So the main religion of uh, Valenwood is, was out of the forest gods, and most notably Yfrey. So Yfrey was known, was one of the first Elnafe to die. And what is Elnafe? I was like, what the heck is Elnafe? Because you do see that in the lore within the game as well. You'll hear them refer to old Elnafe and Elnafe. Right. So Alnafe is also known as Earthbones. And basically what it is, the fated descendants of Adra, who literally walked Tamrail. So these were mortal beings. Um, and then also as well as ancestors of Men and Myrrh. So among other gods like Ariel, Arke, Mara, Stendar, and Lorcan, there's some other ones too. But the Bosmer worshipped several, but mostly Ifray. So they felt this close, close connection to, to Ifray. That's where the Green Pact was born. So the Green Pact was an agreement between the Bosmer um, and really them thanking Ifray for the protections that the forest granted. So this is where things get a little twisted. Because the Green Pact 
is truly the single most reason why many people consider Bosmer to be savages. Right. You'll probably agree <laughs> a little bit. But the, another thing that people don't understand is that this is like kind of a little more ancient times, like first era, a little bit in the second era, like like where we're living right now in Tamriel uh, in, for, with the ESO timeline. A little, there's still a little bit of it left. But for the most part, most modern day Bosmer don't follow every single tenet of the Green Pact. And they're a little bit more civilized uh, in the version that they follow. One in particular, one tenet in particular, which we'll go over here. So the rules of the Green Pact. Do not eat anything made from plant life. So mm -hmm. this, by nature, made most Bosmer very, very strict carnivores. That is a reason for small things like rotmeth, like that drink that I tried earlier that tasted like I didn't ever want to smell or touch it again. It's literally made <laughs> out of fermented meat, right? So yeah. I, I didn't say what I really felt because this is a family show, and that's just mm -hmm. how we roll. So anyway... Mm -hmm. Um, they couldn't even make regular alcohol because regular grain alcohol that you would make to, or that you would use to make alcoholic beverages comes from plant life. So they couldn't right. make that. So they their alcohol comes from fermented meat, really. So they were strict carnivores. I mean, like, that's all they ate was meat. Rule number two, do not kill wastefully and do not take on the shape of beasts. So you're like, What? Don't worry. Put that one in your pocket. We're going to talk about taking the sh taking on the shape shape of beasts here pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, rule number three. This one is by far the most astonishing rule of the Green Pact, because when outsiders hear this one, they're like, "Excuse me, what?" So, when enemies are conquered, no matter the species, their meat must be eaten, not mm. left to rot. So key phrase here being no matter the species. So that includes man, that includes myrrh, that includes any enemy that is killed, including humanoids. So which, what, uh, what, dude, which race know. do you think tastes the worst? <laughs> what part? <laughs> which the which armpit? race do you think just tastes the worst in general? Oh, dude, for sure Argonian. <laughs> Me, yep, that's what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to say. So, yeah. So that's kind of, it's kind of, that's a big deal. But there I mean, okay, there's some rules. There's some rules. So the rules with rule number 3, the cannibalistic rule, is that when an enemy is defeated, the meat must be consumed within 3 days. Ah, cool. I got food for 3 days. That's called meal prepping. Outstanding. So family members <laughs> of the warrior who slew the enemy may help with the meal. So not only are you dragging the corpse home from the battlefield to put on the rotisserie, but you're feeding it to mama and baby girl. Mm. That's freaking twisted. <laughs> Super freaking twisted. Yep. <laughs> so, okay. So anyway, that is ancient times. Keep in mind, most of rule number three has been eliminated by those who follow the pack. So most people still follow, do not eat anything made from plant life, um, and don't wastefully kill or take on the shape of beasts. So most Bosmer, however, 
at the current time, there actually is a quest line in Grotwood that you can run that kind of goes through one of these old school green packed tribes of Bosmer. Um, and you kind of help them out a little bit, but they still follow all the tenets of the green pact. So be careful and take an escort because it is gnarly in that part of the forest, but that does still, um, take place in some of the most remote territories in Valenwood. The other thing to consider is that these rules are only, they're very strict within the Valenwood. So if you leave Greenshade, Grotwood, or those areas, these rules don't apply. But anybody coming into these areas and cutting down trees and stuff like that, that is where the Bosmer take offense. Serious offense to that. Right. So, okay. Another very important part of Bosmer religion. And this is where we talk about rule number two not taking on the shape of beasts. There is an ancient magical ritual that is performed by the Bosmer of, of the Valenwood, which is also part of the Green Pact. So, Bosmeri lore holds that after the creation of the mortal plane, everything was in chaos. So, um, the first mortals to step foot were said to have the ability to turn into plants and animals and back again. Now, this is all through the use of magic. So, right. Bosmer have been... Have, it's It's been legend that Bosmer have been able to resort to animal shapes if needed in this most dreaded, quote-unquote, most dreaded transformation is called the Wild Hunt. So, the way this worked was... Um, the purpose of the Wild Hunt was it kind of varied so from an act of it was from an act of vengeance getting back at somebody to a tool of war like if somebody invaded um they would basically turn into monsters and stampede everything in its path changing their form constantly all through the use of magic changing their form constantly slaying and devouring everything in their path and then eventually, when nothing else was alive, none of their enemies were alive, they would turn upon themselves in a very cannibalistic way. And this is actually in Wiki described as a cannibalistic something else, but it's a family show, so I'm not really... You can look it up if you want to. I'm not going to talk about that part of it. Um, so, hmm. yeah. So, I mean, like, I was, like, looking at this just going, oh, the first time I read it, I was like... What? So the the way the, the way the wild hunt has been described is a flood of horrific beasts, tentacled toads, insects of armor and spine, gelatinous serpents, vaporous beings with the face of gods, blind in fury, a pack of shifting forest demons and animal gods, thousands strong, sweeping through the countryside, killing everything in its path. That, that does not sound. It doesn't sound like a good Sunday at church. Nope. <laughs> it sounds terrible. That sounds pretty it's, awful. <laughs> I know, and it's like I I would love for an Elder Scrolls game to really grab hold of this and go for it. So, 
the next uh, installment of Elder Scrolls single player game? Let's do Valenwood. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Holy cow. Even if it was like a new uh, quest line or something that, that really oh, showcased that. Like that yeah. whole you know, the whole tribal man. That's yes. intense. I like it. The Wild Hunt. Super freaking cool. And speaking of put that in your pipe and smoke it, when Bosmer smoke things, they do not smoke anything that is plant life. They actually smoke grubs. Dried grubs. That's disgusting. That's different. <laughs> it's disgusting is what it is. Ugh. Dude, so. I see now. I understand why their bodies changed. I get it. Right. Like the alt, the Altmer, they change their stride and they, they live like another hundred years. These guys, they hunch over, they get shorter, they grow antlers, they eat people. And... They're smoking yep. some nasty stuff. <laughs> Don't eat the people. Don't eat the people. So if you're interested, gosh, I feel in like learning... I just want to go wash my hands now after listening. You really should. You should take a. Sh- you should go wash and bleach. If you want to learn more about the Wild Hunt, um, there is there's like a long series of books. Uh, I think it's Morrowind, Oblivion, and Skyrim that mention the wild hunt like it's a long book in great detail so um go look for it it's out there you can actually wiki it too it's on wiki and um the whole thing is on there but it very in-depth talks about the wild hunt it's it's pretty gnarly Mm. so we talked a little bit about about the religion um i wanted to talk to you about housing and if you've seen the housing that's available for bosmer it's um it's all very very tree tree-ish looking well well, how do they build houses well they don't build them they grow them because they cannot they can't use the wood now the funny part is they can't use the wood within Valenwood but they can still import stuff from other areas so it's like only the Valenwood that's all we care about but we'll take your crap send it in (laughs) (laughs) send me in a skip loader full (laughs) send me in a skip loader full of lumber (laughs) So anyway, burn down they, your forest, um, but don't you dare touch mine. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, Bosmeri villages are are actually built from live trees, and it's they do it through through a ritual, and um, they grow these dwellings called pods. And uh, if you've seen the ones available, the housing available in the game, I actually on on one of my Bosmer characters, I have the. Um, Ooh, I forget the name of the state, but it's a giant forest area, and you get like three of those really big pods. Um, it's very, very Bosmer, and that's um, that's my one of my main houses. So, anyway, the um, like I said, the Green Pact really only dictates what happens inside Valenwood. So, you know, materials can be imported from the outside. It just they end up being very expensive right. because the trade routes are usually overgrown. And the Bosmer will not maintain those trade routes. So usually it's the outside traders that are coming in, usually the Altmer, who are coming in to trade, and they'll maintain the roads. So kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, we talked about it a little bit before. If anybody comes in from the outside and like tries to fell trees or anything like that, and they're an outsider, it's very, very strictly enforced by Bos- uh, Bosmeri religion. So... 
right. we already talked about how they're extremely hospitable, although you know they've been known to be very, very fierce warriors and very protective of nature. Their hospitality is like second to none. Um, there is a couple of quest lines in ESO that eludes to spinners. And basically what a spinner is, is a Bosmer priest. So they're very close followers of Euphrae. And they're among the most um, spiritual people among the Bosmer. So mm -hmm. really what they do, it's kind of like, I kind of attribute it to like, a, um, they're like um, a bard of the forest really is what they do. But they don't sing, but they talk in metaphor. So they, often they live solitary lives. Yeah. And they just, they constantly study um, to learn the strong magical prowess and keen insight and then they're often called upon for guidance when trouble finds its way into Valenwood. So they're very solitary. They talk in riddles. You know, kind of sounds a little bit like my wife a little bit, but um, <laughs> she's she's at work right now, so I could say that. <laughs> she's like, she's like, hey, are you gaming? I'm like, I'm like, uh, yeah. And before I can finish, and she's out the door. Sweet. See you in a bit. <laughs> I love, I love my wife. She's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. I love yeah. It. So, uh, real quick, um, real quick fun fact: the quest line that I was talking about um, within the game details the Karthdar tribe, one of the few tribes left in Valenwood who still follow the Green Pact in its entirety, including the consumption of their enemies. So, Holy make sure you have cow. somebody to go with you. So real quick as we close, we're going to talk about some notable Bosmer um, within Elder Scrolls Legends. There is Elena Banach. She is a Bosmer. Uh, there's the Jaxper. They are... A, actually, the Jaxper outfit is a wearable, wearable outfit in ESO. And what Jaxper actually is is a rank in a Bosmer hunting party um, by their long-distance um, bowmen and bowwomen. Ooh. Yes. Cool. And then one that you can actually see in Morrowind and Oblivion is Orin Bearclaw. He is a very legendary Bosmer hero available in the, in those two games. So awesome. I hope you liked this lore lesson because I was, was super excited about it. Yeah, I didn't man, I'm this is probably by far uh I would say definitely up to this point the most interesting like I didn't know any of this stuff. I had never heard any of this. Like I, you yeah. know, I obviously knew about the dark elves. I'm on our dark elf main. Uh, we, I knew uh, of you know the Altmer, but this I was coming completely green into this. This is so, like I, I fully appreciate them even more. You know, once you get this whole backstory of the the whole forest life, and they're essentially um, the. ESO version of like an African tribe is kind of what I I get from them is very you know, much like, so that's the translation you know like they're yep. so incredibly isolated and very um uh I don't want, I wouldn't say barbarian well probably yeah in some ways but what'd you call me so incredibly tribal you heard me yep sap yeah but I, but I, I love that about <laughs> them that they could leave a civilized society get on a ship peace out we're gone and then they come into this this incredibly untamed wilderness 
and they thrived. It's the ultimate story of survival and adaptation. And at the same time, they kept their, their hearts open to people who wanted to come in or, or were trying to escape something else and ran into them. They're just, their hospitality is legendary. It's freaking poetic, man. It's freaking poetic. Oh my gosh. What's happening? All right. Well, everyone, we hope you enjoyed this episode. This was, I'll be right there. Okay. Well, it is that time again. We are back with a brand new lore lesson. And this one was a big deal. A lot of you guys were really stoked about it. We put this out on Twitter. And I'll be honest with you, I was pretty surprised at the reaction. You guys are really in love with your Nords. That being said, this is Lord Lesson number eight, continuing the series, Cash the Nords. That is true. And the funny thing about this is that uh, some of the comments that we got on Twitter was like, seriously, dudes, it's about freaking time. So (laughs) it's quite apparent that everybody loves Nords or there's a lot of folks out there that love Nords. I have a special shout out to Agelos. Um, Agelos is the host of Tales of Tamriel, which is another podcast uh, for ESO, one of the original podcasts for ESO. And he, <laughs> the funny thing is, is he's a huge Nord lover and a huge Altmer hater. So him and I kind of <laughs> go back and forth a little bit That's on awesome. it. I think it's hilarious, but it's it's all in good fun, and he's good people. So if you haven't listened to their cast, you should also give a try to um, uh, Tales of Tamriel. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about the Nords. The Nords. They are also known as the Sons of Snow, which is the reason why you can probably cut glass with my nipples right now as I'm sitting in this tavern. I'm freaking freezing. <laughs> it's cold up here. So... These race of men hail from the province of Skyrim. Yes, I understand that Skyrim is not in ESO yet. Give them some time. <laughs> um, so anyway, the Nords, as as a general mention, they their life, their culture revolves around their quest for honor and glory with a very strong emphasis on family and community. Right. And if you've played through the... New life event, which is around Christmas time, then you would you could definitely definitely see this. Absolutely. So, so their culture is super diverse. Uh, the Nords celebrate their culture and their history through music, food, art, education, festival, holidays, uh, architecture. It's pretty damn rustic, from what I can see. It's definitely not Almer. I will tell you that. Yeah. And religion. Yeah, so I'm trying to say it. Maybe I should say it a little quietly so I don't get my friggin' lips split open, but it is what it is. <laughs> so one thing about Nords is that they are so popular and such an integral part of Elder Scrolls lore that they have appeared in every single game to date. Every single Elder Scrolls game, Nords are there. Why do you think that is? Like, What is it that's so drawing? Like, I like the Nords too, and I, I honestly can't put my finger on it. Maybe it's just because of how like how open they are to you, how welcoming they are. I don't. I honestly have, or maybe it's just because of Sky, the success of Skyrim. Like I don't. No, gosh, I honestly so think it's because well loved. people are freaking scared of them. <laughs> have you seen them, bro? 
Have you not seen Lyris? Have you smelled them? Bro, when I play on my Bosmer, I am literally, my face is at Lyris's belly button. <laughs> not that that's a bad thing. Oh my gosh. Because she's beautiful. She's a beautiful <laughs> northern woman. <laughs> Okay. That could Quote, possibly eat me. She's a beautiful northern woman. <laughs> that, that could possibly eat me in one meal. Before, me as a Bosmer could possibly eat her. Now, I only have three days as a Bosmer to eat her if I were to fell her in battle. I'm pretty sure it would take me a week or two. There's those of you who send us tweets or quotes from the show. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It is what it is. That's what that's what happens when you put uh, two dumbasses in a room together. That's what you're going to get. <laughs> uh, da, da, da. <laughs> so speaking of the size of Nords, let's talk about their physical appearance and some of their traits. Um, uh, very much unlike me, who comes from a very fair weathered part of Tamriel, mm. they have a natural resistance to frost. Uh, their home is in very, uh, very much cold climates. Uh, on the planet of Nern. So they are known to be very, very large and hardy men and women with light skin, fair hair, and considered extremely resilient to their adverse conditions. That's what they came up in. It's no different than the Bosmer. You just evolved to your environment. So Nords are more muscular than most races by nature and considered to be extremely skilled warriors, which is why you see most a lot of stamina-based characters going the way of the Nord. So a little bit about their history and religion. Skyrim, who everybody knows about, mm -hmm. is the northernmost region of Tamriel and is one of the oldest civilizations inhabited by men in the early uh, Merithic area, or Merithic era, thousands of years ago. So Skyrim, which is where typically where they're from, we'll talk a little bit about their about where they came from before, but. Skyrim as a whole is governed by, uh, it has nine holds. Each of the nine holds is governed by a Jarl who keeps the civility and order in, in each of their designated holds. The Jarls are very, very independent, but they still have to swear fealty to whoever Skyrim's high king is at the time. Right. Right. So, and if you played through Skyrim, then, you know, they have like a certain way they sit on their chair and each is their own you know, personality. Kind of, they have their own personality. They, have, they, they all have a little bit of swagger. So, but uh, Skyrim was very, very well done in their telling of Nordic history. So, if you haven't played Skyrim, I won't tell you to break your console or any of that <laughs> stuff. Just go buy the freaking game. It's epic. It's one of the best games in the last 10 years. Freaking play it. Okay, so there's that. All right. So the early Nordic ancestors traveled from an ancient continent. The ancient continent, which is the actual northernmost continent of Nern, is called uh, Atmora, with an A-T. Mm. So Atmora, uh, most of the modern inhabitants of Skyrim are descendants from the people who migrated from this area. So... History claims that a great civil war took place in Atmora, and then there was a Nordic hero by the name of Isgrimor. He gathered as many Atmorans as he could, and they sailed south. 
and eventually they came ashore of the northern area of Skyrim, which is known as uh, Hazarak Head. That's where supposedly they landed. Now, contrary to popular belief, many people believe that Isgrimor and his crew, or and his group of people that uh, that migrated, were the first people to step foot on Tamriel, or at least on this area of Tamriel. That's not true. So, little fun fact for you. There had been several pilgrims from Atmora who had already left Atmora and established on Tamriel. Um, so when Isgrimor arrived, they already found men and myrrh living together, like right. peacefully. And uh, so to them, it was kind of like, holy crap, we're not the first people here. So it didn't take long for that to kind of sour because the indigenous people in that particular area... This might flip a, a few of you out. There were something called the Snow Elves. The Snow Elves, indigenous to the area, began to realize that if man was left unchecked, eventually they would outnumber the Snow Elves, and they decided to put a stop to it and halt any expansion by man. So, at the genesis of this forethought, they decided to attack and this, it led to a massacre known as the Night of Tears, where a very, very large amount of um, snow elves basically leveled the city of Sarthal, which is where a lot of the Nords were, and they burned it to the ground. So not only did the snow elves believe that the expansion of the Nords was going to be detrimental to their own population, but they also believed that the city of Sarthal had a great source of power that the Nords were hiding. So the Snow Elves wanted to acquire the power for themselves and they ended up raising the city. Mm -hmm. So, and actually, if you if you go to the game of Skyrim and you look just south of Winterhold, you can see remnants of this destroyed city of Sarthal. So I thought, I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's so pretty cool. awesome. It's in the lore. It's in the lore. It's in the wiki. I mean, Lord it's life. a thing. Lord like. I know. So... <laughs> Okay, so I have some more fun facts for you because this stuff just doesn't stop. I mean, awesome stuff. So in the first era, King Harald, he was a direct descendant from Isgrimor, unified Skyrim, and he drove the Snow Elves and also their allies, the Aliens, out of the province. Like, peace out, dudes. We're bigger. We're stronger. We like the snow. You guys are out. Right. So it later led to a period known as the Skyrim Conquests, where the first empire of Nords took control of basically all northern regions of Tamriel, including like Mor uh, Morrowind, High Rock, and north the northern parts of Cyrodiil. So, here's another little fun fact. I got a lot of them in this one because the Nords are a very interesting people. One of the Nordic kings of the first era is by the name of King Borgus. He was actually killed. This is going to hearken you back to last episode. Mm-hmm. He was actually killed during a conflict with the Bosmer of Aelinwood in the Bosmer ritual known as the Wild Hunt. I read that and said, perfect timing. Right? This was written for us. Right? So I thought that was super cool. Yeah. If you don't know what the Wild Hunt is, go listen to the last episode and we do a whole lore lesson on the Bosmer. Literally one of the most interesting uh, lore lessons we've done to me. Like, that was incredible. It's awesome. Guaranteed, after that episode, you will either completely love 
or completely run away from Bosmer every time you run into them in the game. Because <laughs> they're kind of awesome, but they're really freaking terrifying yeah, when you think really about psychotic. the crap they do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, anyway, we digress. So, let's talk about the Second Era a little bit. Um, the conflict continued on the border regions of Skyrim. The Nords, at the time, being led by General Hjalti Earlybeard. I love that, because it means like his beard hasn't quite grown in yet. Right. Does that sound familiar, JB, to well, you? Well, I don't know. You're the one with that one, so you tell me. Oh! Well, that... Yeah, <laughs> next round's on that guy. <laughs> a, a story for another episode. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> they uh, they were led by General uh, Hjalti Earlybeard. Mm-hmm. They ended up being in a stalemate with the Reachmen of High Rock. Reachmen of High Rock, we haven't quite gotten there yet, but those are the Bretons. Mm-hmm. Um, so General Hialti received a visit by Ysimir, who is a Nord King Spectre. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to pause there because I didn't quite look up Nord King Spectre yet, but they sound freaking badass. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, well, if you think of Spectre, when I think of Spectre, I think of lore break. I think of Mass Effect. The Spectres were badass in that game. So I'm like, ooh, a Spectre. That must be good. Right. So anyway, this Nord King Spectre by the name of Ismir taught Hjalti the way of the voice. Might seem to ring a bell for some of you. Uh, allowing King Hjalti to shout down the walls of the nearly impregnable fortress occupied by the Reachmen at the time. Wow. Sounds very familiar. So the Nords ended up, because of this, because of this power that was that was found, the Nords claimed victory and General Hjalti became a legend. He was given the name, wait for it, Talos. If you hearken back to our early episodes, we talked about the nine divines versus the eight divines. The ninth divine, highly, highly debated still, was Talos. This man, General Hjalti Earlybeard, because he was taught the way of the voice, became Talos. That is rad. It is rad. Now, if you don't totally dig on this I'm going to stop talking about lore it's the coolest thing (laughs) freaking ever if you've played through Skyrim you're like oh my god I totally get it now if you didn't know before so to me it was I mean super super familiar reading through this stuff and and really kind of diving into the Nords what an incredibly rich culture they have oh agreed Um, right so a little more about Talos of Dragon's Blood, later assumes the name of Tiber Septum and goes to occupy and conquer several uh, several more territories. And I know you all have heard about Tiber Septum, especially if you played Skyrim. He's just the name in, in that game. So yeah. he ends up becoming the emperor and one of Tamriel's most famous, famous figures after uniting all the northern contents. Oh, my word. Continents. <laughs> Because Bourbon Barrel Stout's awesome. Um, <laughs> and upon his death, Tiber Septum becomes n- known as a deity, Talos. And then he, he ends up being revered as the ninth of the divines, which I stated before is widely debated. People don't think that people 
who have walked on the earth, a man who has walked on the earth, are worthy of being, of having godlike status. But anyway, it's obvious the North was super into him. The Stormcloaks, Stormcloaks versus Imperials, the whole thing just kind of manifested from there. And that's forms the basis of Skyrim, really. Right. So this all took place in the Second Era. Uh, not very, very long after the events of Elder Scrolls Online. So it's a little past us right now, but um, yeah, all Skyrim mm-hmm. era. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the fourth era. Although Skyrim seemed relatively healthy during this time, um, the uh, Oblivion, Oblivion Crisis had taken place in southern Tamriel once that was over. Uh, fourth era, year 171, a war broke out between the Aldmeri Dominion and the Empire of Tamriel. Uh, both sides suffering pretty significant losses, but eventually a treaty was formed between the two sides. So as part of the agreement, Talos worship was banned by the blades. This is kind of where Skyrim comes in. Um, the Blades, as you all know, if you've played through Skyrim, is the elite group of warriors that were tasked with protecting the emperors of Tamriel. So as part of this treaty, they were disbanded. And then another familiar name, the Thalmor, were given the freedom to move freely throughout the entire empire, hunting down both Talos worshippers and the last of the Blades, which becomes the basis for the game of Skyrim. Right. Um from this, the Stormcloaks would uh, would be formed by Ulfric Stormcloak, mm-hmm. who, if you've played through the game, you meet him on the freaking cart. Right. Right at the beginning of the game. So he's right there. Uh, he was a Jarl of, Will, of Will, uh, Windhelm, and he was um, one of the rebel leaders against the Empire. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk a little bit about religion. The Nords had a very, very spiritual relationship with the sky goddess of Kinnereth because of her association with the Thum or the Storm Voice. Uh, Kinnereth was, was the goddess who gave men the ability to use it. Um, Nords had the ability to articulate these words into very powerful voices in the form of a shout. Also very indicative Skyrim. Um, and for this reason, many Nords use the expression, wind guide you. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. (laughs) Isn't that cool, dude? Oh, that's so cool. I know, and you hear, you can hear that in Skyrim. You hear Nords say it. Right. I want to go play Skyrim right now. That is amazing. Dude, what what a great off game to play. Oh, it's, yeah. You know what I mean? Even if you play for a few hours a day, or, hey, look, maybe I'm tired of doing Ritz for a day. I want to learn a little bit more about lore. I go to Skyrim. Yeah, so. this and even not to get off topic, but they just also made uh, Morrowind backwards compatible for console. For those of you who play console, so get involved in that. You too. shut your dirty mouth right now. It's only fifteen dollars on the Microsoft Store. Bye. Oh <laughs> my God! <laughs> Does it look any better than the Blockheads did in Morrowind? Cause I'm pretty confident it will not. But uh. Well, I know there is supposedly there is a Morrowind. Um, supposedly there is a Morrowind remake that's coming out with the same engine that they made Skyrim in. I Skywind, think? I think, is what it's called. Oh my God! The fact you knew that makes me like you even more. Mm, well, I'm liking. Will, will you? Will you be my friend? <laughs> I'll consider it. 
<laughs> Other notable worship by the Nords include uh, Lorcan, Kine, and Mara. And then let's talk a little bit about some notable Nords. I'm sure you're going to recognize some of these voices or some of these names. Brynjolf, very high-ranking member of the Thieves Guild who you become a uh, Nightingale with in the game of Skyrim. There's also Jurgen Windcaller. He's the founder of the Greybeards. And then some notable Nords in ESO. My favorite giant woman. Because she's really <laughs> good looking. Of the North. Yep. She's a woman of the North. <sighs> and forever one of my loves. You gotta get Lyra's a tattoo. It doesn't matter. That's a big ass tattoo. <laughs> Bro. Even if you scaled her down, that tattoo is three quarters your body. Oh, man. You can't get all the detail in if it's not at least 75% of your body. This is, this is easily a five-foot tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's going to take you some years to get that thing done. Tattoo artists are busy lately. Oh, my gosh. All right, so uh, oh. other, other notable Nords in ESO, Joran the Scald King and Archmage Shalador, who will drive you nuts. Oh, right. But, yeah, he's there. So anyway, Man. I hope you guys enjoyed the Nords because I really dig reading the lore. And they're, just as always, we are giving you the Cliff's, Cliff's Notes. Enter my mind, Vestige, and walk with me through the shadows of past events. All right. Well, he's the prophet's showing up. It's it's that time. It's last part of the uh, last part of the episode here. We got a lore lesson on the uh, on the Bretons. Go on, my friend. Yes, sounds a good one. And cheers to the Bretons. Raise a glass. Very nice. <laughs> I actually switched from sour, whatever it was that I ordered was terrible. So. I'm now drinking meat again. Thank you very much. My friends, hmm. let's all get together and talk the Bretons. Yes. Yeah. So, used to think they were kind of boring. Don't anymore. Did a little research on them. Turns yeah. out they're pretty interesting. And now I'm kind of wondering why I don't have a Breton character. Jibs? Wow. That's a... Okay. I that's, don't have a Breton character. I, I might that, need to do this. Why don't I have one of each? It's because you're, you're Altmer racist. <laughs> it's bla I am an Altmer racist. It's blasphemy. Honestly, I should have one of each. So anyway, oh, man. let's talk about the Bretons, my friends. They are the elven human descendants hailing from the province of High Rock, which is where we're at. Uh, many have speculated that they are the descendants of the Nedic race, which was an early race of man uh, way back in the first era. And the Aldmer. So they're thinking they're a mix between the Nedic and the Aldmer. While many others speculate that they are at Morin, who, when we covered the Nords, you'll remember at Mora is where the Nords came from. So others are speculating that they're a mix between at Morin and Aldmer blood. So you're really? looking Nord and Aldmer mix. How does this happen? Huh. Let me regale you with tales. I will show okay. you. All right. So um, the Altmer at one point had considered making a new race 
with their own, what they considered elder and superior blood by mating with another race. I know they're so rad. So um, they, they consider this by mating with another race. Um, and because of that, the Bretons are also speculated to have come from that and are sometimes refer- referred to as man, Mary, which I, I lolled. I mean, man, Mary, really? Mary, man. So let's talk a little bit about High Rock, where we're at. This is the most western region of Tamriel, bordered by Hammerfell, bordered by Skyrim. But this is the land of the Bretons. As a matter of fact, when I got here today, I picked up a lore book that was very Breton. It was awesome. Right on the beach, I was trying to avoid a killer world boss that in the form of a crab. And I literally had aggro. I'm running by... I'm running by this lore book. And of course me, I'm like squirrel. So I had to run off the aggro before I could turn back around and go get the, go get the lore book. So anyway, I pick up this lore book all about high rock, all about the Bretons. And I literally sat there with this crab, like snarling at me and I'm reading this lore book. So anyway, That's it's hilarious. there. It's, it's really, it's really cool. So, okay. High rock, probably one of the most well-known parts of High Rock, besides it being a very beautiful, hilly, scenic landscape. Um, right. It's got villages and towns and very fertile soil, so a lot of people want to farm here. But High Rock houses the Adamantine Tower. Mm-hmm. This is now known, as we spoke about, as the Dureni Tower, and we will get to that. Um, there's a very small island in the Iliac Bay that houses the Adamantine Tower. So... This structure is very widely known to be the oldest structure in Tamriel. If you read the ancient texts, the Adamantine Tower was said to have been crafted in the Dawn Era, which is where the, the Adra were first together. Remember the Adra, that was lore lesson one. The Adra are our ancestors. The Daedra Correct. are not our ancestors. So in the Dawn era, the Adamantine Tower was said to be used by the Adra as a meeting place for them while they decided the very fate of Nern. So it is generally the oldest structure on Tamriel. It's really cool. I know. So um, when the first Ald Mary first came to the region, that tower was already here. So that tells you how old that tower is. Now, in ESO, unfortunately... You cannot get to that tower, but from the shoreline where we are at, at Coglin Village, you can't. As a matter of fact, there's a there's a dolmen that's even closer to it. Um, unfortunately, you cannot swim there. Um, the sla- the slaughterfish will kill you. You you will die. It may or may not have Slaughter. been tried. <laughs> yeah, I may or may not have tried to swim there, and <laughs> I died a that's terrible awesome. death. So anyway. Can't well get done. there. It doesn't matter how many buffs or whatever you got on you. are just not going to make it. So <laughs> don't do it. But I do ate it. my food. <laughs> don't do it. So anyway, little fact about the Adamantine Tower. But you can see it. And that makes it mysterious and awesome at the same time. It's there. Just can't get there. Mm. Okay. So there's also evidence that early beast men, I liked this part, early beast men of an unknown variety may have been the original inhabitants of High Rock, 
but the Aldmer from Somerset were the first known settlers of the region to actually start building communities. So once again, hand it to the high elves. They ain't so bad. There you go. That's right. I like them one more. I know. So when when I was doing my research and reading my lore books, this evidence of early beastmen did not set well with me. I'm like, really? That's super general throw out. Give me some love. What the heck is a beastman and where did they come from? Turns out there is no additional evidence about any known beastmen. So it kind of remains a mystery as to what these beastmen are. If you know, please get a hold of us on our bulletin board at Twitter. Thank you. Because um, I would like to know. But there's really no other that I could find. There's really no other information on what these early beastmen were. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about Breton and their origins in the Merithic era, uh, era. It was said that these very Nidic people arrived and were quickly overwhelmed and absorbed by the more refined and highly sophisticated culture of the Altmer, Aldmer at that time. So this intertwining of the culture kind of led to interbreeding and hence the creation of the Bretons. There is a tale that is told. It's told in a lore book. And then it's also told, um, it's told through, through the wikis that I read, the lore books I read about <laughs> this meeting between the Nidic people and the, and the Aldmer and what happened and all that stuff. So anyway, one such tale speaks about an encounter that these halflings had with a Nordic raiding party. So this Nordic raiding party attacked a group of Altmer. They thought it was Altmer. Once most of them were dead, they kind of did a little bit closer inspection. They were actually talking to a mongrel race of uh, elven human ancestry. And it was presumed to be the last members of a lost Nidic tribe. Well, this lost Nidic tribe was speculated that they had interbred with the Aldmer and created what they now call Manmary or Man-Elf. Today, we just call them Bretons. So, yes, in, in essence, in that long story I just told, Bretons are half-elf, half-man. I had no and idea they, about that. Yeah. So, because of that, they have their traits and their physical appearance is, like, right in between the two. So, although they may look a lot like man, they still will have, you have to look, but they will still have some more refined traits that the high elves have. So medium builds, fair skin, fair hair, high cheekbones. And then if you look and actually you can build this into your character, into character creator, you can build your, your Breton to have a slight point to their ears. Now it's not like full knife ear, like (laughs) it's not full knife ear, like full Altmer. You never right. go full Altmer. Never go full Boston. Never go full but, they, but you can. There'll be like a little point. Just nice. Just a little bit. But it's there. Right. So, uh, but they also got some, some insane traits of both races. So, Bretons are highly intelligent. Very outgoing. Which is probably why a lot of them end up being very good um, in the theater. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, some Bretons have man-like physique, so they're going to be a little bit more muscular than your than your uh, 
than your basic level Altner, right. who are usually, you know, tall, thin, not so muscular, right. but, um, you know, lean. But um, some of them will have more, more of a frail frame and some of them will have more like, you know, like man physique. Most of them, however, do have inherited magical affinity that they got from the elves. So pretty cool, which makes them very formidable spell spellcasters. Hmm. So there's absolutely no doubt that they are outstanding spell weavers and very gifted in the arcane arts over the years as they've, as they've learned. They are not the best at physical combat, but they do have natural ability to resist and cast spells that would normally overwhelm most people. So on top of their arcane prowess, they also are very, very hardy. So they have pretty much the best of both the human race and the elven race. It's a perfect breed. <laughs> Ooh. Easy on the old master race thing there, Chips. <laughs> Slow what? Oh, down. No, I didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> master hybrid build. <laughs> there. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Bretons do share a very strong culture and language that leads back to their or, to their origin as humans, um, and is also accentuated by intermingling with the Altmer and the Nidic people during that first era. But during this time, when men were held as slaves by elves, this was said to have led to. And we talked about this a little bit before, but it has it was said to have led to the masters impregnating their female captives. You know, bingo, bango. Hmm. Next thing you know, someone's mm-hmm. got a bun in the oven. Someone's throwing up in the morning. Blamo. All of a sudden, you got a little baby Breton. <laughs> Happens just like that. <laughs> just like that. So all of a sudden, somebody's craving pickles and ice cream and peanut butter. And boom, Breton. So Bretons are, are known for being very passionate, very eccentric, very poetic, very flamboyant, and very willful. They're also known for their incredible skills in alchemy, food preparation, provisioning, also uh, selling their creations. The Bretons, here's another thing about Bretons. A large part of Breton history and society was trading and commerce. I thought that was pretty cool. I investigated further. What else did I find? My friends, I'm going to share it with you. The history and religion of the Bretons. When you look back to the history of Bretons and High Rock, they were truly shaped in the first era. And really, like I just talked about, through commerce, although it took centuries to do, it was really through commerce that the Bretons became the dominant force in High Rock. So for most of the first era, the region was really dominated by an elven family known as Clan Dereni. Sound familiar? Boom. Clan Dereni was also very successful in their economic and military power, but they ended up becoming known as the Dereni hegemony um, and expanded their reach to nearly a quarter of Tamriel before they realized that they were spread too far. They were overextended. And by the time they were overextended, they eventually ended up being overtaken by the Bretons and the Nords, um, in some of the northern territories because they were spread so far. So it ended up, Clan Dereni ended up coming to an end and then the Bretons and the Nords ended up extending their reach. The Bretons through commerce, the Nords through war, 
but eventually the Bretons became the dominating force in the region, and it was mainly because of assimilation. So they not only were outstanding at trade and commerce, but they were also incredibly good at breeding. So <laughs> they just <laughs> populated the cities good with at tons making of money Bretons. and making babies. I know. So <laughs> <laughs> So what somebody's making a lot of love, and all of a sudden they got a ton of Bretons, and they turned them into little Breton businessmen and women. <laughs> so hey, I gotta hand it to them; they're not they're not doing it by blood, you know. Not it's, it was they weren't completely innocent in that. There were skirmishes here and there, and they actually ended up gaining control by numbers in a lot of small vi- villages, and then eventually in the larger cities. Like right. uh, Daggerfall and then Camlorn, but by the end of the first era, High Rock became known as the land of the Bretons. And today, in the SO, as we play, they still dominate uh, control of the region within our timeline. Pretty cool. It is cool. It's I didn't nice to there was so much into business. I know it's nice to finally get not so much blood. There's like, you know what I mean. Yeah. Trust me, not that I don't like the death and destruction because I thrive on it when I play with my character. I melt faces, but all day, all day. But it's nice to have you know a, a, something a little more diplomatic. It's a change of pace, you know. It's, it's a nice change a of different, pace. You know, it's a different view, right? It's cool. So, but the, th- the nice thing about the Bretons is that if you screw with them, they may be diplomatic, but they'll reach a certain point to where they too. Will melt your face. So <laughs> it's kind of cool. Yep. So the Bretons, you would see, you would think, with all of this expansion and spread, you would think that the Bretons were united as a people because of the influence that they had gained in High Rock and then the surrounding territories. But you'd be wrong. They were definitely not without their own internal strife. Let's not forget that they are part Altmer. Um, so many small walled city-states ended up being formed in which the Bretons kind of became an easy target for some of the larger powers in Tamriel because they were so spread out and even a little bit divided. So one of these such powers was the Red Guards of Yakuda. Yes, Yakuda. Also one of the motifs you you can get in um, yep. Elder Scrolls Online. So the Red Guards of Yakuta began their conquest of Hammerfell in the late First Era, and then the two factions ended up battling for control of the region until they were both faced with a common... When I say two factions, I mean Bretons and Red Guards were kind of battling it out. Um, until they were both faced with a common enemy with the entrance of the Orcish Kingdom of Orsinium. Kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So none of them expected that. And they both realized that, holy crap, the orcs are a very tough enemy. So eventually an alliance between Daggerfall and the kingdom of Sentinel, Redguards and Bretons, was mm-hmm. formed just so that they could fight the orcs. And then that big battle actually was a very long war became known as the Siege of Orsinium, and that took place in First Era, uh, year 980. So just before the Second Era, just before our timeline, is when that took place. Um, and and you'll, you'll remember, too, if you played through Orsinium, you'll remember, too, that Orsinium has been rebuilt. So kind of hmm. 
lays the foundation of why Orsinium was destroyed in the first place. So eventually this alliance between the Red Guards and the Bretons prevailed and destroyed Orsinium, dispersing the orcs far and wide across the landscape of Tamriel. Kind of neat, huh? That's really freaking cool. There's there's two DLCs I need to play through. One, Orsinium, just to kind of get the whole vibe from the orcs in general, and then you've got Clockwork. But this is... This is cool. I had no idea all this took place. I didn't know they were this interesting, to be honest with you. I was so never I got, super into them. I have an idea for you, my friend Jibs. Hmm. Let's do this. In between um, in between all of the PvP stuff that we're about to do, mm-hmm. let's run Orsinium together. What Deal. do you think about that? And, and let's do Clockwork. We'll do clockwork afterwards. Let's run Arsinium first. Together, though, right? Like, we'll do it together. Yes. Okay, um, second question. Will you marry me? That's too much money, bro. I don't got that kind of coin. I'm Gosh. sitting on 280 coins left. That's all I bro. got. <laughs> See? I'm t- my friends. My friends out there in listening land. He still will not marry me. For XP! It's mutually beneficial. I'm down. I just don't want to spend the coin. I got more lore to talk about. I'm over you. Okay. <laughs> Broke my massive heart. <laughs> Eventually, the Daggerfall Covenant was formed between the races of Breton, Redguard, and the Orcs. I wonder who broke the ice there. You know what well, I like mean? how that conversation went? Yeah. Sorry we just sacked your city, but do you want to join our group? <laughs> it's like I'd a be bully like, kicking you in the nuts and after like, beating the no. crap out of you. I don't think I want to join your group. You guys are jerks. <laughs> so anyway, um, there was a, there was a threat from the outside from the other factions. Now now we're talking ESO timeline. So eventually, the Daggerfall Covenant was formed between the races of Breton, Redguard, and the Orcs for mutual defense of the region. Now we're fighting for our lives. We're fighting for our our way of life, which I totally get, even though. I'm Old Mary Dominion, and I could care less about the Daggerfall Covenant, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So their vision was to establish peace and order across all of Tamriel. Well, yeah, good luck with that. Mm. Mm-hmm. The main religion in High Rock, let's talk a little religion, because we always got to kind of hit on that. Uh, the main religion in High Rock is basically the worship of the Eight Divines. It's really nothing different from a lot of the different uh, religion, religious uh, followings in Tamriel. Three right. elven deities are also worshipped, and those are Magnus, Ifray, and Finister. They're also worshipped. Um, a deity unique to only the Bretons is Sheor, also very much revered. Sheor is said to be derived from the Nordic deity by the name of Shor, which I'm sure you've heard in the game, Shor's Bones. Have you heard that? Lyris, Lyris says it. Lyris actually says it right at the beginning. As soon as you get murdered and your soul gets sucked into Cold Harbor, um, she actually says, Shores, bones, you're good in a fight. Something like that. Pretty sure. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. And if you do Ritz, if you do Ritz, you you hear the guy say, Shores, bones, that looks heavy. So anyway, that's where that comes from. It's Shaor. A deity that the Bretons worship. Huh. I know. I read it. I was like, oh my gosh. Everything matches. I love it. All right. 
So, Shor, who is Shor, though? It's like, okay, fine, who's Shor? So, Shor is the Nordic representation of the god of Lorcan, which you re- will remember that we talked about in a previous lore lesson, and the embodiment of the afterlife in Sovngarde. If you spend any time in the north in ESO, you will hear Sovngarde. If you've played, if you've played um, Skyrim, you will hear Sovngarde. It's just, it's the Nordic heaven, basically. That's what they call it. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. so now here was a very important point, too, uh, which is, it was odd for any culture in Tamriel. The Bretons, although they had the gods and deities that they followed, the particular race of Breton is not wholly tied to religion as a basis for their culture. So, in essence, they could take it or leave it. Yeah, that's kind of different from the other ones, you know, because it's pretty based off your race, you know, especially, um, I guess, the, the hardcore version of that would have been like the Dark Elves or the uh, the Altmer. I mean, they're very, very uh, religion to race dependent. Yes, for sure. And it's, it's um, I don't know, I guess it's very, it parallels like the modern world. Yeah, the race, yeah, of the bit. Breton race, you know, as yeah. being a hybrid race, they really, they're not. Some may be, some are not. So, yeah, huh. it was interesting. It is interesting. So let's talk some notable Bretons in Elder Scrolls lore. I'm going to just hit the really big ones. There's just a few of them, but um, Tiber Septim. Yes, I know you know who he is. He eventually becomes Talos. Eventually, is revered as the Ninth Divine, and then there's Uriel Septim, also related. And then in ESO, there's High King Emric. He is the merchant prince whose luck and determination won him the throne. He later became the leader of the Daggerfall Covenant. Lackluster faction. (laughs) You know, there's anything I I appreciate the most or more from these uh, lore lessons is the fact that you pick up, you talked about Shores Bones, you, you pick up on a greater understanding of the language of Tamriel and why things are said the way they're said. Yeah. I geek out when I'm reading this stuff and really absorbing it and putting the things that I read into my words. I totally geek out like, Oh my gosh. So pay attention to the, to the, to the world out there. I mean, yeah, let me just say this. If you've been through the content over and over and over again, fine. If you've done Cold Harbor five times, I get it if you don't want to experience the quests and the story. But if this is your first time through, just know this. Every time you speed through a quest, particularly the voice acting, which is outstanding, and the text writing, which is outstanding, every time you speed through it, a developer loses his wings. <laughs> I will leave you and our lore lesson of the Bretons with that. Oh. The prophet reminds me of the guy from Diablo. Stay a while and listen to me tell you tales of stuff that may or may not happen. You're pretty good at that. Give me a beer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's that time of the episode. It's apparently uh, a lot of 
our listeners' favorite time. This is cash story time. This is our lesson on the masters of the sword. This is the Red Guards. I just told stories about houses and stuff. Give me a chance to drink my mead. Give me some more sultry tones, bro. Oh, that is sweet, sweet baby mead. Daddy mm. Lucky. We only import the best in this tavern. That's right. Uh, and the cheapest. That's going to give me a headache by 2 a.m., guaranteed. <laughs> so let's talk Red Guard, my friend. Yes. The Red Guard, who don't want to be friends with anybody, really. You will Not see. Not so much. Yeah. <laughs> this was an interesting... This was very interesting research for this one. Um, I physically went to Alakir. Um, I like it. I really do. I like the zone. That zone has a lot of character. Yes, it's got a lot of character. There is a lot of different races there. Now, I know there is in most of the game, but particularly when I was in Alakir, there were such a mix of races there. Um I was surprised. It's like, why do all these people like sweltering, dry, freaking weather? It was kind of a melt. Yeah, uh, especially if you go into Sentinel, the main yes. city. Yes, here, it's such a melting pot of just races there. Right, which it's wonderful. This it was wonderful. Game, yeah, for this game, that's kind of just unheard of in a lot of ways. But it is, especially with the history of the Yokudin slash Red Guard. Yeah. It is yep. was a little bit of an eye opener. I always knew that they were that they had combat prowess and so on and so forth, but very, very interesting history. So let's yeah. let's jump right into it. They're yep. in the game. You roll a red guard. You immediately understand that they are renowned for their martial prowess. They are warriors through and through. They have a high level of stamina. You can absolutely run forever with them. Um, their agility and endurance is unmatched, particularly in combat situations. So that's why when you're rolling a combat character, a melee type character, almost always Red Guard is going to be at the top, if not very near the top, of the recommended list. And a lot of it has to do with their um, with that stamina. So any activity that places physical demand on a red guard is endured with relative ease because of their history and what they have endured. They have always inhabited some type of a harsh, unforgiving land. So this really, this strength has been built into them. So when we talk physicality, they're typically of average height. They're very well muscled. They have a very, very sturdy physique. So they're known as some of the most in-shape, fit, just badasses in Tamriel. They have a very hardy constitution. They're very tough. They're very, very mentally tough. And that allows them uh, an, an actual natural resistance to many poisons. Their skin tone, because they live in the desert, is it goes anywhere from like a light brown to a dark black. And their hair texture ranges from thick to like wavy or tight curls and, and, and wiry just because of that desert environment that they're used to. So we already talked about the Red Guard uh, Yokudin culture as being warlike. Every man, woman, and child upon birth 
is educated in the art of war and combat, even f- from a very, very young age. They, they're like the Spartans. The Spartans right. were warlike people, and they were taught from a young age to be on a war footing all the time, which is why they were so successful. Well, the Red Guard are not much different. Um, when you look at the history, they have never truly been defeated by an invading force since their arrival in Tamriel. Now, when you get kind of like to the fourth era, things change a little bit. You know, we can kind of allude to it a little bit, but in the fourth era was really a rough time for the Red Guard. The, the Old Mary Dominion had broken down. They were left in a civil war and they ended up in such internal turmoil that when, um, when Tiber Septum came in, they really they had nowhere to go. They just kind of gave up. So right. it's not because of they were defeated. It's just because their their will to fight was just was so so decimated. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But their early history is really what I want to focus on. So Red Guards being Red Guards, incredibly prideful, very very independent race. And obviously, among the most revered soldiers and warriors on Tamriel, but because of this, they also like to make money. Because of this, they were also some of the most revered mercenaries on Tamriel because of their combat prowess. As travelers really in advent, cool. it dude, it's so cool. It, really, they have such a cool, cool history. As travelers and adventurers, it was not uncommon because they tra- they traveled so much and they could endure so much. You. It's not uncommon to see a Red Guard wearing different pieces of armor from various cultures. So when you look at some of their stuff, it's not surprising to see that, you know, they've got this head wrap from here. They might have some leggings from another place. Their sword may or not may or may not be Yokudan in nature. It could be, you know, built from some other area of Tamriel just because their travels are so vast and they like to collect and honor other culture. Right. Pretty cool. So, but at the same time, their history was not always that way. That's more of the modern Red Guard. Let's talk a little bit about their history. So, the Red Guard, who were originally called Yokudans, and you'll know that word because there's a, a Yokudan motif in the game. Yep. This was actually an island off the uh, western coast of Tamriel the island of Yakuta. So this is where they originate. This island actually sunk into the sea. We'll talk a little bit about that. Cause I was like, what it, it did what it sunk. Are you sure the tide didn't just come up and they didn't really realize it, but no, turns out their island sunk into the sea. <laughs> when that happened, because the red guard, I mean, it, it was considered a Yokuda was considered a continent, but it was a very big, big, big island. Basically, they were a seafaring people. They have among the most unbeatable armada of ships, a very powerful navy. So they were very much seafaring people. So when their island continent sunk, they decided, "Meh, we're out. Let's go find another place." So let's talk a little bit about why. Why did this happen? Why did their island sink? So I had to do a little digging, but I was able to find some really cool stuff that really resonates with some things that we see in ESO. Mm -hmm. So the sword singers, 
This was a legendary group of Yokudan swordsmen, led by one Frandar Hunding. Hunding's rage? Ring a bell for anybody. That is... An... Shut the front door. No, you shut up. Oh. <laughs> I said shut the front door. Oh, okay. so mean to me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so Hunding's rage, I believe it's a stamina set within the... No, I'm positive. It's a stamina. It's a craftable stamina set within the game. Um... So that rung a bell to me. I was like, it's Hunding, Hunding. Oh my God, this is the guy. This is the story behind Hunding. So Frandar Hunding, the leader of this legendary Yakutan swordsman called the Sword Singers, the most elite group of these swordsmen was known as the Ansei. Of the Ansei, an even more elite and revered group was known as the Order of Diagna. So you can imagine. Legendary sword singers, the even better dudes were called the Ensei, and of the Ensei, the very best of the best of the best of the best, the Delta Force of these dudes, was a revered group known as the Order of Diagna. They were led by a guy named Gaiden Shinji. Now, if that does not hearken you back to your days of Kung Fu, I do not know what does, but the guy's name is Gaiden Shinji. He sounds like freaking awesome. So anyway, Shinji was the first blade master and the founder of the Imperial City Arena. So it is said that a rebellious group of this Ansei, known as the Hiradurge, were responsible for the sinking and the consequent destruction of Yokuda. Though it's also speculated that Yokuda sunk because of a natural disaster. So some speculation there. I still could not find any solid information on how the Ansei in the form of the Herodurge could possibly sink a continent. Especially right. because Redguard are very much against magic. The ancient Redguard, really? yes, they believe that magic is for the weak and for the wicked. And instead they prefer martial combat. So if you were huh. if you were into magic, a lot of times you were shunned. You know, that kind of, well, okay, I don't want to give any spoilers away for the story in Alec here, but yeah, I could see that. I was going to say, I could totally see that. Right. So, all right. So anyway, that was my fun fact about how Yokuda disappeared. I was like, you have any better information? Because I do, that does not settle with me. I need definitive <laughs> proof. I need so, more. I know. Okay. So long story short, the Yokudans leave Yokuda. Yokuda's gone. And they sail east. They mm-hmm. run into the west coast of what is now Hammerfell, right? Right. So they showed up on the shores, and it was not like, hi, guys, we're from an island that sunk. We're wondering <laughs> if you have any coconuts or something that we could eat, or would you mind if we camped here for the night? Yeah, not so much. Red Guard, fiercely independent, warrior by nature. They landed on Hammerfell and started to decimate everything they ran into. Every person that they ran into was either killed or enslaved. So essentially, they conquered every native inhabitant of Tamriel that they encountered in Hammerfell. Yeah. That's okay. Sorry to interrupt, but that is something I would like to see in an expansion. Some type of 
force that is bred purely as warriors, like kind of like similar to what you said about the Spartans, just just decimating and annihilating everything. That'd be cool. Yeah. So I saw this and I went, "Wow, maybe I needs to make a red guard now." <laughs> and I need to role play him badly. <laughs> Man, this show has that effect on on you. It's it's the lore, the my friend. It's these lore books and all this all the thing. research that we do, the things that we learn makes yeah. us love the world that much more and it brings such a deep understanding to the world that we play in. You run by a darker yeah. skinned guy and now it's like, whoa, do not Look at that guy cross-eyed. Because you will be dead. He will kill you. He will kill you. So, anyway. So I continue. They basically... Everybody they encountered, they either enslaved or defeated them in some manner. So it was very clear from the start that the Yukudans did not have friendship or cohabitation in mind. That Every week, as a matter of fact... Not only did they not have cohabitation in mind, or did they were they here to make friends? They felt that the lack of opposition they encountered by the natives on Tamriel further made them want to segregate themselves from any desire to intermingle. Because they felt that, hey, look, anybody who will not defend their homeland to the death and anybody that will fold over does not deserve wow. to be our friends. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> these guys are gnarly. Yeah. Man. These dudes are wow. gnarly. So that's wow. Yeah. Mad respect. So yeah, no joke. Um, yeah. So anyway, they, they felt that those people were not worth mercy. So mm. they killed them. Okay. So let's talk about where the term red guard comes from. So Yokudans now they can't be considered Yokudans anymore because Yokuda is gone. So they eventually became known as the Regatta. And the Regatta in Yokudan means warrior wave, which is what the people saw when they showed up. That is a wave of warriors. So they became known as Regatta. Red Guard was really just a it's kind of a morph on regatta. People ended up with red guard. Part of it was because of their skin color. They had kind of a darker, maybe reddish skin. I don't know. Maybe it was a hot day and they got a sunburn. But anyway, they called them red guard. Um, but their ferocity and versatility gave them a distinct reputation of being the most fierce warriors and incredibly skilled scouts. So for this reason, they ended up, I mean, the mercenaries make, made some serious money. They were the most highly sought after mercenaries were Red Guards. Um, and they That's made so incredibly cool. Yeah, they made some some good money. So Hammerfell itself, which they started to to conquer upon their landing in this warrior wave, it was dominated by the Alakir Desert. We've talked about the Alakir Desert a few times. If you've run Dolmens, you know it's a very popular place to run Dolmens. Um, but it's also a very, very arid land with deserts, mountains, grasslands. Um, and considered by most of Tamriel to be nearly inhospitable. Yeah, pretty sparsely populated, but not at the time uh, the Yokudans didn't feel that way. They're just a tougher people. So a lot of the vicious creatures that inhabited the desert, including 
like big giant scorpions and other monstrous beasts, they were a big threat to the Red Guards. So over the years, they just culled the threat. I mean, they've faced down those things and just wiped them out. Not necessarily completely, but they took, they took them down. Right. So they were able to inhabit the land. So they were newcomers, very traditional. Most of the Red Guard from Yakuta were very traditional. So they did not take to Tamrielic society very well. They were very much segregated, stuck to their own kind, spoke their own language. And even to that end, they did not trade with anybody else but their own kind. They flat out refused it. Nobody else was worthy. So, yeah, it really until the orcs of Orsinium became a common threat to both the Bretons and the Red Guard. That is the first time that the Red Guard decided to team up with somebody else besides the Red Guard. And that's when them and the Bretons came together to battle the Orcish threat. And that's when the Siege of Orsinium took place late in the First Era. What does that say about the Orcs to have the Red Guards consider you a threat? When everyone else that they looked at was beneath them, you know, or was not on the the same footing. What does that say? I know eventually we're going to do the orcs, but man, like that's, that's a compliment. I would, I I imagine that would be a compliment to the opposing race, to be considered a threat to them, to be someone that's, you know, at their playing field. Yeah, for sure. And well, the orcs too, I mean, they're just larger and stronger than any other race on Tamriel with the exception maybe of the Nords, but, um, still quite formidable. So there's no doubt that the Bretons who were, you know, and the Bretons were were good at war, but what were the Bretons the best at? They're the best at commerce and politics. So not as martial, not as on a war footing as the Red Guard are innately. So they needed the help. So bringing the Red Guards on board, they were able to eventually defeat the Orcs uh, at the Siege of Orsinium, then we talked about it um, when, we, when we covered the Bretons. That at that point, the orcs just spread across Amrail and then eventually rebuilt Orsinium. Right. So, um, but then slowly during the Second Era, there started the, the infighting between the Red Guards themselves started. So, two opposing schools of thought really started to be followed. The Crowns, they were called the Crowns. They strive to retain the traditional Yakutan culture and uh, of basically we are our own people. We don't need anybody else on Tamriel. We don't need their cultures. Um, we're fine on our own. So they were called the crowns. And then there was a more progressive descendant of the original regatta. Uh, and they were called the forebears and the forebears wanted to assimilate with the inhabitants of Tamriel just because basically of commerce you know, things like, well, commerce, trade, and politics. They wanted to get into the larger picture that, that was Tamriel. But the crowns did not. So you had this infighting going on. Um, eventually, it caused a civil war. And the forebears, the progressivists, or the... Did I just say that? Progressivists? Pro- yeah. Pro- the more progressives. The progressives. Okay. Cause yeah, we'll go with that. Words and terms are difficult after me. The forebears, because they wanted this integration with the rest of Tamriel, they were actually backed by the Imperial Empire 
which, okay, now you really have a formidable force behind you, and they were able to defeat the Separatist crowns in a civil war. Right. So in the timeline of ESO, this timeline that, we, that we're playing in, much of the Red Guard society remains pretty split in the northern parts of Hammerfell. They keep with the traditional Yokudan traditions. So the dress, the personality, while the parts to the southern end tend to be more open to the rest of Tamrielic culture. I have not researched that part in game. I actually would like to travel to those zones and see if you can actually see that in the cities. I'm going to have you done any of the questing there? No. I have I have not. Um it's I'm going to say this. Um I have such a better understanding. I've yet to finish it. I actually took a break from it, but I need to go back because you will there's no spoilers I'm going to say. There, you will really get the feeling of when you are no longer worthy. You will really get the feeling of why the king talks to you the way that he talks to you. Why you feel you're addressed the way you're addressed. Like, it makes sense now. And on a very grand scale, um, the progressive thinking and kind of the old school thinking. So, Are they going to treat me like I'm a second class citizen when I go there? Well, you know, not full Bosmer, but, you know, it's I was full Altmer, but, you know. Well, I was going to say, dude, because that's my job as an Altmer. That's my to job. treat them that way. We dictate. <laughs> oh, no, I have sand Listen. in my shoe. I expect you to get it out starting now. <laughs> Pass the Bosmer to wipe my face. <laughs> Pass the Bosmer to wipe my face. Because he's small. You can pick him up. He's so cute. He's so cute. Anyway. Okay, let's talk religion. Uh, mm-hmm. The main religion of Hammerfell uh, is primarily based on the traditional Yokudan pantheon. So there are many others who embrace the gods of Tamriel, but for the most part, the traditional Yokudan pantheon, there's a ton of deities. I'm going to go over all of them. Chances are you're not going to know who any of them are because I didn't. You might hear some of the names might sound uh, familiar. So there's Diagna. Hunding, Leki, Maluk, Morwa, Onsi, Raymond Ebornarm, Ruptga, Satakal, Sep, Tava, and Tuwaka. Onsi, you're going to have, uh, that's one you'll get to know. Nice, I like it. Oh, there's one more. Zet. Not Zit. Oh. Zet. Tension breaker had to be done. Had to be done. Uh, have we got any notables? We do. We have a few notables. Oh, I put kind of the biggest ones in there. Um, specifically from ESO, you're going to run into uh, Faharjad, which we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Actually, we talked about his son. Uh, the Red Guard King of Sentinel. He's responsible for the Red Guards joining the Daggerfall Covenant. May or may not be a very popular guy. Mm. There's Friend Arhunding. The Red Guard hero, born in the First Era in the region of High Desert on Yokuda, he grew up in a period of constant turmoil and led his people from the annihilation they faced to their new home in Hammerfell, where they murdered everybody. Good huh. job. And then, of course, there's everybody's favorite. Did you let him die? Did you not let him die? No spoilers here. Sai Sahan. Son of Nazir, Itaf Sahan of Bankarai, 
He is a Red Guard noble, martial artist, master swordsman, and leader of the Imperial Dragon Guard. Also, that dude is legit. He's very legit, and he's also the one that calls um, Lyris Snow Lily. Mm-hmm. I definitely little, think uh, there was something going on there. There's a little, little tension there. I don't think there was tension. Well, oh, maybe it was some kind of tension. That's not the kind of tension I'm talking about. Yeah, there's <laughs> some kind of tension going on. That's going why. back to uh, Farajad, the, the king of Sentinel. Yeah. You made a comment. You know, like, he's probably not the most popular guy. Right. You are totally correct. Oh, yeah. I want to make a Red Guard and go play this right now. Like, I need to do this. I need to... I need to... I, I feel so much more educated after this. Like, if you haven't done Alakir Desert yet, after listening to this, you should totally go do this. Because you're going to relate on so many levels to everything we just talked about. I'll put it on the list. Put it on the list. I we got, a, we yeah. got a list of crazy to, we got to do. We do. Every, you know what's but, funny is every time I see Faharjad, it reminds mm-hmm. me of Lord Farquaad from Shrek. Yep. <laughs> Which I lulled watching that with my little girl. I mm-hmm. lulled. Daddy, what's so funny? Don't worry about it. It's just <laughs> hilarious. His name's Farquaad. <laughs> it's funny. We're doing the Khajiit today, baby. We're back with another lore lesson. Yeah. The prophet came a long way. Just to get us to do this lore lesson. Poor guy's got bad hips. <laughs> See that gimpy leg he's got? Have a seat, prophet. But I'll tell you what. Oh, don't God. have the moon sugar. Because it might make you kill people. I think that's what happened to me a little earlier in the show. We don't know. Nope. It did not happen. Yep. Nope. Let's talk about the kitty cats. Meow. Hmm. Let's see if I can do the whole lore lesson in Kajiti tone. Not gonna happen. Would be funny though, but we're not gonna do it. <laughs> Let's talk Kajits. They are really cool. And this was one of the longer lore lessons, believe it or not, too, because uh it turns out that the Kajit are pretty complicated to end up the way they end up. So let's talk about it. Everybody loves the favorite cat race, hailing from the land of elsewhere. One of the most loved races in all of Tamriel, the Khajiit. Uh, They're very well known for their agile frames, very high intelligence, making them incredible at feats of physicality, very renowned thieves and warriors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Khajiit have a very unique speech craft, which is also revered and loathed making these feline beings excellent in commerce and trading. However, mm-hmm. many consider them untrustworthy? Yes. People think that they're untrustworthy. They're incredibly racist towards Khajiit. <laughs> it's kind of sad, but kind of hilarious at the same time. And you see it all over this game. It is really pretty darn funny. There's actually a pretty funny quest line in Crotwood that uh, details it a little bit. There is a guard that is giving a particular Khajiit a really hard time because she thinks he's a thief. Turns out he's a freaking thief. So it was pretty damn funny. (laughs) Anyway. That's awesome. So Khajiit are very similar to modern felines in almost every way, except that they stand upright and can talk. Uh, They're covered with fur. They have tails uh, and seemingly 
a very foreign appearance and behavior that has made them a common target of that racial discrimination all across Tamriel. They are considered one of the beast races of Tamriel along with the Argonians. I got a little fun fact for you coming up to here in a second regarding the beast race. Uh, the Khajiit have a lifespan similar to that of a human. And although it has been rumored, there are no documented cases of successful crossbreeding between Khajiit and other races, although it does happen. Ooh. Ooh. Well, dude, fur is warm. Khajiit and Argonian. Just going to leave it at that. Think about it. Just going to leave it at that. And a, a lizard and a cat. Now, having had reptiles in the past, <laughs> IRL. And having cats now, IRL, that makes me want to vomit just a little bit. <laughs> I'm not going to get into the genitalia of a reptile. Oh, nope. Nope. But it's different. Nope. <laughs> if you don't believe me, go to the, go the Google archives. Go to the... I was like, where, do you, where are you going to take this? <laughs> Go to the Google archives. Don't Google it. it <laughs> yeah. All I got to say is one word, and that word is hemipene. Have at it. Okay, let's continue. Fun fact. Goes to Google. There is another race included in the beast races of Tamriel. This one is not very much, not very spoken of at all, and I have not seen any in any game. But the Imga are native beast folk of Valenwood. They're a very intelligent race of apes said to have flourished in Valenwood long before the time of the Aldmer. Interestingly enough, the Imga are nowhere to be found during the time of Elder Scrolls Online. In fact, they were said to have disappeared from Valenwood in the second era year 582 because they chose to wait out the end of the Alliance War. So you don't talk about intelligent. Hmm. That's intelligent. Mm -hmm. So the events of ESO take place in the second era 583, which is one year after the Imga supposedly disappeared. So they like, oh, ESO's coming out. We're out of here. And they bailed. <laughs> I'm sure that was a thought process. <laughs> hey, dudes, no, pre-orders are out. Let's get it. It's just, it's, it's funny reading the wikis of these things sometimes, and you put these parallels together, but... Yeah, this beast race of apes and ape people in Tamriel, incredibly intelligent, wanted nothing to do with the Alliance War, so they bailed out of Valenwood and friggin' disappeared a year before the events of VSO take place. I'm like, that is cool. I would have never found that unless I was researching stuff. Nope, who knows that stuff? The Lore Master knows. The, I was going to say, the Lore Master knows. I don't. The Lore Seekers don't know. We need to read. So anyway, we just missed them. But that was kind of cool. Huh. Okay, if you followed our clues for this evening, we mentioned in our clues to where we were at. By the way, we might as well just let it out of the bag. We've been found already tonight. We are at Canarthi's Roost. People. A lot of friggin' people found us tonight. I have never seen so many people. <laughs> I love it. I think it's hilarious. We're, we're in Canarthi's Roost. Um, we've been found by Witcher Girl, Big Tuna, Sammy Genie, Tim, jeez, dude, stalker. Genevieve, Morgus, Artemis, and the real Jay Clark. If we missed anybody, I really apologize. I've been eating moon sugar. Okay, all right then. So anyway, let's get back to it. If you if you followed our clue tonight, 
we mentioned Masser and Secunda. What is Masser and Secunda? Well, if you look up at night, the moons of Nern are Masser and Secunda. Um, these two moons are incredibly revered by the Kajiti culture. Because the cycles of, the, of these moons play a very large part in the formation and birth of the feline race. Jibs, you're going to find this stuff very, very, very interesting. Especially being the new owner of a Khajiit. Mm. We'll get there in a minute. We're going to talk a little bit about their history and religion. Okay. So the Khajiiti home of elsewhere in the first era consisted of a total of 16 kingdoms of various Khajiiti breeds that all lived in relative, quote-unquote, harmony with each other. I have a sip of moon sugar milk. Oh, murderous rage coming out. Okay. <laughs> so late in the first era, however, the Slode, which is a, slug, a slug-like race from Thras. This is southwest of Tamriel, little island southwest of Tamriel. There are slugs on that island called the Slode. If you paid any attention to the Somerset stuff, we will see the Slode in yep. Somerset. Thought yep. that was cool. And the truck. So anyway, yes. So this slug-like race called the Slode created the Thracian Plague. This is way back in the first era. This Thracian Plague was a massive artificially created pandemic that killed a large portion of the population on Tamriel. So because of this plague, the 16 Kajiti kingdoms and elsewhere were dwindled down to two primary kingdoms that were left. So these two kingdoms suffered a huge class struggle during this time, and then eventually they made peace by allowing each, uh, like each Kajiti society, each Kajiti society were allowed a turn at governing the entire region of elsewhere. That sounds like a terrible idea to me. Like, oh, right. we screwed it up. Your turn. Fix it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like modern times in America. I'm going to leave it at that. All right. During the third era. <laughs> Uh, during the Third Era, the Khajiiti feuded uh, with the Bosmer during the Five-Year War. This dispute took place due to... This is so stupid, too. This feud between the Wood Elves and the Khajiit took place because of increasing Khajiiti bandit raids on Bosmer wood supply caravans in Valenwood. The what? friggin' cats were trying to steal the Wood Elves' imported wood. Let us not forget that Bosmer cannot use any wood within Valenwood. Everything right. has to be imported right? because of the Green Pact. So the kitty cats, the sneaky little kitty cats, thought it would be a good idea to start raiding the Bosmer <laughs> for their wood supply caravans in Valenwood. This is like the dumbest reason for a war. <laughs> anyway... You took the my bosmer. wood. <laughs> Dude. In the morning. Uh, <laughs> hate mail. Cue the hate mail. Anyways. The Bosmer retaliated. They're not going to have it. They raided the city of Torval, which is the capital of elsewhere, sparking the five-year war. Here's the kicker, though. The kitty cats were the clear victors in that war. They stomped the wood elves. So, sorry, little guys. 
Don't challenge me, bro, when I'm taking you, the wood. <laughs> should have just given up the wood. <laughs> should have passed off the two-by-fours, bro. Okay, so a little bit about the fourth era. Um, the very highly... This one is very interesting, by the way, this part. In the fourth era, the highly revered moons of Nern, Master and Secunda, vanished from Nern. Gone. So, of course, the Kajidi, who base a lot of their culture on Master and Secunda on these two moons, they friggin' flipped out. Like, what the hell is happening? The world is coming to an end. What do we do? Well, the strife that it created among the Khajiit, they were reaching out for anything to make it go away. Well, two years later, the moons reappear. The Thalmor, of course, because Altmer are smart and incredibly conniving. The Thalmor announced that they had used magic to restore Masser and Secunda. So from that point on, the Khajiit praised the Thalmor as their saviors. <laughs> and they were a little less defensive when the Thalmor moved their military in and claimed a military takeover of uh, Elsewhere's Imperial government. <laughs> Dude, they are not very smart, I... man. <laughs> So I'm reading this. I am lolling the entire time just going, I have to make a Khajiit. I have to make a Khajiit. It's so not smart, dude. It's awesome. Oh. Okay, so, all right, here's the boring part. Let's talk about the Khajiit's religion. It's based around the Khajiit religious pantheon and a ton of revered gods. Um, and it's funny how they take... They kind of mix the names around a little bit of the um, of some of the other revered gods across Tamriel, um, and they add in kind of some of their own stuff. As mm-hmm. as their time had progressed, they kind of had their own take on who these gods were. So, Alkosh, the god of time, by the Kajidi is known as the Dragon King of Cats. <laughs> yes, and this continues <laughs> to go on. It's pretty funny. So Azura, the goddess of dusk and dawn, that one makes sense because of their yeah. um, their close following of the moon cycles. Uh, Bandar, the pariah, is the personification of Kajiti cleverness. Ah, the Kajiti are very clever. This one knows it. Hmm. Uh, then there's Kanarthi, the goddess of the winds. There's Jode, the big moon god. There's Joan. Or is it Jone? Joni. Joan. Anyway, one of those three is the little moon god. There's Lorkaj. Lorkaj is the moon beast. See how these are all kind of sound very kitty cattish? Uh-huh. Uh, Mara, the goddess of love. The Khajiit know her as the mother cat. Mm-hmm. Dude. I love them. Dude, Dude, they're funny. It's like a comical race. I love it. Right? Yes. So now there's, uh, there's Mehrunes. Spelt differently than Mehrunes Dagon, but the same guy. Mehrunes Jakajit. Comparable to Mehrunes Dagon is a young god of cat-like form. Thought that was interesting. Um, Rajin, if any of you have done some questing in Tamriel in ESO, this name might sound familiar. Rajin is the footpad and the silent walker, thieves guild. Um, he's the thief god and the most infamous burglar in Elsewhere's history. That one I thought was awesome. That mm-hmm. dude was cool. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's Riddlethar. He is the two moons known for the two moons dance and the sugar god. That made me laugh, dude. <laughs> well, sugar is highly revered by Khajiit. So, and, we, and we'll we'll get there. We talk a little a little bit about Khajiit society. Uh, Srendar, S R Srendar, the god of mercy. The Khajiit know him as the Runt. Okay. Uh, there's a story behind that. There's an entire novel behind that. Mm. Somebody just needs to write it. Mm-hmm. And then Shagorath, not Sheagorath, Shagorath, the god of madness. The Khajiit know him as the Skuma Cat. <laughs> Dude, it's so cool. It's funny. This is so incredibly opposite of the Snow Elves. It's very, very opposite of the Snow Elves. I'm actually glad that I had the moon sugar and a little bit of beer before I'm covering the Khajiit because they're they're really it's such a funny, funny race. You know, but yeah. still, I mean they're they're BA in their own right, but still pretty funny race. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Khajiiti society. The main is known in Khajiiti society as like the unofficial head of state. He's called the main. So tradition holds that only one main may be alive at any one time, and there's never been an, an instance of multiple mains contending for power. So this is kind of like just, he's kind of like a pantheon, but he's a, more, he's a mortal walking Khajiit. He's just kind of in charge of all the stuff. Yep. And this further breaks down a little bit as we continue to talk. So much of Khajiiti society revolves around the exportation of saltries, and then the big one is moon sugar. So as you know, moon sugar is a big uh, ingredient in skooma. So Khajiit are very adamant about we don't manufacture skooma. We manufacture moon sugar, and whatever anybody else does with it is their business. So it's kind of like somebody providing the pseudoephedrine to the meth to the the meth makers, right? And just go, well, I don't know. I just gave him the stuff. Whatever he does with it is up to him. <laughs> kind, yeah. kind of sneaky in a way. So anyway, there's that. So much of the commerce between this uh, the salt trees and the moon sugar is controlled by Kajidi clan mothers, and that's where there's that further breakdown uh, past the main. So these Kajidi clan mothers are very mysteriously revered figures of Kajidi society who operate independently from the main, disseminating cultural myths among their kind. So if you remember back to the Bosmer, how the Bosmer had the spinners who kind of spoke in riddles. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, they did a lot of consulting. Uh, they were like the elders. It kind of reciprocates here with the Kajidi clan mothers. If you can kind of understand them. You're right. smart people. I'm sure you understand. Okay. So, um, these clan mothers control the harvesting and refining of the moon sugar, and they're seen as very, very highly influential in Kajiti society. So, let's talk about moon sugar a little bit. Moon sugar, which is outstanding in coffee and cream, is referred to as crystallized moonlight. It's found in the waters of the Topal Sea and washed into sugarcane groves by the tides. So, by consuming moon sugar, moon sugar. Khajiit believe that they're consuming a portion of the eternal souls of the moon gods, Jonah and Jod. The substance drives them into fits of ecstasy uh, and could spark fits of murder and rage. 
<laughs> and abandon. Uh, okay, wait. Let's say that again. So this substance drive the, drives them into fits of ecstasy and abandon and is highly addictive. And remember, this is just a portion of skooma. So you can imagine how gnarly skooma is once it's refined and made into skooma. Right. It's pretty much the Tamrielic version of heroin, which is right. freaking awful. And I won't get into that. So, okay. So it's not a, really uncommon to see many Khajiit experiencing sugar fits. I laughed at that. On the streets of elsewhere's major cities because they're all consuming moon sugar because moon sugar is apparently awesome. So moon sugar being the, the main export of elsewhere is smuggled out in raw and refined forms. The substance supports a he- very, very healthy black market network and is known to be the reason for most Kajiti having a notorious craving for sweets. <laughs> okay. See, it's funny. It's funny because they're fat. <laughs> Movie, anybody? No? Okay. We'll move on. So because of the racial inequality experienced by most Khajiit, man, this came up the other night, or last night too, when we were talking about this in Guild Jet. Khajiit have experienced some severe racial inequality. And because of this, they have a natural worry about being kidnapped and sold into slavery, which has happened several times in the past to these poor kitty cats. So due to this fear, most Khajiit take self-defense and personal protection very, very seriously. Many have learned to use their razor-sharp retractable claws as weapons in various forms of martial arts. I'm like, that is cool. I was going to say, there, there you go. Yes, yeah, so many have also mastered the use of the saber, the scimitar, the dagger, and the bow. So when I read this, somebody had brought this, I think it was Artemis had brought this up. Gosh, wouldn't it be cool if we had a monk class in oh. Elder Scrolls? Oh, And I'm that's... thinking... Yeah. And, and that makes unarmed. more sense. Yes, I think what sparked this is she, Artemis ran a dungeon. Artemis is one of our guildies, super sweet girl. Shout out to Artemis. Um, she ran a dungeon last night with a pug, and apparently the tank was not using any weapons. He was using his fists. So it took forever, I guess, <laughs> to take things down. So <laughs> she brought it up. Well, they should just have a monk class. That'd be cool. And then I got to talking. Oh my gosh, I just researched this. Yes, it would be awesome. And it would play right into Kajiti lore. So there's that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I know. That would be the coolest thing. So anyway. And you'd call it something else if you don't want to call it Monk. Because we don't want to copy another game. But I mean, Monk is kind of a thing in high fantasy. So there's that. Hmm. Okay. This is the really cool part. I really, really dug reading about Kajiti morphology. Okay. The Kajit. Very subtly bound to the lunar lattice. Moon cycles. This mysterious force determines the form a Kajiti assumes in life at their birth according to the phases of the moons of Masser and Secunda. So basically speaking, the way a Kajit looks in life is directly tied to the positions of the moon phases when they are born. That's really cool. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So at birth, Khajiit are smaller in appearance, but the differences kind of, they begin to manifest in just a matter of weeks. So there are rumored to be more than 20 forms of Khajiit, but only a limited amount of information was currently known as of this lore lesson. That's all 
I could find on Wiki. <laughs> Let's talk about the subspecies of the Khajiit. Now, bear with me on the pronunciations of these names. I'm going to try to be awesome, but I might suck. So we'll go. We'll start here. So there's Ohms. This is similar in many ways to the Bosmer. I was like, what? But turns out it's a thing. So Ohms tattoo their faces to resemble a cat so they're not mistaken for a Bosmer. Racists! Kind of funny. Huh. Then there's, there's, there's these um, subspecies of a lot of these main species, and that ends with a hyphen rot. So, like, there's Ohms, and then the next one is Ohms rot. Similar to the race of men is the Ohms rot. Short tails and lightly colored fur. Sounds like a bobcat so far. This type of Khajiit walk on their heels, unlike many other subspecies. They walk on their heels, where most Khajiit walk on the balls of their feet, right? These mm-hmm. ones walk on their heels. It's like, I think you got a birth defect. Why do you walk on your heels? But anyway. They're the ones that started the war for the wood. There you go. On their heels. The whole time. <laughs> the whole but they still won. They still won. Okay. So then there's the Suthe Rot. Actually, let's talk about the Suthe first. So the Suthe, they're similar in all aspects to the Suthe Rot, but they're smaller in stature. So the Suthe Rot, similar in height and build to man... One of the most common Khajiit breeds. Their colors are dark brown to orange or light yellow. Um, most of them are without spots or with stripes. And a little tidbit for you. As of launch of ESO, all player characters that are Khajiit will be Suthe Rot. Which I thought was weird. It's interesting. It makes a little more sense when we continue down some of these because there's some smaller Khajiit and there's larger Khajiit breeds but that one kind of threw me off a little bit because it says without spots or stripes well I could expect my dude to have all that stuff so maybe they're branched out I don't know right but um, yeah I found that little tidbit of information that all player Khajiit in Elder Scrolls Online will be Suthe Rot anyway okay then there's the Cathay they're similar to the Suthe Rot in appearance but stronger and larger then there's the Cathay Rot, which are larger and stronger than the Cathay, and they're known as Jaguar Men. So I'm thinking in their in their coloring. Jaguar Men. Hmm. Jaguar Men. Yep. Hmm. Okay. Sounds like sounds like a, a Vegas show of a bunch of dudes with their shirts off. <laughs> bunch of Khajiits with the running around with their shirts off. Yeah, that's what happens in my mind on Moon Sugar. Okay. <laughs> then there's the Tojay, not the Tojam. The Toje. Little is known. Little is known about this breed, except they live in the southern marshes and the jungles of elsewhere. Then there's the Toje Rot. Nothing is known of these Khajiit except they are the larger version of the Toje. Ten four. The Alfik very similar to a house cat. Alfik are quadrupedal, which means they walk on four. But they also keep the keen intelligence of a Khajiiti. This part threw me for a loop. Okay, you're talking a house cat. Incredibly intelligent. They are able to understand the spoken word, but cannot respond. It is also possible they can cast spells. Excuse me, what? Yeah, right? I want one now. I'll take two. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, then there's the Alfik Rot. 
Nothing is known about this uh, potential or, or this particular subspecies other than they are larger than the alfique. Then there's the daji. This is a less common, commonly known form of khajiit. They live in the trees of the Tenmore Forest. Then there's the daji rot, similar to the daji, but slightly, slightly larger. They also dwell in the trees of the Tenmore Forest and are naturally skilled in magic. Uh, pomar, they are similar in appearance and size of a common tiger. There's the pomar rot, similar to the appearance of the pomar, but larger and more fierce. Now we get into the very interesting ones. The sench. Now, of course, you know that you can have sench tigers and sench felines in the game. Right. These are a very large bipedal khajiit. The sench are approximately the height of an average altmer, which is tall. However, 20 times their weight. Yeah. I was like, whoa. They have very thick... Yeah, go. I was going to say, I don't understand how that works, but all right. They're just incredibly dense with muscle is what I can think. They're huge, but incredibly dense with muscle. Mm. They have thick forelimbs and even more thick rear limbs, giving them a very muscular appearance, much like that of an ape. Their coats are ribbon with stripes in a dark crimson color. So this is a very specific Khajiit. And I don't fancy we've seen them in this game. Yeah. Then there's the sench rot, which are even larger and slower than the sench, with a shorter body and straighter legs. But the average sench, sench rot stands as tall as two altmer, massive, Whoa. and can weigh as much as fifty altmer. Wow. Yeah, that is a that's a beast. So the sench rot have been known to be employed as steeds. So employed to me means that they still have a very high form of intelligence. So they're used most often in battle, which is why they earn the title battle cats from the Imperial troopers. So Imperials at one point use these sench rot. Yeah. As battle cats, which I was like, Whoa, then there is the main, the main, the main is an incredibly unique breed of Khajiit. As we talked about before, only one main can be alive at one time and it's believed that the same mane is reborn again and again into different bodies. That is just speculation, though. That's Kajiti culture. So more than one mane has never contended for power at any one time. This may be due to the truth in traditional Kajiti belief or that the mane destroys a potential rival. So nobody really knows. But manes are born under a very rare alignment of Master and Secunda, and during this alignment, according to legend, a third moon appears. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was pretty neat. Uh-huh. Okay. We'll close it out with the typical dress of a Khajiit. Their typical ensemble are full body coverings made from cloth known as booty, which helps to protect them from the harsh rays of the sun where they live and elsewhere. It covers much of their torso fur, because exposing those areas is deemed as unsightly and offensive in Khajiiti culture. So for all you Khajiit that run around half naked, shame on you. Shame. Totally lore breaking. Shame. Uh, most Khajiit wore medium armor in battle, except for my tank that's about to wear some heavy. 
Um, they're also known to adorn themselves with very bright colors, jewelry, and trinkets, which manifests itself in some of the uh, clothing that you can buy that's of Khajiiti origin. Um, okay, notable Khajiit in Elder Scrolls lore, Razumdar. Of course, everybody knows actually Razumdar is in the tavern right below us right now. If you were to go down there, he's right there. Uh, he is an agent of the Eyes of the Queen, an intelligence network for Queen Eren. Uh-huh. Then there's Rajin, the thief god of the Kajidi, known as the Purring Liar. And we talked about him being the most successful burglar in Elsewhere's history. Uh-huh. And then our favorite, shall we never forget, mm. Maik the Liar, the recurring source of misinformation in the Elder Scrolls series, originally introduced as an Easter egg to players. That's really cool. That's the Khajiit, my friends. I'm going to... Gosh, man, this show does this every episode. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. <laughs> I literally remember saying I only focus on my DPS. Just saying. You know. Yeah. Well, so. I guess we should do a lore lesson on the Dark Brotherhood, huh? I would imagine so. I was planning on doing it anyway to avoid what would just happened. That's not good. Well, I mean, you, you know, you're kind of like in the in the know now. You're in the thing. You gotta, you know, you gotta get violent. You gotta stabby stab. Get that. Get that. Yeah, that's not me. Get that. Blade so let's talk about the Dark Brotherhood. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, we were just introduced to it. Um, what happened last week? I did not think was going to allude to what just happened now. However, it did. It's a good thing that I spent a good portion of the last week studying them when I've been trying to avoid them for so long. Anyway, (laughs) the Dark Brotherhood. From the very mysterious place in the shadows, evidently, as evidenced by what just happened, they are a guild of assassins. They lurk in the dark corners of Tamriel. The Dark Brotherhood is not an organization operating within the confines of the law, if you can't tell. So... When the law does happen to find them, they have very strong connections with the underground world, and they manipulate the system with bribery, blackmail, coercion, and murder, and that's how they keep their secrets secret. I love it. Yeah, you do. Sheesh. So excited. So you heard the mention of the Void in the Dreadfather Sithis. So the Dark Brotherhood is known for worshipping the Dreadfather Sithis, led by the Night Mother. Now there's a lot of tales that revolve around these. Some of the tales have revealed that the Night Mother was the wife of Sithis, and she actually murdered their five children in his honor. Now that is some dark doo-doo. Mm-hmm. So some consider the Night Mother to be none other than Mafala or the patroness of the Dark Brotherhood. Underneath her, the next in command in the Dark Brotherhood is the Black Hand. This is a group comprised of a listener and four speakers. So the listener is a direct link to the Night Mother, and she receives orders from, or he receives orders from her words. The listener will relay that information to the speakers, who in turn dispatch their Dark Brotherhood agents to execute whatever orders were given. So the identities of the listener and the speakers are always very well hidden, even within the Dark Brotherhood itself. Oh, man. There's a little symbolism here. Because what did we receive 
last week we received a letter that said we know mm -hmm. with the imprint of a five-fingered hand. So that is the symbolism between the Night Mother and the speakers, wherein you have a listener mm -hmm. and the speakers. Right? Listener, right. four speakers. Yep. So I'm, I'm figuring you're following this. I, I'm all about this. Yep. Yeah. So a little bit in the about the land of Argonia. This is, I kind of got a little interested in this too, since I have a new uh, Argonian. <laughs> The shadow scales. Well, let's talk about the shadow scales. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people like to RP their character as a shadow scale. So okay. throughout the history of the Dark Brotherhood, a very special relationship was formed with the Argonian race. An Argonian-only section of the Brotherhood, known as the shadow scales, is comprised of Argonians that are born under the sign of the shadow. So these hatchlings are taken at birth and presented to the Dark Brotherhood for training they learn stealth and assassination uh, subterfuge at a very, very young age. Wow. So then once they become of age, the, uh, when they, the shadow skills will f fulfill their assignment to the Dark Brotherhood in service of Argonia, and they're accepted into full membership with the Brotherhood once they become adults. Um, if they decide they don't want to, these shadow skills, deserters of the shadow skills, are killed. They're punished with death. Wow. So, yeah. That's that was a, actually pretty cool. Yeah. That's a gnarly upbringing. But, yeah, and the shadow scales are, are known to be among the best in the Dark Brotherhood. Oh, wow. So, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing. Hmm. Okay. So, how would one acquire their services? Now, if you have played through some of the games, you have seen or heard, especially if you played through the Dark Brotherhood quest lines, which are... Oh, so awesome. Mm. They're so good. Mm. Um, okay, so acquiring their services, the most well-known method of getting the attention of the Dark Brotherhood is to perform a ritual known as the Black Sacrament. It's a very profane process, and it allows those who perform it to be heard by the Night Mother. It's the Night Mother herself. So what you have to do in this ritual is you use actual body parts, heart, skull, bones, and flesh, you encircle them by candles, and you have to have a dagger, kind of like the Blade of Woe, mm -hmm. rubbed with the petals of the nightshade plant. So the following is whispered. Once all this is in place, the following is whispered as part of the process. Sweet mother, sweet mother, send your child unto me, for the sins of the unworthy must be baptized in blood and fear. Ooh. Yeah. Cue the chills. Yeah, buddy. It's freaking creepy, dude. It is. You can actually see someone doing it in the ESO, by the way. For those of you who have not played Dark Brotherhood, you get to see this. Yes. And to add another layer of creepy, in Skyrim, there's actually a child that yeah, does it. Yeah, that was creepy. <laughs> it's even yeah, yeah, it's even creepier to see a kid doing it. It's like, oh my god, that is evil. It's like, this just <laughs> happened. Oh, man. Yeah. So the origins of the Dark Brotherhood uh, has been speculated throughout the years, but many scholars have speculated the birth of the Brotherhood began in the second era with the Morag Tong, which you know is an ancient guild of assassins in Morrowind. You run through the Morrowind quest, Mor Morrowind quest line and you will run into the Morag Tong extensively. Yep. <laughs> A, lot. A lot. So it is believed that the Dark Brotherhood was formed 
when some members split from the Morag Tong over the backlash the guild received after they assassinated Emperor Remen III in the First Era, and then years later his successor, Versidu Shai, in the Second Era. So after this pair of acts, the Morag Tong got outlawed all across the continent. So one reason for the split was believed that after they were outlawed, the Morag Tong appealed to Morrowind's tribunal to basically secure their existence. Well, in exchange for their continued existence, the Morag Tong stopped all worship of Mafala and began to worship Vivek instead. Mm. So, yeah. So it didn't, it didn't fly well with some of the members of the Dark Brotherhood, um, apparently. So the Morag Tong would limit their, contact, uh, their contracts to inner house rivalry that existed between uh, some of the houses in Morrowind. Well, that really limited the Morag Tong. Um, so a lot of members of the Morag Tong did not agree with the terms of the different worship and them only doing inner house rivalries of, in Morrowind. So they subsequently left and formed the Dark Brotherhood. That's one theory. The other theory is that the split from the Morag Tong and the Dark Brotherhood's formation was a lot more religious in nature. So it was speculated that after the assassinations of the leaders and the Morag Tong's persecution, Sithis himself spoke to a former assassin and demanded the formation of a new guild, which would continue to worship Sithis and not Mafala, and would better satisfy the Void's hunger for souls. Man, this is gnarly. <laughs> yes, very gnarly. So some uh, then believe that the dark, this is a third theory, that the Dark Brotherhood was formed as an offshoot of the Thieves' Guild, not the Morag Tongue. Huh. So the belief holds that some of the members of the Thieves' Guild found it easier to perform burglaries when the occupants were murdered first. <laughs> I'm like, no, duh. Well, yeah, it'll be easier because oh, <laughs> there's nobody to <laughs> detect you. And yeah, there's nobody to either defend themselves or defend their home or yell for the guards. Mm -hmm. So... The first of these unlucky occupants was a woman who was said to have become, she was killed and then said to have become the night mother herself. The thieves guild leadership disagreed with this heinous practice and thus the dark brotherhood was founded. Hmm. Which one do you believe? I'm going with a mix of one and two. I like more acton. I like that theory. It's kind of cool. I like that. Uh, but I feel like, I feel like somewhere in there, there's got to be a Daedra that's involved. So I feel like that's where number two kind of comes into. But I really don't yeah, put much. Mafala. Yeah, I really don't put much, uh, much theory in the, the third, third uh, explanation. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not denying that it happened. Yeah. You know, maybe they. I don't think maybe that's how the the Thieves Guild or the Dark Brotherhood was formed out of the Thieves Guild. But I think there's probably been some people who in the process of thieving have murdered somebody and there's one sitting right in front of you because <laughs> you, you get caught sometimes you get caught sometimes and it's like you shut your mouth and you end up just stabby 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 <laughs> you melt them yeah absolutely so yeah so i guess this dark brotherhood thing is a natural progression for me mm. welcome to the dark side my friend now if only if i can get invited i hate how you're the one uh, who gets invited Goody two shoes, and I'm the one over here who loves to slaughter in this game. So it takes a big molag ball back, buddy. 
I don't even have a comment. I don't have a comeback. Let's talk about the glory days of the Dark Brotherhood. During the centuries following the Second Empire, the Dark Brotherhood uh, truly did prosper. They became a very, very powerful entity, most particularly right where we're at right here in the Gold Coast. Um, lots of nobles lost their lives during a power struggle in the region. I think some of that power struggle is still going on during our time period in Elder Scrolls Online. However, let's look to the future. In the Third Era, Tiber Septim... Tiber Septim's heir himself, Pelagius I, was murdered by the Dark Brotherhood as he prayed in the Temple of the One. Mm-hmm. That is some hardcore crap right there. No, Gnarly political struggle stuff, and he got murdered. So, um, despite a lot of internal power struggles and outside attempts to dismantle the organization, the Dark Brotherhood continued to spread power and influence all across the land, um, and they basically were able to have some type of a hidden guild hall or city some type of a hidden guild hall in every city or town I'm like we got a by city the third, <laughs> <laughs> by the third era uh, around year 400 um, but after several attempts they never really gained control over the region in Morrowind as uh, Morag Tong repelled them at every every attempt so it kind of lends to the power of the Morag Tong as well. But um, late in the Third Era, the Dark Brotherhood ended up being plagued with betrayal from within. So one of their trusted speakers, a assassin by the name of Mathau Bellamont, set forth a plan to avenge the death of his mother, who was assassinated by the Dark Brotherhood. It's like, oh, we killed your mom, but hey, do you want a spot? Yeesh. Mm. So during that time period, um, a lot of the members of the Brotherhood's sanctuary in Chadenhall were murdered by a rising newcomer to the Order. Some of you may remember this from a certain game as you played through. Yes. The newcomer was deceived by Bellamont into this purification of the Brotherhood. And subsequently, two of the four speakers were killed before Bellamont himself was slain by the newcomer once figured it out. Um, who is then named the listener by the night mother. If you don't remember, this is from, I want to say this is oblivion. Oh man. It's been so long. I don't remember. Yeah. It's not Skyrim for sure. Um, I think it was oblivion. It'd have to be oblivion. Cause it's definitely not Morrowind. Yeah. No, yeah, it's not Morrowind. So oblivion. Anyway, you yourself as the player go through this quest line and then you end up, killing Bellamont and then you get named listener which is creepy AF when you go through the whole thing it's like whoa that's darling I will say this back then when Oblivion launched I think it was it was like 2001 or something um, back then I was younger that creeped me out this whole quest line I remember it creeping me out I couldn't do it all back then yes I remember doing running through this particular quest line like after the wife and kid went to bed mm-hmm I'd sneak into my office and play Oblivion. And um, there were a, quite a few times where, I mean, it's dead blackout dark in my office and I'm playing through this thing on PC and I'm like looking, literally looking behind me going, this is gnarly. Yeah. But I yeah. dug it. It was so <laughs> fun to, to go through that quest line. Yeah. So, okay. Let's talk about the fall of the Brotherhood. Hmm. 
I don't want to, but it does happen. So the fourth era, it was a very dark time for the Brotherhood, and it really brought struggle and eventually some devastating blows to the Dark Brotherhood. External and internal factors prevented the organization from really recovering from the events of the late third era, where, you know, they there's a lot of stuff that happened and, and end up losing a lot of their members in that betrayal. Um, but the events and the instability in much of Tamriel during the times of the Great War, a lot of the Dark Brotherhood sanctuaries were destroyed or evacuated, and they, really the Dark Brotherhood agents got scattered across Tamriel in chaos. Um, a lot of them, a lot of the Dark Brotherhood, because of like the major political parties going on during the Great War, there was a lot of conflict with the Brotherhood, and a lot of the agents were killed by these political parties. So during that time, the Dark Brotherhood found a lot of difficulty in kind of securing and organizing contracts in those areas, and it really weakened their reputation, for sure. Uh, the Shadow Scale training facility at Archon in Black Marsh was abandoned. They had no new recruits um, to train, so the Shadow Scale tradition started to disappear. And then also during this dark period, the Black Hand became divided on which direction to take the organization. Basically couldn't make up his mind. And because of this, many sanctuaries began to fall. They, they were all just disorganized, demoralized. And then by the early part of the fourth era, there were really only four known active Dark Brotherhood sanctuaries remaining in Tamriel. And they were in Chadenhall, Wayrest, uh, Corinth, and elsewhere, and then in Falkreath. Um, in the fourth era, year 188, a bunch of civil unrest led to the destruction of the Wayrest Sanctuary. That again scattered them, out, uh, scattered them all over the place. Uh, several members of the Brotherhood were killed, including the listener from Wayrest was killed. The Night Mother's Crypt was destroyed, except for the Night Mother's Stone Coffin, which was saved by the only sole survivor of that attack. And somehow, it doesn't really go, the history doesn't go into how he got this giant stone coffin uh, to Chaden Hall, but he ended up was able to get it to Chaden Hall, and um, so because of this chaos they were in, there was no new listener chosen by the Night Mother. She was out of her sanctuary, just uh, within her coffin, and the Brotherhood was really they were left to rely on like word of mouth uh, contracts. Hmm. That was all they could get because they couldn't. She she couldn't hear anything. She couldn't hear the pleas from people doing the sacrament. So. They tried to revive her, the Night Mother, mm. uh, including the Black Hand's reaffirmation of the ancient position of Keeper. And the Black Hand was charged with keeping the Night Mother's corpse intact so that her spirit could remain in Tamriel and speak to a listener. But Rasha, the leader of the Chadenhall Sanctuary, she claimed to be the listener. But the problem was, I mean, she just wanted things to go on. So she just stepped up and said, I am the listener. Well, she couldn't confirm the words that the Night Mother had taught to all listeners, which is part of the um, indoctrination of a new listener. She did not know the words that the Night Mother spoke. Well, when the other listeners heard this, they kill her. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually... Late in the well, actually, still kind of early in the fourth era, but there was only one remaining member of the Dark Brotherhood in Cyrodiil. His name was Cicero the Keeper, 
He was said to have gone mad from the isolation, the demoralization, uh, demoralization and desperation. And in the fourth era, year 200, the night mother was taken by Cicero to the Falkreath Sanctuary. But Falkreath was destroyed around that time and uh, most, if not all, the members were killed. So it's still unknown whether or not Cicero actually reached the sanctuary before it was destroyed, what happened to the night mother's um, tomb or her coffin. And some reports claim that although the entirety of the Brotherhood was wiped out, that the Brotherhood survived and is still in operation today. I love how that ended because it's still like, man, there's still some mystery. I know. Are they still alive? I love it. Nobody knows. Not even my eek. I love it. This was back when I first started playing. I fell in love with the Dark Brotherhood back in Oblivion just because of the whole, oh my gosh, this is so incredibly sinister and it's so incredibly mysterious. Like, there is so much power in that. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Right. I need more of this. And so ever since then, I've been a fan of the Brotherhood. I loved this. Yep. Well done. It's pretty cool. All right. Well, it is that time again. And like Cash said earlier, we are doing a, a little bit of a special lore lesson again for you all. We're kind of deviating from the uh, the schedule we've got over at uh, the lore lesson page at loreseekerspodcast.com. But uh, Cash, we're doing sea elves, bruh. Yes, this is by request. We ha- and you know what I've also on our website I have uh, changed around the order from some of the stuff because you can see we have that list up of the racial motives and things that we we're going to be covering in our lore lessons and based on our conversations and you know when things got get brought up we may skew from that list a little bit so I kind of put a note in there and we've been doing that especially with the um, announcement of Somerset some weeks ago we started kind of swaying off of that a little bit and doing some other stuff before we got back to our regular racial motives. But this one was requested, so and it's very relevant to Somerset, so we decided to hop into the racial motive of the Maurmer, which is the sea elves. So let's talk about it. That very difficult word to pronounce, Piandania, that is where the sea elves come from. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. So known as the sea elves, also known as the tropical elves or the fish elves, the sea elves, the Maurmer, are a race of elves that originally descended from the Aldmer of the Somerset Isles, but something happened for them to no longer live here. So their history is very jaded. It's somewhat cursed. And according to some of the earliest accounts of the race that were actually found on tapestries within the Crystal Tower in Somerset itself. So what is a Maurmer? What do they look like? Have you seen them in games? Yes, you have. So they don't look very unlike the, their Altmer cousins, but they're typically distingu- very distinguished by like their clear white eyes. They have pale translucent skin, almost almost kind of like a jellyfish. You can kind of picture what that gelatinous stuff looks like. That's what their skin looks like. Um, and on top of that, similar to the wood elves in Valenwood, they had that skin has a chameleon like property 
that helps them to adapt to their physical environment. But how do they end up like this? The origins of the sea elves start and end with a very noble Aldmer. Now, this is Aldmer, so we're talking back in the Merithic era. This mm -hmm. Aldmer's name was Orgnum. So during the Merithic era, Orgnum attempted to utilize his riches to rebel against the reigning powers on Aldmeris. This is way back. So he didn't agree with what was going on. He had a group, a big group following him, a very large following. And because of this attempted rebellion, Orgnum and his followers were all banished from Aldmeris to the continent of Piandania, where they were just kind of, you guys are going over there, you're banished, and that way they wouldn't be able to carry out such actions against the Aldmeri government anymore. So what is Piandania? It's an island continent. It's located to the far south of the Somerset Isles. And is it, it is an incredibly harsh land. So part of the reason that they were banished here is because in order to get there, you have to travel through both ways. You have to travel through a near impenetrable mist. So Piandania was a land of very dense rainforest and was also known as a playground for southern water spirits, which we'll kind of get into a little bit. Mm -hmm. But much like the other ancient Aldmer who, who left the Somerset Isles for various reasons, like the Dunmer and the Bosmer, the generations that became of the banished Piandanian elves, they adapted those to that environment and they became eventually became known as the Maurmer. So now Orgnum was now the king, so he was known as King Orgnum, but they would not remain quiet. It's like they weren't just going to be exiled and that was the end of them. So King Lorgnum, now an immortal wizard, so he was kind of deathly, he was known as being deathless. And as a matter of fact, he was known as being, like every year he would get younger and younger, which is weird. Right. But anyway, he was said to be, uh, said to have ascended to be a serpent god, the serpent god Sadakal, and became very youthful. But he actually led the Maurmer in the practice of what they called snake magic, where they would tame these sea serpents of Piandania for use as like rideable war beasts and protectors of where they lived. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah, kind of cool. And I believe you get to see some of that in the Somerset chapter. Mm. So the Maurmer also, they also had a very powerful armada of ships. But the difference is that their ships had a very insectoid, insect, insectoid appearance. So the sails were constructed of membranes. The hull was constructed of very hard, dense chitin. And then the ships were adorned with a very alien-looking flag. So they were, there was no doubt that it was Mar a Marmor Armada when you saw it. But because of the... Um, the things that surrounded the uncharted waters of, P of Piandania, it was very difficult for them to travel past that. They found ways, but it was very difficult for them to, to pass those um, obstacles in their surrounding their area. So like one of these was very large waving tendrils of kelp that surrounded their continent, which is one of the things that they had to, they had to pass in order to get, to get out of there. But that's why they were put there in the first place. Right. So the Maurmer were very vengeful. And they remained extremely furious with the establishment on Somerset, and they were super resentful of the fact that they were banished. So because of this resentment, 
they were driven to invade and conquer Somerset at all costs. And really, they just wanted to disrupt the Altmer way of life because as, as time, time went on, the um, uh, people of our Ald Marys traveled to Somerset Isles. They became the Altmer. But the Maurimer never lost that hatred for the Altmer. So every year, they said that the Altmer say that it's very rare that a year passes that the sea elves do not attempt to invade or attack the coastlines of Somerset. But every single one of those attacks ends up getting repelled by the Altmer. So it's almost like they're, they're just a pest that won't go away. So right. because of the extreme banishment by the Aldmer, this near impassable veil of mist is what it was called. Um, and then the steadfast Altmer defenses Orgnum and his followers were truly never able to defeat their former country murder in Old Mary's, despite their many attempts. During one attempted invasion during the Third Era, and this is way past the ESO timeline, um, an alliance of united folks, uh, it was the people of Somerset and the Sigic Order, repelled an attack by the Maurimer, where the Sigic Order destroyed the entire Pandanian fleet by using a magically summoned storm. Sigics are badasses. Yep. So this conjured storm was said to see was said to be so powerful that it annihilated the entirety of Orgnum's fleet, where they could never truly muster enough force to even attempt another battle. So pretty much wiped them out in the third air. Um, some of the interesting stuff that I saw there's not there's not a whole lot of lore about the Maurimer, but right as I was going through some of the stuff on Somerset, I was able to find some lore books on the Maurimer. And actually, the, this first one that I'm going to talk about talks about the Maurimer and the Slode, which we definitely see on Somerset. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So this one is called Further Notes on the Slode, and it's written by uh, Tellinger the Artificer, which you will see in Somerset. And as a matter of fact, uh, Razumdar's book talks about Tellinger the Artificer. And it reads, On the Slode and the Maurimer, the Slode are hostile to all other moral, mortal races, and though there is some evidence of diplomatic traffic between the Slode and the Maurimer, there are also plenty of count, accounts of conflict between the Slugmen and the Sea Elves. This is no surprise since both Sea Elves and Slode are at war with the rest of the world. The Maurimer's grievance seems to be that they got stuck with Pan with Pandania, a sad and swampy archipelago of mal malodorous islets. Why the Slode are so belligerent to all others is unknown. So the Maurimer have a truly have a reason, but the Slode people don't know why they freaking hate everybody, but they just do. Yeah. And the Slode, if you remember, I forget. Right, I forget which lore lesson we were talking about the Slode, but the Slode are the ones that launched... They're, they're very well known for using magic, and they're also very good at using plagues. And I, I mentioned in my, my sonnet that I was singing earlier that the Thracian Plague... Well, the Thracian Plague was launched by the Slode. So, just kind of keep that in mind for the future okay so then another book i found was called the chosen people of Ald marys by sea lord malaroth of piandonia piandonia because it's a hard word 
So anyway, this actually this book is actually written by a sea elf. It's kind of funny. So it reads, Many still believe that the Maurmer race of Piandania diverged from the racial line of Altmer when they were exiled from Somerset Isle as criminals. This is the great traitorous lie of the Altmer. Translations of tapestries in the Crystal Tower reveal that the great Maurmer race is directly descended from the purest strain of our Aldmeri ancestors. We certainly did not come from Somerset, but originated in our ancestral homeland of Aldmeris. The Altmer themselves are the mongrel race. They are the abomination that drove our great leader Orgnum to lead our people through the impenetrable mists to our haven of Piandania. For centuries, we have marshaled our forces in preparation for our triumphant return, Somerset is ours, by right of birth as the one true Aldmeri race. All trace of the inferior Altmer race and their mongrel blood must be wiped from the face of Tamriel. Our time has come. Arise, Maurmer. Take your place as the rightful heirs to the Aldmeri legacy. That wow. sounds like propaganda to me. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little yeah. bit. So, yeah, I mean, but that's that's their mindset. And that's why, at least annually, they're attacking the, the shores of Somerset. Because they're pissed off. And they think that they're the master race. Well... I think they're wrong. Huh. Okay. So now there is a refute by um, Hayden Drill of Skywatch, a high elf. The false revenchism, false revenchism of the Maumer. And it reads, The ages-old conflict between Altmer and Maumer has raged so continuously and so long that it is easy to come under the impression that, is a, that it is a complicated struggle. Built layer upon layer, century upon century, of two-sided wrongs and reprisals. This is a fallacy of the most harmful order. It grants a hint of legitimacy to deprivations that deserve none. The Maurmer have never held claim over the Isles of Somerset, and God's willing, they never shall. I fear the fallibility we have developed in our fall from Aldmeri Grace has led to the common misconception that we are siblings to those who dwell in Piandania, but the truth of the matter is we are far distant cousins with only a shred of common ancestry to the Maurmer. This welcome revelation comes from previously untranslated Aldmeri tapestries within the Crystal Tower, which we just talked about. The unmitigated truth, revealed at last, after painstaking study, speaks not of a common plight of reluctant migration and tragic di diaspora, but a tale of treachery and exile. The blood the Maurmer spill has always been in the name of greed and hungry ambition. Their corrupt, quote-unquote, king, Orgnum, thought to usurp our ancient homeland of Aldmeris from its rightful rulers, just as he seeks to steal Somerset from us. The Maurmer are a despicable people, I love this part, the Maurmer are a despicable people who do not deserve the guilt of conscience some have afforded them for too long. Any debate on the matter is closed, the Maurmer apologists are silenced, and the prosecution of war against the Piandanians should be carried out without remorse. Whoa. That's gnarly. Yeah. yeah. That's genocidal. Yeah. Gnarly. That's, uh... Right. 
Now, I know we will come in contact with the CLs. I have a little bit. Um, it was very brief, very, very brief. But I know that, um, especially with them trying to raid one of the cities in Somerset. So we'll see more of the, the CLs as we get further into Somerset. But, man, they really have a distaste yeah. for them, don't they? <laughs> they do. So, I mean, you think that, that the Altmer are douchebags. Well, these guys are pissed off douchebags. Even worse. So, <laughs> yeah, so there's that. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some notable Maurmers. We close out the lore lesson. There's Angalmo. He's a very well-known geographer who documented Tempest Island. So now that I've been through Tempest Island about a million times, I'm going to pay very close attention to the lore next time we run through it. Because, And I'll show you why. So there's also Omanil. Omanil is a Maurmer Commodore on Tempest Island. There's Valarin. He's a Storm Mage on Tempest Island. So, Ooh, that's cool. there's a lot of Sea Elves on Tempest Island. And I'm embarrassingly enough, as a lore guy, I never noticed it. If you just want to, you know, normally get in there and get out and, you know, if it's a daily, awesome. Otherwise, if it's a pledge, awesome. We just want to, like, blast through it. So, I'm going to pay more attention to Tempest right. Island next time we, we run through. Um, there is, of course, Orgnum, the king of the Mormor and uh, Piandania. And then Yulandil, he is an ambassador to Canarthi's Roost. At one point, I forget what era, I want to say maybe third or fourth, the Maurmer had some type of a tie with the people of Canarthi's Roost. So I might have to dig a little bit more into that, but... Um, and there's a little bit more lore. Some of it was more third era and fourth era stuff. But, um, you know, as for the second era, it's just, let's leave it at this. They're still very angry and they are still hell bent on doing everything they can to interrupt Altmer lifestyle and reclaim Somerset for themselves. Kind of makes me wonder, you know, how the CL's story will progress. You know, like what's going to happen to that race as a whole? Will they get almost just wiped out? Um, you know, that's. I want to see what happens here. I, because that could be one of the many expansions that they do. Remember the uh, what was it? Shadows of the Hist. I think that they. All right. Well, it's that time again. Bringing back a very special uh, Elder Scrolls Online. I don't know why I said the game. Lore Seekers, Lore Lesson. <laughs> but uh, with the sea slowed. So, Cash, you did some studying. Let me let me hear it. I did. I was intrigued by the entrance of the slowed. And I didn't realize that in the main storyline, zero spoilers, um, besides this one little itty-bitty itty bitty one, that the slowed is a part of... I mean, like a big part. It's not just like little things that you go out and you run around and kill or you find in the world, like the Welwa. Right. Um, the Slowed are a big part of the quest line. Agreed. Didn't see it coming. No, neither did I. So I wanted to hop in and talk to you a little bit about the Slowed. I was a little bit worried when I started to do my research because I didn't know that the Slowed were going to have such a robust amount of information and then I found a crap ton. So I was like, holy moly. 
there is a lot about the Slode. So let's talk about it because they are a pretty big part of Tamriel, and I, I hadn't realized it until I started going through this. They're also known as Slugmen, and they're from an island system That's a compliment. within the Abation Sea called the Thras, or called Thras, T-H-R-A-S. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of necromancy, the Slode are very well known for their use of necromancy. And as a matter of fact, they are thought of as being some of the most talented necromancers in all of Tamriel. Confirmed. Next race, sea slowed, character name, Jabba the Hutt. Oh, God, no, it wouldn't work. <laughs> it, would, it would not work. And I will explain why these slimy, spiky, freaking weirdo Jabba the Hutt looking octopus things would not work for a race <laughs> in, in the game. But I'll tell you what they are. They are quite possibly the most hated beings in all of Tamriel. And that is not Cash the Lore Seeker talking. That is the history talking wow. okay. of the Slode. Yes, they are. They're very well known for being quite possibly the most hated beings in all of Tamriel. Before we go on, let's talk a little bit about their physical appearance and their traits. When they're born, the Slode are grubs, basically. They're small, amorphous, little, evolving, squishy, aquatic creatures. Mm. Yeah, gro- freaking gross, really, honestly. I mean, who would want to touch mm. one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, they look, they kind of have some octopusy things. Ooh, maybe that was a poor choice of words. But uh, we're going to roll with it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> during their younger years, Jim just beat himself. <laughs> okay. Whew. Carry on. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, folks. I'm not editing that out. Sorry. I know. We're not even talking about Khajiit either. It's, <laughs> I legit just yep. called yep. them octopus. We'll just, so, it's perfect. a Bond movie. It's not, you know, it. that's a thing. Shocked my wife. She didn't know that was a movie. Anyway, all right. Get your minds out of the gutters, you. Yeah, we're talking about the Bond movie. Come on. Yeah. Jeez, we're talking about Elder Scrolls. This is a game. (gasps) Kids play this. (sighs) Okay, so anyway. During the younger years, the young Slode are known as Paul Wiggles. What? I think I said that correctly. Paul Wiggles. (laughs) Paul Wiggles. (laughs) Paul Wiggles. Words, One more time. Make it five. <laughs> words are devastatingly hard. So when they're young, they're called a Paul Wiggle. Paul Wiggle. Uh, it's basically a larvae. And the mature slowed have been known to, cre- or to collect this larvae during the time of their young. So they'll literally collect the larvae that are supposed to turn into slowed and they will use that larvae the live larvae to make a compound known as slowed soap it's a waxy potent alchemical mixture and it is believed in part to be what they use in making their plagues because the slowed are known for making plagues. As a matter of fact, they are known for making the most infamous plague in Tamrielic history called the Thracian Plague, which was made from mutated slowed soap. 
So we're going to talk a little bit more about the Thracian Plague. A little more about the Slowed Soap. Um, it's canon within the games. Um, Morrowind, I want to say. The single player game. Slowed Soap uh, was used. It was an ingredient that was used along with bone meal to make a restore agility potion within the game. Mm-hmm. So Slowed Soap is certainly canon. Um, okay. Let's talk about the... We're going to talk a little bit more about the Thracian Plague once we get through the physiology of the disgusting creatures. So an adult slowed is most commonly seen stage of development. They're... Most slowed that you see are adults, basically, is what I'm saying. They're large. They're bipedal. They look like slugs. And they are known for an incredibly obscene odor. That's disgusting. It's like... A slobbery body odor. Exactly. They freaking stink. By the way, I can confirm that. That was in Morrowind. The whole uh, slow soap. Boom, yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, so they're they're really heavy. They're gigantic. <laughs> and most of them, most adult slowed, are incredibly slow, if not completely immobile, unless they're submerged in water. If they're in water, they can be a little bit more... If they're, they can move around. But if they're on land, they're anything if not immobile, like static. I feel like they're constantly RP walking is what I'm getting. Yeah, pretty much. Super slow. So they don't move fast. They have a a very, very poor ability to grasp things, you know, with their little little tiny T-Rex hands. And their dexterity is terrible, which severely limits their use of traditional tools, which is why they would be a very poor race to play in ESL mm-hmm. or in any game. Mm-hmm. So they are incapable of mating with other races. Thank God. Cause I don't, Oh God, no. that's disgusting. <laughs> really know who would be interested in that, but you never know. People are weird. You never know what people are into. And really it's none of our business. <laughs> yeah. So they really don't have visible reproductive organs. This one's awesome. <laughs> They really don't have visible reproductive organs until they grow old enough to traverse slowly on land. But at the same time, at during this time period in their development, the reproductive organs will retract. I'm having a real hard yeah. time making it through this. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I don't. We'll, we'll quickly go through this. Okay, so slow do not care for their young and abandon them at birth. Which kind of sets the stage... For how a holy they, tr- well, they truly totally are. They're just ticked off at everyone. I get it now. Yeah, they. I mean, all, we thought Altmer were douchebags. Yeah, these are terror. They're terrible beings mm. all around. So, all right. So it's speculated the slowed are also incapable of reading or writing. Although one very highly feared slowed necromancer by the name of Nagasta is known to have written a book in their very unique language during the Second Era. Hmm. Nagasta, ring a bell? Okay. Somerset? Yep. Hashtag play it. Um, The slowed are known to have a very perfect memory. They're capable of remembering everything they have seen or heard during their lifetime. That's information freaking overload right there. Mm. But they're capable Hmm. of it. They are known to have very calculated, very deliberate personality traits. 
they have very, very strong minds. So although they're slow movers, they are very quick thinkers and they're incredibly cautious in their dealings. So they think very quickly, but they have a tendency to meticulously consider every single aspect of an action and its consequences before they actually carry it out. So it makes their decision-making process very, very slow. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like for, it's funny, I, while I was reading this, I'm like, man, for law enforcement, it would be very amazing to deal with somebody like this. Because we always talk about the OODA loop. Mm -hmm. I think it's like observe, obtain, or obtain, observe, um, I forget what OODA is. Uh, decide and act, something like that. Anyway, it goes through the natural process of decision-making when you're faced with a critical situation. So to deal with a criminal that has the slow's mentality of, I'm going to consider <laughs> all the options I have available and all of the possible outcomes. Like by that time, Bro, you're in custody or you're shot. <laughs> <laughs> Crap has already happened. We're already, I'm already on my break. You know what I mean? I'm already code seven already right now. So. <laughs> so anyway, um, I thought that was pretty funny. That whole thing came out like their OODA loop is extremely slow. And if you don't know what OODA loop is, you can Google it. It's all there anyway. You do now. I, I digress. So their decision-making process is really, really slow. And a funny part that I read was that the most well-known heroes in slowed culture spend incredulous amounts of time contemplating until they finally act and they nearly always succeed. So the slowed are so intent on this slow form of contemplation that in their, in their actual language, the word adventure literally means tragic disaster. <laughs> so, so like... They have no sense of adventure at all because they have to consider everything. So there is no spur of the moment crap happening in slow culture. <laughs> it is just, it's slow contemplation and what could possibly happen? I'm going to take a year to think about it before I decide to move. Imagine how government is there. They have elections that are like 10 years long just because they can't decide oh, who to vote for. <laughs> God, terrible. <laughs> So anyway, and this is the part that real, this next part is really what stuck with me for how they truly are, for what their, the culture of the slowed truly is. The slowed are not law-abiding creatures at all, and they break laws readily, especially when they feel like there will be no consequences. So I'm like, okay, I'm kind of a law follower. I instantly freaking hate this race, <laughs> and I wanted to stop doing this lore lesson and just go slaughter as many of them as I could in the game, oh, awesome. which I will be doing shortly after this podcast because <laughs> they've they've re pissed me off now. <laughs> I'm a very law, I'm a very law abiding citizen oh, in my life, man. and this that like ticked me off. So the slowed have no true morality; they have no problem committing atrocities such as blasphemy, theft, torture, murder, genocide, Jeez. and the like. <laughs> I freaking hate this race. You're terrible so people. Bad. They have no conscience and they take forever. Like they don't do anything. It takes so long for them to do anything. Oh my, I can't. I'm already stressed out. 
Like, I feel like I need to go do something just because they they don't do anything. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Okay, so not only are they terrible beings with every decision they make, or every slow decision they make, the slowed are very socially awkward, but they do have a natural talent for acting out human-like emotions. And when I was reading this, I'm like, what do you mean they have a natural talent for acting out human emotions? They have a natural talent for mocking human human culture. <laughs> and I'm, th- I'm further thinking, F these guys. <laughs> they suck. <sighs> yeah, so, okay. They have no concept of loyalty, friendship, or honor. They don't show respect to any other beings unless they have been successfully defeated or deceived. I mean... They have dug themselves a hole. Right. Of why they are the most hated race on Tamriel. They don't speak Tamrielic typically, but when they do, they often speak in the third person perspective, much like Khajiit. So I didn't like this. I didn't like this comparison because I love the Khajiit. <laughs> so you're even more offended. I love the Khajiit. <laughs> so I'm even more offended by the slowed. Now that they speak in the third person, so this is like a giant slap in the face for you. This was it's a giant. Like, I think for anybody, I'm angry. <laughs> three hours of bullet ball suck. bag here. Yeah, the history of the slow. Now that we're away from all the terribleness that is the slow, here's the history. So they are rumored to have lived on the islands of Thras since the very earliest years in Nern. But they've also been speculated to have existed in the Somerset Isles, which could be a reason why they dislike the Altmer so much. Because it may have been speculated that they could have lived there right. before the Altmer moved in. So where they were when the Altmer when the Aldmer first landed, you know, when they were figured out that man, there's a lot of well on this in this area, we should kill it. Right. We should kill them all so we can inhabit this area. Where were the slowed then? Yeah. You know, were they hiding? Were they in caves? Did they did they see them coming? And now they're just upset that they took over their land. So who knows? Um, but some of the, the most ancient ruins in Somer- Somerset were rumored to have been created by the slowed. Um, and some speculate that the Somerset Isles themselves were originally part of the slowed's uh, kingdom of Thross. Here's a fun fact. Isgrimor, the Atmoran king, we've talked about him before, uh, some of the first um, Nordic settlers in the Merithic era. So Isgrimor was said to have had a wine sack in his possession that was made by the Slode. And this possibly indicated that he may have had some sort of contact with the Slode. Hmm. Yeah, kind of a little fun fact there. So although the slowed are somewhat physically inept, they have been able to uter- utilize necromancy and their uh, conjuration magic to summon creatures from the sea to attack Somerset Isles. And they're still doing so. In Somerset, when you play through, this is a fact. This is happening. Um, as a matter of fact, the slowed have been known to raid the Alt- Altmer from time to time, and they've done so for many, many gen- generations. The Red Guards of Hammerfell have also been known to battle against the Slowed since the time of the early Regatta settlers. So 
when the Red Guard, wow. when they were the Regatta, and they first landed on Hammers on Hammerfell, they were having problems with the Slode back then. But for the Red Guards, wasn't an issue. They quelled the attacks from the Slode. Um, although there were still sightings of Slode off the coast of Hammerfell, well into the Third Era, so well past where we're at in um, the Second Era that we play ESO. In. One particularly notable offensive that took place by the Slode occurred in the first era, year 1301. The Slode invaded Skywatch in Auradon. And the way they did that was they utilized disease as their weapon. So although the Altmer put forth a very good defense with magical constructs, they were eventually overtaken at Skywatch by a suicidal Slode filled himself with with volatile chemical potions and launched himself to the base of the cliff beneath the Altmer defensive position at High Tide Keep. When he did this, um, it blew up and they were able, the Slode were able to move in and take over that position. But they were um, eventually pushed out by Altmer um, sometime later. So they didn't hold that position for very long. And they were ended up. They ended up being uh, taken out. Hmm. So the there's a neighboring island of Erinorn. Erinorn, I got it right. Yeah. And that was actually con- conquered by the Slode and held for about a thousand years before ba- being taken back by the All Flags Navy. So you'll like this, Jibs. The All Flags Navy. Who were they? Mm-hmm. A multinational coalition of Tamriel's largest naval force in history was formed in the first era. It was year 2200 in the first era in response to the Sea Slode's devastating Thracian Plague. I told you we're going to talk about the Thracian Plague. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Thracian Plague. This was the Slode's most devastating attack on Tamriel. And it began to manifest in the western regions of Tamriel in the first era, year 2200. That's the same exact year that the All Flags Navy was formed. The All Flags Navy formed in response to the Thracian Plague. The slowed engineered plague was responsible for wiping out. Pay attention here. The slowed engineered plague was responsible for wiping out more than half of Tamriel's population. Whoa! And large amounts of livestock at the time. Yes. Wow. Significant. That's crazy. In response... Yeah, it's nuts. In response to the the attack, the All Flags Navy was formed and began to lay siege to the Isles of Thross. Like, we have to kill them all because what they did was gnarly. Yeah, how, Half the freaking population. I feel like that'd be like a terrible scene out of a movie though just to watch them try to take over a city because of how slow they move. Like how would that how would that go? You know what I mean? So the slowed sit back and they use their conjured constructs. Oh, okay. To fight. Okay. Right. And then in this one when I was when I was talking about their attack on Skywatch I thought it was funnier than hell because the way that they took it over was when that suicidal slowed, filled himself with a bunch of alchemical potions, and then launched himself to the base of their of their main defense, and basically blew up, right? And and you know 
he blew up right underneath their main defense, and the main defense collapsed into the sea. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, that's freaking psycho. Yeah, they're yeah, they're a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, so they're repulsive for one. Yeah, they smell. They're terrible beings in every respect. They stink, and they do these atrocities. I think. I mean, if there's ever a case for a race of being to be wiped off the face of a planet, <laughs> it is the slowed. I mean, I was fine with everything else, but the moment that you said they talk in third person, that did it. I've already done the black oh, sacrament. I mean, that's what it did. I mean, that was that it. was the one. The, the moment that they started acting like they're Khajiit, the worst. Okay, there's more, bro. There is more. <laughs> So they launched the Thracian Plague. Wipe out half the population. Large amounts of livestock. So now the people can't eat. So now you have a famine. In response to the attack, the All-Flags Navy, basically everybody else who was ever warring at the time, decided we need to get together and we absolutely have to put a stop to this. So they get together, they form the All-Flags Navy, they go and they start to lay siege to Thras. Many of the ships in the offensive were lost because the slowed conjured a storm at sea and a bunch of the ships in the All Flags Navy were, were they actually perished in this storm. But the bulk of the force managed to make it through and when they landed on Thras, basically slaughtered every slowed they could find, which was well played, had to happen. Right. So during this offensive, the island of Thras itself was actually sunk, although some believe it was sunk because of the slowed sinking it themselves to thwart the attack, and others believe it was sunk due to the magical powers used by the um, by the All Flags Navy uh, during their attack. So it really nobody knows how Thras was sunk, but it was. Um, the god and arch warlock by the name of Osirabane ah. from our last cast. Stop it. Um, god and arch warlock Osirabane was said to have aided the All Flags Navy with the destruction of the Slode and of the Thracian Plague itself. Huh. So it ended there. Yeah. Gnarly. That's not it. There's more. But wait. There's more. There is more. The slow to necromancy. Let's talk a little bit more about their necromancial tendencies. Most of their culture is centered around how well they practice necromancy. They utilize a recall spell as a means to travel because they're giant, disgusting, fat bodies. They can't do it themselves. And that's how they travel in a lot of respects. So that's kind of one of the first things that they learn. Some have gone so far as to say that they are among the most gifted necromancers in all of Tamriel. They use large amounts of their own larvae, their own children, in necromatic, necromantic rituals, Dude. and they have been known to revive dead sea creatures as pets and to assist them nuts. in battle. Yes, it's disgusting. So one of the most notable slow that we talked about, Nagasta, found himself in service... Of the great king of worms himself. 
He was gifted an island near Stros Mackay to practice his necromantic rituals and Daedric dealings. Mm. Mm-hmm. Religion. Who do the Slowed worship? Well, it is currently unknown if the Slowed actually worship any gods, but some speculate that they practice some form of a religion because their ceremonies are super freaking weird. <laughs> so people are like, God, they might, who is it? We don't know who it is, but it's got to be somebody that they worship. Mm. They are known to practice ritualistic sacrifice of um, sacrifices to the Daedric princes. And they have an undying respect for Mana Marco simply because of his mastery of necromancy. Many slowed consider him to be a hero of their race. Hmm. Just in case you needed another reason to hate them. Yeah, right. Well, this goes on. It does. Um, before we close on the slowed, we'll talk a little bit about their architecture. Their architecture is immediately identifiable due to their use of coral as a main building material. So on the island of Thross, a massive network of coral constructs and ancient ship, shipwrecks adorn the landscape and are used as a method of quick transport between the islands of their island archipelago. You'll like this part. Each land-based building on Thross is said to be covered with several inches of slimy water. Gosh, man. That's how they get around. That's got to be the worst smelling place. <laughs> so gross. It, oh. It's so gross. Ugh, so whatever their motivations, they are a very curious race. One with tons of speculation and a lot of hatred. Yeah, I totally get it now. All right, well, the prophet, uh, he has arrived again, and that means it's lore lesson time. And this week, this episode, pretty stoked, because, you know, we kind of, the very first episode, I think it was episode one, when we did our very first lore lesson, we kind of went over all the Daedric princes, and we named them all kind of what their meanings were, what they were about, but we didn't go into detail about any of them. We mentioned them, talked a tiny bit about a little bit about them but today we are diving in diving deep on the lore of mafala yes so in the spirit of somerset we had to do it we're gonna take a, a quick uh a closer look at mafala as she is one of the main antagonists of the latest chapter and um she's very very interesting and don't worry we're not going to spoil anything for you but her very mysterious, I say her because she usually likes to manifest herself as a female. But Mephala uh, has a very, very mysterious persona in the world of Elder Scrolls. And she may also even be based on very specific Greek mythology in our modern world. So we'll kind of talk a little bit about that as well. She is known as the web spinner, the spinner. Or the spider. But she mm-hmm. is, Mephala is the Daedric Prince of Lies. Sex. You ever notice how when people say sex, they always go, sex. Not me. <laughs> she is the Daedric Prince <laughs> of Lies. Sex. Murder, secrets, and plots. Which makes her awesome. She, once again, has no fixed gender, just like all other Daedric Princes. But she 
always manifest as a female. I don't ever know any time where she has not. She's showed up in a lot of our games um, and specifically in the Elder Scrolls Online. And she chooses to represent a female. So Mafala has a very strange hobby. And it's it's kind of the hobby of a lot of, of the Daedric Princes. Some of the war, even though Mafala is considered to be one of the good Daedric Princes, which we'll kind of go through, she's she's pretty nasty. So she amuses herself in the seduction and the interference of affairs of mortals from the Daedric Plane of Oblivion. Her particular Daedric Plane of Oblivion is called the Spiral Skine. Now, that's the reason why we're in Cold Harbor. We couldn't go to the Spiral Skine because it doesn't exist in a form that we could go to <laughs> in the game. So right. anyway, that's why we're in Cold Harbor today. Um, but the Spiral Skine, we will talk a little bit right. about it. Mephala considers, the reason she does this, she considers the drama of mortals as threads in a large web. By pulling on the proper thread, the entire web will unravel. And she absolutely revels in it, which again, makes her awesome. Here's an example of that. If any of you have, a play, have played Elder Scrolls Oblivion, which is probably about half of you, um, she interferes in the mortal race during a quest line in that game. What she does is Mephala asks the hero of Kavach, that's you, the player, to intervene in a dispute between two families in the settlement at Bleaker's Way. It's a nice, peaceful settlement, Everybody's getting along until Mafala comes in. <laughs> she basically <laughs> asks the player to kill leaders of two houses. To, she, both of these leaders, she wants them killed. And then she wants you to leave evidence suggesting that the killings were carried out by the opposing family. <laughs> so <laughs> what happens is subsequently you, end, subsequently you end up sending the entire settlement into complete bloody chaos the two families swear revenge against each other and they kill each other off, basically. They're all dead. Brutal. Right? So, yeah. Thank you, Mafala. But anyway, if you've uh, if you played the game, then you, you might remember that. Otherwise, you can look it up, too, on the wiki. So let's talk a little bit about the Spiral Sky. And this is Mafala's Realm of Oblivion. It's also known as Mafala's Web. It is the plane that is uh, one of the planes that is inaccessible to mortals unless they're brought there and is believed to be a complex series of spider webs that are formed into a big wheel mm -hmm. surrounding a palace in the middle. The palace is called the Pillar Palace of Mafala, which I thought was kind of funny, the Pillar Palace. But the true name of the palace is said to be so awful that it cannot be spoken by the mortal tongue. Really? Yes, and apparently it's too awful to be spoken by Wiki as well, because I couldn't find it, so I guess we'll <laughs> just avoid talking about that one. But yeah, so I'm like, God, was it like melt your soul if you say it? I don't know. My soul's already melted. Well, we are in Cold anyway, Harbor. Anyway, so. we are in Cold Harbor. So, Mafala's minions, the Spider Daedra, which are everywhere in the Elder Scrolls Online. They are all over the place. If you run dungeons, Spider Daedra. They're everywhere. These are her minions. They protect the palace and its surrounding area. We're going to talk a little bit more about Spider Daedra because that's why I love lore so much. 
you see something in the game and you you're like yeah that's kind of a cool looking thing but then you read the lore and the lore you get out of it explains all kinds of different things about these things that you would have never thought about right. and then when you get back in the game you have you have much more of an appreciation for how gnarly some of this stuff is or how oh, yeah. amazing it is right. I don't know I'm such a dork so into it. well we all are that's it's your are. fault I'm here I blame you <laughs> It's your I fault I'm you. here. You're the one who told me, got me back to ESO. Whatever. The good people don't need to hear our marital problems. <laughs> or lack thereof. <laughs> okay, so we talked about Mafala being um, a, one of the good Daedra. She is... She she was She's known as being one of the three good Daedra of the Dunmer. We've talked about these three before. If you played through um, the Morrowind content, then you've also heard of these three. But the three... Good Daedra of the Dunmer. This is Azura, Boethia, and Mephala as a trio. So prior to the transformation of the Dunmer, okay? Okay, so before the Dunmer were transformed, right? We talked about all that before, about, and we're not going to go into the story about how it happened, but you know, these they were transformed from the Chimer to the Dunmer. And this is a little side, a little uh, uh, side story here. I was having the hardest time with the pronunciation of Chimer. It's C H I M E R. Sounds like Chimer. Me wanting to make sure I'm doing it right, so I don't number one get hate mail or number two look like a dork. Uh, I went to the Twitters and the people on the Twitters helped, and I thank you. I had a feeling it was Chimer. Confirmed. That's how you say it, Chimer. So want to look like I digress. I digress. <laughs> So you're not saying the saying. I get it. Right. One of the three good Daedra uh, Azura, from Azura, Boethia, Mephala, prior to the transformation of the Dunmer, who were previously known as the Chimer, this trio of Daedra was worshipped. They were worshipped by the Chimer. Later in Dunmeri culture, this trio was known to be the anticipation of the tribunal comprised of these three figures. Sothasil, which was Azura, Almalexia, which was Boethia, and Vivek, which was manifested of Mephala. So, kind of confusing, but it kind of helps you understand how they were, you know, what they were seen as in the Merithic era, and then once, you know, the mortal races were founded and all that stuff, and the Myrrh and everybody now, you know, where Sothasil, Almalexia, and Vivek all come from. So, the date of this invocation of Mephala is said to be on the 13th of Frostfall. She can also be summoned by offering nightshade at her shrine between midnight and dawn. I thought that was pretty interesting. That is pretty interesting. So you can't do it eleven fifty nine, but when twelve o'clock hits, get you some of that nightshade. Okay, here's a fun fact about Mafala. Her her persona may or may not be based upon uh, modern Greek mythology in in the form of the Sisters of Fate. And the reason being is because there are some parallels that, that, have, that were found between these Sisters of Fate in Greek mythology and Mephala. Both see the lives and affairs of humans as like a tapestry or a web, and they find entertainment in unweaving them, basically interfering. I thought that was kind of interesting. No kidding. I fun facted it. I fun facted it. You did People like good. Fun facts. Fun yeah. facts. Okay, so let's talk about the history of Mephala. 
As we talked about in the Merithic era, Boethius followers, known as the Chimer, they were convinced at the time to renounce all ties to the Aldmer. Because remember, at one time, these the Chimer lived in the Somerset Isles. Well, Boethius followers became known as the Chimer, and they eventually became convinced to renounce the Aldmer, and then they left their homeland, and they ended up resettling in the land that is now known as Morrowind. When they arrived, however, Morrowind was not very kind to the newcomers. There were bandits all over the place. Um, there were There's just a bunch of bad stuff going on that made the Chimer very vulnerable. So they were taught by the trio of Azura, Boethia, and Mephala how to survive, basically. And although Azura and Boethia taught different things, you know, about architecture and different things about survival, what Mephala taught centered around evasion of your enemies subterfuge and murder from the shadows mm-hmm. which makes Mafala awesome mm-hmm. so the Chimer was a small a smaller faction in the region when they were learning all this stuff learning how to survive and they had a ton of enemies with which they had to contend so uh, Mafala and Boethia both together were really responsible for Morrowind's organized clan system the birth of the clan system which would later become the great houses of the Dunmer. What kind of a little interesting point. Mm-hmm. And once again, if you play through the Morrowind content, you, it's all about the houses. So, Oh, it, it always has been. And that was the cool thing, too. Like way back when, you know, when you played Morrowind, it was all about the houses. When back on X, the regular Xbox, you know, it was always all about the houses. And they brought that back into play with this new DLC. It was awesome. Right. Okay, so here's another uh, really neat fact, and I think that uh, you will like this, Mr. Jibs. Okay. Mephala is known for the creation of the infamous Assassin's Guild of Morrowind, known as the Morag Tong. Um, oh, you mean the B team? Because we all know the Dark Brotherhood's the A team. <laughs> B team, buddy, you're so funny. Just say it. <laughs> Just say it. Oh, my God. That's so funny. All right. Well, keep listening because I might upset you with the next few lines here. Okay. Okay. So the Morag Tong was created in order to further manipulate the political struggle with these great houses. So it basically became legalized murder. You can put a contract out on somebody um, and they would go and take care of it as long as all of this business happened within the houses of the Dunmer. So many even believe that Mephala in her evil secret dealings is actually the Dark Brotherhood's night mother. You know, I'll be honest with you. I could totally see that. I feel like from a Dark Brotherhood fan standpoint and someone who I really do like the lore of all, all about that, that does make sense. I feel like that fits. And I know we've covered it the could. Dark Brotherhood. And I feel like... Th- Absolutely, I feel like this could work because the Daedra speak, you know, to their to their cultists, to their followers. I could totally see it, right? And we remember who. I mean, in regards to Sithis and the Dark Brotherhood, we remember who the Night Mother was said to be from the Dark Brotherhood's perspective, because right. um, 
Sithis or Sanguine? Sithis was mm-hmm. said to have raped a female. Yep. And she had children and she murdered her children in the name of the Dreadfather. Right. I'm pretty sure that's correct. And she was said to be reborn as the Night Mother. Um, but this is a different theory, is that Mafala herself is the Night Mother, or the Night Mother is Mafala in disguise. Right. So, but then I have, I have so, uh, something here that I'm going to talk about when I talk about Mafala's artifacts that may debunk that rumor. Okay. So, it's really, she's really interesting. She's a very, very interesting character. And the thing that I liked about this particular lore lesson is that in the research of it, which you'll see here when I get to her artifacts, it takes you back to each game. And you might not really realize when you're playing the game that all the stuff that's happening within this game is going to be, it's going to become lore. Right. God, I love that about this universe. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all in the game and it's, in, it's written in the game. It is lore. It's yep. in the history now. So I love right. that. So let's talk about Mephala's toys, her sinister toys. Ooh, okay. So she has a Daedric artifact called the Ebony Blade. This weapon is attainable in the Elder Scrolls Skyrim and manifests as a two-handed sword resembling a traditional Akaviri Daikatana. Looks basically just like a Daikatana. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been rumored that the blade will eventually consume the soul of its wielder, so you cannot wield it for very long. And that soul is directly, the soul of the wielder is directly inserted into Mafala's realm for her amusement. Oh, my. <laughs> I know. That's I know, so dude. gnarly. I love her. I think I love her. <laughs> I'm staring, like, she's sitting on a shelf up above me right now. I'm staring and I'm, like, blowing kisses at Mafala. <laughs> I You're you. naughty. I love you. Long You're time. a naughty girl. <laughs> oh my God. I know it's terrible. Okay. So there's another set of items and this one was very interesting. Another set of items that's linked to Mafala include the 27 threads of the web spinner. These were 27 tokens, different types of, of articles, not like a, a coin, but different types of articles that were created by the Daedric Lord Sanguine. Hmm. Weird. Mm-hmm. For Mafala to bestow upon her Morag Tong followers. The 27 items consisted of a series of rings, footwear, amulets, and belts. So these 27 items went missing and were rumored to have been stolen by the Dark Brotherhood on the orders of the Night Mother. Okay, weird. But Mafala herself, she arranged to have the relics returned in a quest. This is in one of the games. She arranged to have the relics returned and the Dark Brotherhood exterminated. So this definitely debunks the myth that the Dark Brotherhood's Night Mother is really Mephala in disguise. Why would she have her own relics taken? Unless she plotted to have members of the Dark Brotherhood killed and to throw everybody off of her scent that she actually is the Night Mother. I could, oh! see, I could see that. Yeah. What a tangled web she weaves, this mm. sweet, sweet lady. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so th- this one's really interesting too, especially because I, I love the Khajiit. I really love them. They're so fun to play. 
A third relic affiliated with Mephala is the Ring of Khajiit. This was a valuable trinket sought after by thieves due to its incredible sneaking bonus. (laughs) You never know when I'm going to drop into that, buddy. Ever. So the Enchanted Ring, introduced to the player in Elder Scrolls Oblivion, has both a chameleon and a fortify speed enchantment. The ring was rumored to have disappeared from the famous Khajiit thief Rajin, who also appears in the Elder Scrolls Online, my good friends, after its excessive use. So yet another trinket or token or artifact slash relic that she has that cannot be used for too long. This one in particular, if you use it for too long, it disappears. So that's what happened after Regine had it. Nobody knows where it went. Many think it just disappeared, and others think that he simply returned it to Mafala. Hmm. But it's unknown. Um, and then this was also hinted about in the in-game lore book by the title Tamrielic Lore, and it reads, The Ring of Kajidi is an ancient relic, hundreds of years older than Regine himself, the thief that made the ring famous. It was Regine who used the ring's powers to make himself invisible and as quick as the breath of wind. Using the ring, he became the most successful burglar in Elsewhere's history. Regine's eventual fate is a mystery, but according to legend, the ring rebelled against such constant use and disappeared, leaving Regine helpless before his enemies. I think he died. That's (laughs) He's six feet under... (laughs) <laughs> he is, but the kitty has nine lives, mm. so he comes back in the Elder Scrolls Online to grace you with his presence. I think I remember and give you presents. I think I had that ring when I played Oblivion. I remember putting a ring on at some point when I was playing Oblivion, and it made me stupid fast, and it allowed me to steal things very well. That's all I remember. I imagine this was that ring. I felt like there I was in go. god mode. There you go. Okay. Let's talk about Mephala's servants, which we talked about before. We're going to close with this. The Spider Daedra, servants of Mephala, take the form of spider humanoid centaurs and can be found in many places during our travels in ESO. They have a naked upper torso, not totally naked, not naked enough, clearly. <laughs> uh, but they have a naked upper torso human arms, and then they're mounted. That torso is mounted on top of eight spider legs and a big old armored carapace. So it's basically a gnarly looking spider. If you've been to Spindle Clutch, you've seen plenty of these. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure that you have killed them. You dispatched them too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But they're known for being incredibly ferocious and they are not controllable. So even Mafala cannot control them. They just, they think for themselves, they're going to go get what they want to get. Somehow they're loyal to her, but she has a very hard time controlling them. So I thought that was kind of a little interesting little tidbit. Spider Daedra. But um, that, my friends, concludes our little look at Mephala. That was awesome. We're going to, we're going to have to go through more Daedra like this, because this is a, like you, you kind of get to know her. With uh, the main story. Freaking old blind prophet. Mm. Where's the respect?
This man's been through a lot. You know, so have we. Six weeks, 16 weeks of him inviting us to his cave. I know. And you know what? <laughs> we, we, st- we still have retained our ESO virginity. It's because we know what he's up to. <sighs> All right. Well, with the announcement of the DLC, we felt it was incredibly important that we finally talk werewolves. So, Cash, my good buddy. I don't. I don't even have a character that's a werewolf yet. I have one vampire character. You know, I've seen a lot of werewolves in Battlegrounds. Yeah, they're usually standing over your corpse. Yeah, while you're studying the lore of the arena. <laughs> yeah, there is zero, zero chance of me winning when I see a werewolf running after me. So, <laughs> But we thought it would be appropriate because of the announcement of the werewolf DLC for us to talk about last week we talked about Mephala this week we talk about her scene and her scene's werewolves why wouldn't we Right. he's a Daedric prince he's not necessarily a bad guy he just has a very particular set of rules so uh, Moon Hunter Keep and the March of Sacrifices New item sets, new monster masks, all this fun stuff. And it all revolves around the lore of her scene. Who are we not to enlighten you with who her scene is? Please. And what his impact on Tamriel may be? Regale me. The Daedric Prince her scene is also known as the Huntsman of Princes and the Father of Man-Beasts. Stop laughing. He laughs at me. My friend laughs at me. Oh, dude, it's not like I'm doing Cerebane or anything oh, right now. But if you only see your motions, all right. <laughs> so he, the Daedric Prince Hersene, can call upon the Wild Hunt to punish those who defy him. His spirit revolves around the hunt. He revels in the sport of the hunt. He revels in the chase and the sacrifice of mortals because he's Daedra. And that's what they do. Mm. They like to toy with mortals. Yeah. The Khajiit actually refer to her scene as the hungry cat. Of course which they do. Makes me lol because because <laughs> Khajiit are freaking hilarious. Oh. So the big part is that her scene is the creator of lycanthropy. That's a big word for he turns people into freaking werewolves. Yeah, that is awesome. He's said to have been summoned on the 5th of mid-year. Let's talk about how mysterious Mr. Hersene is. He manifests as a male, so we call him a he. But what you know, he's, he's not described. Nobody describes him except for what you see in the games, which is normally a very large, muscular, shirtless humanoid. He looks like he works out. Definitely so that. Arm day. He does not miss upper body day. Faux sheezy. Um, so he wears an animal skull mask adorned with a large set of deer antlers and he carries a long spear. Uh, at most times at, along his side is a, some type of beast. It's weird how it looks sometimes. Sometimes it looks just like a dog. Sometimes it looks like a full-blown werewolf on all fours, quadruped. Right. Um, Really cool looking anyway. But 
her scene is worshipped by a ton of different types of werebeasts, including werewolves, werebores, no idea they were a thing, werebears, kind of knew they were a thing, werelions, didn't know they were a thing, and then this one definitely surprised me, a were-crocodile. What? WTF? <laughs> what? Excuse me, what did you say? A were-crocodile. Wow. Yeah, that is stuff of children's nightmares, including <laughs> bald adult full-grown men nightmares, too. <laughs> I was like, what? They're low to the ground and they swim and they're... What? Mm. Yeah, they can kill you. Mm. So her scene is noted to be the most honored huntsman to walk in any plane of existence and is often revered by hunters, fishermen and women. It says fishers, but I like fishermen and women because we're an all-inclusive show, so there's that. And trappers. Mm. Mm. I know. Instantly, I, mean, I kind of knew this a little bit, but then I read about it, I'm like, you know, her scene's kind of bitching and i don't know i hate mail or not cash likes to hunt in real life i eat everything i hunt i swear i don't do it for sport anyway to read this and see it i was like this is freaking cool i am now going to pray to her scene right before i go on a hunt and i may or may not use a freaking spear and be shirtless and bring my dog would laugh hysterically watching you try to successfully hunt with a spear. What makes you think I'd send you a picture of any of that stuff? I just assumed you'd have like a GoPro and you'd be filming. No, I'm going to bring you with me. I'm going to have a GoPro. Oh, GoPro. I see what you did. You're my friend. <laughs> best friends forever. <laughs> it's best friends forever. Here, I just killed an animal. Huh. You can skin it out. Okay. Yeah. All the insurance. All right. We just lost half our listeners. Yeah, it's pretty much. Fault. It's all right. Well, you know, it just kind of happened. Whatever. He's not known to be neither good nor evil, Jibs. <laughs> okay. He's you. right down the middle. All right. So many Daedra are known to respect and honor the fairness of her scene amongst the other mortal races. And they're gener- they, he is known as generally opposing dishonor and murder without cause. Hmm. Cash likes this. I like these. Mm -hmm. This is where Mm -hmm. Hercene's temperament lies. So he's known for giving his prey a sporting chance. And he's also been known to actually honor and congratulate those who can turn the hunt into their own favor. So he likes the sport of the whole thing. He's not necessarily, welcome to my realm, I kill you now. If you can turn it into your favor, he will give you the respect back right that is honor pretty cool like that it's one of yes. the few daedra that we've seen so far that you know gives you that yes very few her scene is known not only to be need he's not known to be needlessly destructive and he mostly remains quite neutral unless you become his prey by some unforeseen chance so generally want to avoid that hmm Let's talk a little bit about lycanthropy. Her scene being the patron and the creator of lycanthropy, also known as Sanius Lupinus. This is a disease that causes the victim to transform into a were-creature 
Werewolf, and is available in the Elder Scrolls Online. Hold that thought. All races of Tamriel can contract the disease simply by being bitten by someone with the condition. However, due to the racial resistance to the disease, Argonians and Bosmer stand a better chance of staying the disease, which means they might not catch it because they are freaking cockroaches. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is generally believed that a cure for lycanthropy exists at Glenpoint Foothills in High Rock. All right. Yeah. So according to legend, the witches of Glenmoral Weird Coven, okay, they're gnarly looking witches. Mm-hmm. They're worshippers of her scene, and they can cure any one of the disease. I think this was in Oblivion. Uh, Somebody can fact check that. Yeah, fact check. I don't remember. I think it's Oblivion. But the witches are able to summon her scene for a price. They can perform a ritual called the Rite of the Wolf Giver. It is a very complex ritual of dark magicka. It requires rare alchemical ingredients and the sacrifice of both flesh and innocence to be performed. Okay. Well. So I don't know if that means that they have to kill a child or sacrifice a virgin. Either or. It sounds freaking terrible. Mm. So just don't get the disease if you don't want it. Mm -hmm. Because apparently things have to happen Mm -hmm. in order for them to get rid of it. Here's a fun fact for my friends. In ESO, you can contract lycanthropy by being scratched by a werewolf, or you can buy the disease via a token in the crown store. <laughs> buy a Don't disease. buy the freaking disease. <laughs> Don't buy the freaking disease. There's people out there that have it, and the nice people will give it to you for free. Okay, the douchebags will charge you money for it. Yeah, I said it. It's my show. I can say what I want. (laughs) Don't be a a douchebag. So anyway, after you're infected with uh, Sanius Lupinus. Ooh, that sounds terrible. You want to say that again? Is there another way to say? Is there another way to say? (laughs) One more time, please. Sanius Lupinus. How's that? (laughs) It sounds less like it comes from the Crotcha region. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Oh, Jibs. Oh, I'm crying. Stop it. <laughs> I just realized that I said Sanius Lupinus about <laughs> about five minutes ago, and I breezed right through it, which is not normally oh. like me. So anyway, you can be infected with SL after completing the quest. Hercene's <laughs> gift, the vestige, will complete his or her transformation into a werewolf. And it'll make you completely badass. So there's that. Oh. Hmm. I know. Sometimes this show, I tell you. I tell you. Yep. Kicks me right in the jibblies. Right in the jibs. <laughs> All right. So the history of her scene debated for many years. He was never truly mentioned as being part of the early history of Nern. But many believe that he was part of the early history because of the fact that the lycanthropic disease has been around since the Merithic era. So there's a little speculation there. So like, well, where did this dude come from? But wait a minute. If he's in charge of this disease and the cause of it 
It's been around since the beginning of Nern. What's the deal? Nobody knows. Uh, many believe that her scene is a Daedric spawn, much like that of Malakath. You remember him from our um, talkings of the orcs. Mm-hmm. Actually, we haven't covered the orcs yet, have we? No. Bro. I know. So orcs and Argonians, I don't think we've I covered. I know. We've still got to go over those. Dude, you're such a slacker. Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, let me get on that since I do the Lord of Lessons. Yeah. <laughs> Malakath, rather dormant Daedra. He's kind of quiet, except for the fact that he manifests in the mortal plane once every thousand years or roughly every era. And he takes part in a renowned hunt called the Blood Moon Prophecy. Cash, cash. What's the Blood Moon Prophecy? Stay your hand. Mm. I'm about to teach you. The Blood Moon Prophecy, my friends. Okay. This is a skull legend, which comes from the native Nords of Solstein it tells of the hunt of her scene. So in this event, every thousand years, roughly once an era, her scene himself enters the plane of mortals and releases his beasts upon the land. There are four signs that precede the blood moon prophecy. This is a DLC for oblivion. So just so you know, blood moon prophecy, you probably remember it. So the first sign that precedes the Blood Moon Prophecy, the coming of the hounds. The werewolves, the werewolves will appear on the island of Solstein. The second sign is the fire from the Eye of Glass. This is a pillar of fire appearing on the surface of the frozen Lake Fjalding. The third sign is the Tide of Woe. This is a massacre of horkers. So carcasses of numerous horkers will wash upon the what did I do this time no it's just the word horkers 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 these are dead horkers they have the, they lived a life and now they're dead Jibs and you laugh I'm so sorry I know it's a lot of blubber on the beach who's <laughs> gonna clean that up I bring my family here mm. anyway okay um, along the northern coastline of Solstheim carcasses of numerous horkers will wash along the beach. The last sign is the blood moon. This is the final sign coming from the blood or of the coming of the blood moon prophecy. The moon of Secunda turns a crimson red from the blood of the hunter's prey. Once all four signs have been witnessed, once all these Swiss cheese holes have lined up just perfectly, the hunter's game begins. This may vary. From era to era. What does it involve? It could be the killing of a certain tribe. The killing of just one being. But this is her scene's bidding. He wants a certain task to be completed. It's a hunt of some sort. After that hunt ends, her scene returns to his realm until the next era. How would you like that as a quest line, huh? Or an event? I have a feeling that is what is coming in this DLC. It's going to be bitchin'. I hope That's so. a California word. I hope you like it. If you don't, well, you're a duty head. <laughs> you're giving a lot of ultimatums tonight. <laughs> I am, I know. Okay, let's talk about Hercene's uh, toys. He has just a few of them. The first one is Hercene's ring. 
This artifact can suppress the bloodlust suffered under the lycanthropic condition. The ring renders the wielder able to turn into a werewolf at will, which is not just during the full moon, and can readily suppress his or her hunger. Okay. This brings me to another of Hersene's toys and the fact that I had to use Google and YouTube to figure out how to properly pronounce Quiris. What? Quiris. I have figured it out. I didn't know for years. So the word for the covering of one's torso, C-U-I-R-A-S-S, in this case, the Quiris of Savior's Hide, is pronounced Quiris. So proud of myself. I'm so proud. So according to the book of Tamrielic lore, the Quiris of Savior's Hide has a special ability to resist magicka. Legend has it that Hercene rewarded his peeled hide to the first and only mortal to have ever escaped his hunting grounds. This unknown mortal had the hide tailored into this magical Quiris for his future endeavors. The Savior's Hide has a tendency to travel from hero to hero as though it has a mind of its own. Very interesting. And that is straight from the Book of Tamrielic Lore, which apparently has a ton of insanely cool freaking information on Daedric artifacts. Because I remember talking about some of Mephala's toys from last week, and it also quoted the, ta- the Book of Tamrielic Lore. So guess what Cash is hunting for? Hmm. Adoy, the Book of Tamrielic Lore. All right, the last one is called the Rufal Axe. This battle axe, which does not require some special type of pronunciation, is adorned with a howling wolf on each blade. So it's basically a two-hander with two blades, a blade on each side. It is obtainable in Elder Scrolls Skyrim and was created by the Daedric Prince Clavicus Vile, that dirty bastard. (laughs) <laughs> so the father of a Hercene worshiper could cure his daughter's curse by killing her. This is gnarly. This storyline is gnarly. There was a father who had a daughter. Fathers love their daughters. This daughter in particular was a worshiper of Hercene and she had lycanthropy. So her father prayed to the gods to find a way to cure her of his daughter's curse. So the Daedric Prince Clavicus Vile provided this father with the rueful axe so he could cure his daughter's curse by murdering her. Yeah. Really? Duder, it's gnarly. Agreed. So, that's a nice way to end our lore lesson. I've been looking for you. That's something I'm supposed to deliver. Well, we had a little announcement at E3, my friends. We talked about it last week. And uh, we talked about the wolves. Last week. This week. We are going to be covering... We're actually killing two birds with one stone this week. Because we had to cover the Argonians anyway, but now with the announcement of the Merkmire DLC, which is on the way, we figured we would cover our favorite lizard friends from the dirty swamps of Black Marsh. 
And Jibs and I can absolutely agree. It is hot, dirty, nearly inhospitably inhabitable. It's gross down here. It makes me never want to hug an Argonian. Yeah. I feel, well, I feel I, like, it would hurt. I f- yeah. Like I, it's there's a mixture of scales and ugh, gosh, it's like someone never put lotion on their hands. <laughs> yeah, and trust me, they do not want to hug you back. We're going to get into that, especially if you are a Dunmer. Dunmer okay. equals dead, according to Arconians. Really? Let's... All right. I'm coming into this blind, so enlighten me. Yeah, so the funny part is, and I think we kind of chatted about this a little bit earlier in the day, Jibs. This is one of our longer lore lessons. But when you read about the Argonians, there are a lot of references to there's not that much history. uh, Little is known about this. But it's going to turn out to be one of the longest lore lessons is on the Argonian. It is a very interesting race. Very interesting. And there is a lot of speculation in uh, their history and their culture. So... I'm excited to cover it just because of that mystery. Um, here, here's one thing I didn't realize. The Argonians are, no, are also known as the Soxalil. And I remember reading one of the novels that the Elder Scrolls Online has. And I, the name of the book, I lost the name of the book. So if Jibs, maybe you can look that up for me. While I talk about this. But anyway, I remember them book. mentioning the Soxalil. There's there's only two novels mm-hmm. that are out there. Um, and it was it was good. But one of the main characters was an Argonian. He, and they referred to him as a Soxalil. And I'm just like, what the heck is that? So then I got to reading about it. And I was like, ah, there's that word again. So Argonians are oviparous, which basically means they're hatched from eggs. They are a reptilian race from the very dank and swampy province of Black Marsh. But unlike most of the other races on Nern, Argonians are completely unrelated to any other race of man or mer. So they are their own thing. Um, the Argonians are believed to be deeply connected to a system of great trees. These trees are known as the Hist. And this becomes... A big part of the storyline, um, they, there's storyline about the Hist in Cold Harbor, definitely down in uh, Shadow, the Shadowfen area in Black Marsh. So you will, if you've done anything revolving around the Argonians, they're going to mention the Hist. So just know that we're going to, we're going to talk in great detail about what the Hist is and the tree and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. here's a little fun fact. When I first heard of Argonia, I am picturing Argonia as like all the other races, an island or a continent somewhere that we haven't seen or visited yet. That's kind of how I always thought what Argonia was. But it turns out, after my research, Argonia is actually just another term for the Black Marsh. It's hmm. the same thing. Okay. It's just called Argonia. It's just because Argonians are pretty much the only crazy race that uh, is willing to put up with the, the environment down there. Right. So, but anyway, Argonia, Black Marsh, 
super swampy rainforest, home to the Argonian race. It has literally been called in the Pocket Guide to the Empire, third edition, Black Marsh. Black Marsh has been called the garbage heap of Tamriel. That would suck if that's what your home was known as the garbage heap of Tamriel. So that earned the fun one of the fun facts for this particular lore lesson because I thought it was hilarious. Let's talk about the trees, Mr. Jibs. Very interesting part is that the hist, a sentient tree that once adorned the entire landscape of Nern, this sentient tree is actually a race. Shut up. I was like, no, you shut up. I was like, what? <laughs> it's a race. Okay. It's a race of sentient trees. So they used to be all over Nern, but now the trees have, have really only been confined to the area of Black Marsh. Some claim that the trees are the most ancient race on the planet of Nern, even predating that of the Elnafe, the old gods, which that's a pretty bold claim right there. Hmm. Uh, but the trees are incredibly revered by the Argonians. The Hist itself is incredibly revered by the Argonians. They consider the Hist to be the source of all life on Nern. Hmm. It might be a little ambitious, but that's kind of what they consider. That's what they believe. So the Argonians consider the Hist to be both their prior existence and their afterlife. So the entire existence of the Argonian revolves around the Hist. That part has a very, very deep history and very deep uh, cultural followings by the right. Argonians. So the Hist used to be all around Nurk. What made them disappear and only grow in the Black Marsh is really not fully understood. It's been speculated that it was a result of the Elnafe Wars way back when. That was pre-Marithic, I believe. Mm -hmm. Because the Dwemer, or because the second theory is that the Dwemer chopped them down for wood. <laughs> it's like, oh man, that sucks. <laughs> I kind of equate that to uh, the orcs in the Lord of the Rings chopping down all the great trees right? Um, for firewood, basically, so they can keep their, their, their fires burning so they can make more weapons. I'm like, that's terrible. But yeah, if the Dwemer did that, then they suck even more. Anyway, <laughs> so the history itself is said to be mobile, but it's never been proven beyond mere speculation, which... Could be another unproven fact that came from Argonia. I, nobody knows. There is a similar tree that exists in uh, Clavicus Files' Realm of Oblivion, but the trees that he has may be a little bit less intelligent form than the Hist. Um, the Hist actually have the ability to form their sap into different things. They uh, have the ability to shape life and then even change the form of life which we will get into here in a second when we talk about how Argonians are, are born. It is said that the Hiss communicate with one another because they're all supposedly interconnected. So communication will take place with beings that ingest the Hiss sap. Now we're going to get into why you ordered that drink earlier, Jibs, and why I led you into that trap. Oh. 
Okay. How's it taste, by the way? I mean, is that amazing or is mm. it a little gamey? No, I haven't drank it. I refuse. I'm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Yeah, it might enlighten you. You don't know. Take a sip. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's bad. Okay, perfect. You just keep connected to this lower lesson when I tell you where that sap comes from. Okay. So the hyssop is utilized by the Argonian culture as an ingredient for alchemical creations. Some folks use it for recreational hallucinogen, which I'm kind of hoping chips <laughs> here in a minute. <laughs> but in Argonian offspring, the hyssop is said to stimulate various growth patterns, including determining their gender. So I'm not saying you're going to turn into a male or female Argonian. We're change but live on the yeah, air. but but the way that they that that baby Argonians hatchlings get their milk, they basically get their hyssop. They feed on hyssop, but they get it from their mom's boobies. <laughs> So that's, that's they just drank Argonian boob milk. <laughs> yep. No. Come on, man. I think it's awesome. I, I think it's awesome. There's so many things I want to say to you I can't say on the air right now. <laughs> or it might have come straight from the tree. You don't know. I'm just saying. I really hope it's... I hope well, it's any of you who are eating while you're listening to the show, you're, I hope you enjoyed your meal because clearly you're done now. He's like, geez, that was salty. It's so salty. But I know it's good Ugh. for me. That's, ugh. I'm repulsed. You can't see my face, but I'm repulsed right now. Yeah, get over it. You're fine. Okay, let's talk about the physical appearance of Argonians. They, as you've seen in the game, they resemble bipedal lizard folk. Long and short of it. They have scales uh, with gills on their neck, similar to fish. Gives them the ability to breathe underwater. Mm -hmm. um, in this game, since there is no underwater gameplay, Zoss, please listen to us, and maybe a future expansion at some point will bring us underwater. But uh, they do have the ability to swim faster in this game. In other games, such as Skyrim, they have underwater breathing. Um, so you can jump underwater and get yourself any treasure you want and take your time. So they often, because of this, and because of living in a very wet, marshy environment, they have distinct advantage over their enemies. So they are known to be experts in guerrilla warfare. So they will do things like preying on enemies that walk close to the river, you know, as, as their enemies travel. Um, they'll Enemies that travel in boats in the waterways. They have very, very powerful fins, propelling tails, and a snout with razor-sharp teeth, and underwater vision. So fighting an Argonian in the water is incredibly dangerous, if not fatal, for non-aquatic races. Huh. Which I think is pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. I'm kind of surprised we haven't, you know, that Zoss hasn't moved in that direction yet with, you know, like, something that unique from a, for a race. They, uh, maybe that could be coming out with Mark Meyer. Hmm. I do not know. So when swimming, Argoni Argonians can use their powerful tails to basically propel themselves through the water very quickly, very gracefully. Um, and then in combat, their tails 
also provide extra balance. Remember, they're bipedal, so they can stand up and then they got like this kind of a tripod type thing working or they can use it for extra balance, similar to the way a kangaroo would IRL. So gives them a distinct advantage with balance and combat. Hmm. They have um, many, many variations of cranial features, which include fins, feathers, spines, spikes, horns, and ridges for you to customize your look. Okay. When an Argonian begins his life. Remember, as we were saying, they are oviparous, which means they're hatched from eggs. Right. So Argonians begin their life in an eggshell among clutches of many other eggs, similar to the way a crocodile or an alligator would. Right. Or a turtle. A sea turtle. Turtle. So once the eggs are laid, they are placed in hatchling pools near histories. So eggs that do not hatch or offspring that die are said to have lost their connection to the hist. Surviving hatchlings, you're going to love this part, buddy, feed on hyssop, rumored to be from their mother's breast. You are the devil. I am awesome. That's what I am. Anyway, throughout their early development, this is the practice, and according to Argonians, feeding on hyssop actually gives the hatchling its soul which is amazing. So when that Argonian dies, the Argonian is, he's has a connection to the hist. He's lives a full life. When that Argonian passes on, it is believed by the Argonians that his soul is accepted back into the history and stored as sap for another hatchling to consume. And basically what this is, is this is his knowledge that's getting stored his experiences. So another Argonian hatchling that feeds upon his sap or is nurtured around that same history will gain the knowledge of that Argonian. So it's like passing on the torch. This is what I've learned. And now as a young hatchling, now, you know, these experiences, I'm like, that's, that's pretty cool. That's freaking spiritual. <laughs> It's really, awesome. Really cool. Is that yeah. is now um, okay. It kind of cut out so I lost you for a second. Is that rumored or is that like fact? That is what they believe. That's what they believe. Okay. All right. It okay. could be complete BS. But I choose to believe. Okay. Well, I choose to believe that the drink you gave me is not boob milk. I think you might be wrong. <laughs> But it's okay. What's wrong with boob milk? We've all had it. Oh, I don't know. A lot of things. Was Carry it thick? On. We don't need to Was... just... <laughs> nope. Just... <laughs> okay. So... A very rare occurrence may occur. Argonians may be able to survive without the nurturing of the hist as, as eggs. You know, when they're an egg, if they're not near the hist, they they may survive. Um, Or without consuming the hist sap when they're hatchlings. And this would go to show that um, Argonians that were, say, born away from Black Marsh can still survive. But traditional Argonians, the ones from Black Marsh who were nurtured near the histories, 
consider those Argonians that were not nurtured in their histories to be disadvantaged or maladjusted, and they claim that they're unable to understand Argonian social cues or body language because they're lack of connection to the hist. So basically, Argo traditional Argonians believe that Argonians that were not raised by the history are full Bosmer, pretty much. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Well, at least, all right. Yeah. At least it's ju it's just what what's believed. Okay, I am going to bring in a fun fact. I loved this part. I had to drop it in there because I think it's so incredibly relevant. The Naga, right? We've all uh -huh. run into the Naga. The Naga are actually a breed of Argonians. It's a, it's a different breed, but they are considered Argonian. They grow up to eight feet tall. They had black scales and eyes and a big old mouthful of fangs. They don't have um, their snout looks like it's a little bit uh, more tapered. Uh, but they live in the inner swamps of Black Marsh, and they have very little contact with other non-native races. They are in, uh, incredibly hostile to other races. The Naga are notorious for being the outlaws and thugs of Black Marsh. Okay? Uh-huh. The area of Black Marsh where the Naga reside is called Merkmire. Shut up front door. You shut the front door because this is some true stuff that I'm talking. I'm spouting fact right now. I love I it. it. I know. It's cool. And so, yeah, I take it in the DLC. It's Mark Meyer. So guess who we're going to meet? Mm-hmm. The Naga. Mm -hmm. they're, not very, they're not very good Argonians. Not very friendly. Yeah. Okay. Talk a little bit more about the perishing of an Argonian. We did talk about how their soul goes back to the history to pass on their most vital memories to new generations, right? Right. It is unknown what happens to those memories or to the memories of an Argonian who perishes when they are away from history. So say an Argonian who was born and raised in Black Marsh dies during the Three Banners War, say, on some lonely field in Cyrodiil, Right. Right. What happens to his soul? So people really don't know if the memories travel to the closest history to where he passed or if they're just lost forever. It's all speculation. Nobody really knows. Right. That's the mystery of the Argonian. Is all of this stuff that is considered lore to the Argonian, is it even true or is it just urban legend based on their cultural beliefs you know that is it's such a cool i had i knew nothing about their backstory and again normally uh, you know when you do when we're doing a a, a motif a race motif i don't i unless it was the dunmer i don't i didn't want to study up on it because i want to experience it with everybody i had never realized that they have such a unique pers perspective on life with you know like passing on the knowledge and passing on pretty much their self to the next generation I had no idea that was even that important to them I just assumed they lived in marshes and they smelled <laughs> no I think it's more than that um, and actually this makes me want to um, I want to go back and read the book again where the Saxaleel was such a big 
part of. Um, the book, in case anybody is interested, is called uh, The Infernal City, an Elder Scrolls novel. It's written by Greg Keyes. It is the book one of two. Um, and gosh, I just, man, we even talked about it. We've already talked about it on, on a, a previous show. I just wish. It's inf- Infernal Souls? Inferno Souls, I think. Infernal, the Infernal City. Yeah, it's called the Infernal City. Um, okay. I just wish that there were more books. Why are there not yeah. novels? I mean, they would knock it out of the park with the amount of lore. Jeez. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you know, for Elder Scrolls Six, Maybe we'll see a new novel. Well, you know that, like, that's... I mean, well, think about it. That's one of the reasons why, not to jump out of lore here, but, man, Warcraft fans? I mean, and just kind of stepping out of that whole community uh, probably within the last year, they are rabid for novels they'll pre-order they'll listen audio they don't care they love them it's feeding their fandom i i don't know here's here's the only thing i could think of and i really don't feel like it's a strong enough argument but it's the only thing i could think of to maintain the um very word of mouth lore that eso has where it's from someone's perspective Maybe that's why we don't have novels, because then it would become official as a certain way set in stone. True. Um, to tag on to that, maybe there aren't novels because um, the lore masters of Elder Scrolls, maybe even number one, they're tired of writing because there are so many books in the game. <laughs> so I get that. And, well, I mean, really, you look at, there are no, there's not that amount of content in World of Warcraft. I mean, I think you can read some stuff, but it's not as much yeah. written content as the Elder Scrolls by far. Right. So maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe they want you to go in and find it on your own, which is all fine and well. It's fine. But I love like expanding my knowledge while I'm, while I'm driving or while I'm, you know, working in my garden or, you know, cutting the lawn, whatever, working out. Okay. I love expanding my knowledge when I'm doing those things. And I would love to just throw on a headset and listen to an audiobook or actually sit down with a book and read. And there are plenty of books to read out there that, you know, they have the, um, the different volumes on the lore and the land and all that stuff. And I, I love those books. But some of the stories that can come out of this, you know, you read these quests and the quests are incredibly rich and voiced. Right. And so to put that, some of those stories into a novel or some of the things that, I, that I've that i read are covered in these lore lessons, you could have an yeah. entire book on the sea elves and the things that they went through, an entire book on Isgrimor and all the things that, that, that he went through on his, on his journey to Tamriel with his people. And right. there's so much there and I'm not got off on a tangent but I, I really don't care about all that because <laughs> <laughs> this is our show and I want people to know how I feel it's our job so anyway. to talk that's why you come yeah job I'm... wait this is a job I don't know I haven't got my paycheck yet yeah well it's in the mail I'll add a zero it's to the front 
<laughs> I saw that on Twitter the other day. It made me laugh. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about the uh, the history of the Argonians, and you will laugh to hear that it literally says there's little that is known from most ancient histories of the Argonian race during the, the Dawn era, the Merithic era, and the First Eras. And here's why. The race was incredibly confined to their own society and uh, the regions of Argonia or Black Marsh. Because of this, they were largely removed from much of Tamriel's history during those periods. And I kind of, this next part I kind of thought was really noble of them and, and kind of humble. And maybe it lends to how they are as a people. You know, they're very... They're they're kind of a quiet race that very much sticks to themselves, and we're going to get into why. But the very the few Argonians during those time periods, and specifically the Dawn, Merithic, and First Eras, the few Argonians that did venture out of the home region of Black Marsh, showed more interest in integrating with the greater society of Tamriel, rather than sharing their own stories and their own tales of origin. And when I read that, I went, I, I would, I need to look more into that and find out what examples the writers of these wikis got that from, because it gave me a greater respect for the Argonian race. Right. And we need more of that here. We need more of that in our own lives of where somebody is less interested in themselves and more interested in what others are doing and have done and have to offer because it just, it lends to their curiosity about other cultures and races. And to me, their, their kindness and humility. Yeah. Right. So I thought that was, that part really kind of struck me as man, I, I want to learn some more, uh, some more about that and how Argonians actually, actually are. Um, and they have had, you know, the history that we do know of them is it's pretty freaking harsh. I mean, they've been through some crap. So let's talk a little bit about it. Um, the late part of the first era, the Argonians were defeated by the, the Remon Empire at the Battle of Argonia. So after this defeat, the slave traders moved in and they began, you know, the Argonians were defeated. They had a real hard time defending themselves. So the slave traders moved in and started moving these Argonians into large and very large numbers into the Dunmer provinces. And then they were sold for slavery. So the Black Marsh, instead of being just home to the Argonians, really became like a prison province. Right. And besides the slavery of its people, the Argonian history still remained mysterious through much of that time period. And especially like through Elder Scrolls Online, it's still kind of a mysterious history. Um... In the second era, about year 560, the Argonians, if people think it's the Argonians, but not quite sure because it's all such a mystery. But it is contemplated that the Argonians struck back at their oppressors and that they launched a deadly disease called the Kanaten flu. Yeah, the Nahatan flu. <laughs> The Kanahatan flu. <laughs> Here comes the mail. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Look at look at our article because it has 
It has weights. K N A H A T E N. Oh my god. The Nahatan flu. Okay, that's what I'm going to end with. Uh, right. So this flu, which was speculated to have been launched uh, by an Argonian shaman or by Argonian shaman in retaliation for Argonia's oppression, this flu affected much of Black Marsh. It, although it's not clear where it originated, it, people are saying, well, maybe it was an Argonian shaman that was you know, really pissed off and he launched his thing, which, you know what? If those people are being oppressed, good for them for launching the thing. But whether it arose from natural causes or was actually created by an Argonian is not known. But here's how the whole thing goes down. And it's actually kind of brilliant. It began in Stormhold. But the disease quickly spread to the entirety of the Black Marsh, decimating every single non-Argonian in its path. Wow. The Argonians and the Hist were completely unaffected by the plague. So that could be because they have incredible resistances to poison and disease innately as their race or because it was genetically designed to operate that way and to get everybody else affected in Black Marsh out. So this thing decimated the entire region of Argonia. And even when the land healed years and years later, this was 40 years later, the land eventually healed and became habitable again the fear alone of the disease kept most foreigners from traveling to the province. So Argonia was basically reclaimed by the Argonians hmm. because of the launch of this disease. Wow. Yeah. Again, how it got there is a mystery. Nobody knows. Hmm. Here's a story that you're going to like, and you're probably going to recall this from a certain game. In the third area, and I, and I, I kind of titled this one, you know, how Argonians are very fierce in battle, because they absolutely are. In the third era, during the Oblivion Crisis, these Oblivion Gates were opening all over, and danger were coming out. So an Argonian political faction, a whole bunch of their uh, pow most powerful clans got together and basically led the charge against the Daedra who were coming through these Oblivion Gates. So the Argonians were like set and ready to go when the gates opened in Black Marsh. And instead of the danger coming out of the gates, this group, this army of Argonians went into the gate and basically took the fight to the Daedra on their own immortal plane. That's so awesome. It's awesome. So the surprise attack on the would-be invaders was so devastating in their own realm that the Daedric lieutenants were forced to close the gates themselves to prevent complete defeat by the Argonians. That is awesome. Yes. So who knows how many Argonians lost their lives or are still stuck in oblivion because the whole, because they closed those gates on them. But to keep from completely being overrun, the Daedric lieutenants had to close the gates. And I was like, that is a great example. It's going in my lesson because that shows how fierce and smart and great at guerrilla warfare they are. It's like That's, they're going to do what you don't expect them to do. That is so freaking cool. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so quick note on Merkmire. We know it's coming to ESO in 2018. Um, 
the region itself is south of Shadowfen, and it is said to have the elusive Naga. But here was kind of a, this is a, just another one of my fun facts. I'm just kind of you know intermixing stuff to keep this fresh and fun. Anyway, the area is rumored to be a full zone of its own in ESO, as opposed to just you know like a little supplementary area that they're going to add in. And I guess this was leaked at the um, community event the devs of ESO had in LA for E3 this year. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I read on the wiki. You always have to believe everything on the internet, right? So, because it's all true. So anyway, I thought that was cool. Just a little fun fact to throw in. Let's talk a bit about Argonian culture. We've already talked about how the Argonians are incredibly codependent on the uh, histories in Black Marsh. Not much is known about their culture otherwise, just because they were strict isolationists. They had very, very powerful tendencies towards being on their own. Um, they had, because of the, you know, all the secrecy that they have going on, people believe that they had that secrecy just because they're such a tribal culture. Um, so being so good in and having a, a true mastery of warfare and guerrilla tactics, Argonians favor ambushes and hit and run tactics to achieve their goals. And I thought that was a super interesting point. Mm-hmm. Um, one cultural aspect that is known of Argonian life relates to their marital customs. This I also thought was, was kind of neat. It's like, oh my God, oh my gosh, it's so sweet. Oh, anyway. crap. It is customary for an Argonian suitor to present his lover with an Argonian wedding band crafted by the giver. So, Jibs, I want to marry uh, the lusty Argonian mate, right? Okay. Okay. I, I craft a wedding band for her. Now, this ring that I craft for her is very unique and has personal meaning to both the creator and the recipient. I was like, oh, my God, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. The marriage ceremony itself is incredibly long and complex. There's um, rituals spoken in their native language, which is called gel, J-E-L. Hmm. And, um, yeah, spoken in the traditional Argonian tongue. Very cool. Interesting. It is interesting. Argonians are incredibly insular. We've talked about, they trust very few men or mer because most of Tamriel considers them beast folk. So they're kind of consider them to be the low, you know, on the lower end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. They're also the victims of slavery. So it's because of the slavery, it's led to very rare occurrences of Argonians befriending outsiders. Like they normally just want nothing to do with outsiders, but when they do, Argonians are known for being incredibly loyal to friends of other races uh, to the point to they will absolutely fight to the death for that friend. Wow. Also, also love that. Like that's super cool. So, and then also because of their struggle struggles with slavery, they have an incredibly deep, deep hatred for the Dunmer the original enslavers of the Argonians. Oh. <laughs> totally get that. The hatred eventually led to the Argonian invasion of, of Morrowind during the Fourth Era, where they took over a lot of Morrowind. Um, there is no known religion that is traditional to Argonians. 
because of their close affection for the Hist. The Hist is said to be incredibly intelligent and fully conscious, which connects the Argonians through the Hist app, which we talked about, um, which is the reason that there really is no official religion because they have such that strong connection to the Hist. But it is worth mm -hmm. noting, we also talked about it in a previous lore lesson when we talked about Dark Brotherhood, that the Argonians do acknowledge the existence of Sithis. So because some Argonians are, that are born under the sign of the shadow are given to the Dark Brotherhood at birth and trained to be stealthy, sneaky, sneaky, stabby, stabby assassins known as the Shadow Scales, um, they do believe that Sithis exists. The Shadow Scales uh, serve Black Marsh as spies and assassins for, for political gain. We did talk about that in a previous lore lesson. Thought I'd throw it in here just because it's really freaking cool. So that, in a nutshell, right. is the Argonian race. And um, still probably the number one race for a um, tank build. Still talked so about. Cool. It is so cool. Um, I have a, a... He's kind of a newish... Argonian tank, and he's really a lot of fun. The sustain on that character for his resources is incredible. So, yeah, if you're going to roll a tank, solid choice wow. to roll an Argonian. Man, these, these lore lessons never cease to make me think a second time about a race, even including to about me rolling a new character with said race. Um, yeah. When we first started this show, I passionately hated the Altmer. Now I find myself with an, a, like I see their point of view. I see where they come from. And now, I mean, we, you know, we did the Red Guard. And now I'm, I'm rolling a Red Guard. And now with, with the Argonians, I want to make an Argonian. They're so, they have such a nobleness about them in the way that they do things. And they're very genuine. Yeah. And I, I love it. I love their outlook on life. Yes. And as, uh, as I went through the lore lesson and put it together, I consider the Argonians to be kind of like a gentle giant, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you, you know, like they've been through some incredible hardships. They have a deep sense of connection to where they're from. They're incredibly kind to one another, but when you cross them, they will devastate you with their their martial knowledge, the knowledge of their own environment. They use it to their advantage and they use their their racial and physical prowess. Um, and, you know, their, their physical features, they use them as an absolutely devastating offense. So I see them really as gentle giants, you know, kind of the the uh, the silent warrior type thing. Mm hmm. So let's talk about some notable Argonians. Uh, there's a few. There's a couple in here that I think you'll probably get a chuckle at. But um, there's Amusay. She is from... Ooh, it's a he, sorry. From Elder Scrolls Oblivion. He is the Argonian that you see in the Imperial City who is taking the Thieve Guild admission test with you, the hero of Kvach. Um, so that's Amusay. Then there's Captain One-Eye in Elder Scrolls Online. He is an Argonian pirate found in Cold Harbor searching for ancient treasure. And then you can also, um, or he's so searching for the ancient treasure located within the lost fleet. I specifically remember that quest line. It was really cool. 
And then there's everybody's favorite. She kind of makes me laugh because of the tales that you hear is um, the Argonian called Lifts Her Tail. She is the <laughs> famous Argonian female from the book, The Lusty Argonian Made a Song. Um, I'm sure you've seen that book out there. It's a very risque book with a lot of sex, sexual undertones. Um, pretty hilarious. And then, of course, there's Seize All Colors and Elder Scrolls Online. She is the leader of the Fighters Guild. Just a few notable Argonians that I'm sure you've run into. But uh, pretty pretty cool race. I enjoyed the lore lesson. And I, like you, Jibs, have also... I'm starting to go toward the way of having one of every race on my roster. And so far, because of the lore lessons, I have a Khajiit. I have Bosmer. I have Altmer. I have a Red Guard. And I also have an Argonian. So who knows? That's probably awesome. roll an orc after the next lesson. Yeah. Yeah. That I can see that happening as well. <laughs> yeah. I've been looking for something. Oh man. That's something I'm oh, supposed hey. to deliver. Your hands only. Uh She's she's here. Do you know how long I've been looking Whoa. for you? Whoa. What the heck? Excuse man? me, dude. That's it. Just hey, what excuse me for this. Why is she you need here? to hang on one second. I am Why sick. She don't, I'm sick of this. Don't. No. Yes. Don't. Nope. No. Sorry. We're in I'm the doing open. It. We're I'm in the it. open. Oh, crap. Dude. What? <sighs> okay. You know what, buddy? That felt really good. I am so sick of that woman following me. Everywhere we go, it's about... To, wait a minute. There's people in here, isn't there? Dude. Do you what think they saw that? did you do? I murdered Stuga. We're in the open. I know. You turned Stuga into a burnt lump, lump of orc. Well, do you blame me? You know... Bro, everywhere. I wasn't ready for Orsinium. Okay? <laughs> I wasn't ready, but she was incessant. This needed to be done. And no, I don't think anybody saw it. Just look around. Don't say anything. Nobody knows. Nope. Okay. I don't have. I don't have a bounty. I. <laughs> you know what? Now that you look, at, now that you bring that up, I don't see any guards around here either. Oh, you huh. know what? She drops. She dropped some loot. What do you mean she dropped loot? She dropped loot. Hang on. Oh. She dropped a book. This looks very lorish, by the way. Let me look what's here. it? What's it? Uh, what's it? What? Oh, there's a note in here. What do you mean there's a note? And, uh, apparently, she wasn't asking about Orsinium. Let's see, lore seekers, mine. Have to check there's some information on the snow elves. I'd like to see if you could look into this for me. Sincerely, your friends do go. Uh-oh. She had nothing to do with Orsinium this time, dude. She wanted us to talk about the Snow Elves. So what you're telling me Crap. is Stuga, for the first time in four years, has actually had something valid to say to us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Kids, looks like um, we're going to be talking, uh, talking about Snow Elves here for the next few minutes, apparently. I'll tell you what, buddy. I will start 
an impromptu lore lesson on snow elves if you go drag her corpse somewhere else. All right, stand by. Be right back. Go ahead. Copy that. Okay, so deflection time. My friends, it looks as if there are some... Oh, she smells terrible. Just do it. Gosh. All the people he's murdered, you think he couldn't handle one body. <laughs> so anyway, we have heard quite a bit of chatter out there about the snow elves. Apparently, Stuga's heard it too. She is interested in the history of the snow elves. So in lieu of our ESO 101 tonight, we are going to talk a little bit about the snow elves. Uh, been a lot of chatter about it. So have a seat. Enjoy. We have done quite a bit of research on the snow elves. They are quite mysterious, but uh, they do have kind of a jaded history. And we're going to share it with you tonight. So the snow elves, sometimes called ice elves, were basically a race of elves who inhabited the region of Skyrim in the past. So their actual story for hundreds of years has been researched and talked about and is incredibly intriguing. It's very mysterious, and it also has a lot of ties to betrayal. So I want to cover that for you guys tonight. The Snow Elves, who are not very much unlike the Dunmer, the Altmer, and the Bosmer, they are descendants of the ancient Aldmer. So although the Dark Elves and the Wood Elves slowly kind of altered themselves following the ancient Aldmer customs and traditions. They really didn't like to follow those too much. The snow elves really kept a lot of that rich culture close to their heart. They were very rich, very prosperous society. They were living in the region of Skyrim pretty much since the Marethic era. Uh, Marethic era. They were actually the first race of myrrh in Skyrim, even known to uh, predate the Dwemer, who were also known to be in the region. Um, they, they maintained that they were relatively unchallenged until the appearance of really the first Atmorans who landed on their shores. So Atmorans, you remember when we talked about the Nords, the Atmorans are the ancient Nords that came from Atmora. So this is kind of, kind of, one, kind of what went down in between the Nords and the Snow Elves. It kind of all manifested in something called the Night of Tears. So at first, when Isgrimor and the early Nord settlers from Atmora landed, they lived in relative peace in the area of Skyrim amongst the Snow Elves. They were fine at the beginning. But as many races do, conflicts soon started to arise between the two races. Now this is where the speculation starts as to what the true reasons were behind the Snow Elves and their sudden disdain for the Nords. So this disdain really manifested itself. I mean, the Nords truly found out that there was a lot of conflict between the two on during a surprise attack. One night, the Night of Tears took place. So on this night, the Snow Elves launched a unprovoked, incredibly savage attack on the Nord settlement at Sarthal. And we also did talk about this before, when we talked about Skyrim and how the remnants of Sarthal are still in the game. So the raid on this settlement destroyed nearly the entire population of Nords, 
except for Isgrimor and his two sons. They were able to escape and flee back to Atmora by sea. So the snow elves, even though they savagely raised the city, they turned they turn the entire thing into rubble. So the reason that there's speculation, there's a lot of reasoning behind the speculation for this attack. Two reasons. The first reason is that many believe the Nord's quick expansion into the region of Skyrim and then control over land and resources was seen as a threat to the Snow Elves. The Snow Elves saw a dim future for themselves and their own kind, and in order to call that threat, they decided to end the expansion once and for all. So this is speculated as to one of the reasons why the Snow Elves attacked the Nords. The second reason I believe Myself, I believe, is probably a little bit more believable reason is that the Snow Elves attacked because the settlement at Sarthal was built over a source of great power in the form of an artifact called the Eye of Magnus. So in an effort to retrieve the source of power for their own purposes, the Snow Elves attacked and uh, the attack at Sarthal was launched and completed and Sarthal was raised to the ground. All the Nords were killed except for Isgrimor and his sons. So whatever the reason for the attack, um, it eventually, in the end, will prove very disastrous for the Wood Elves. And we will get there. So Isgrimor and his sons made it home to Atmora. They had severe physical, emotional wounds from, from the, uh, the loss of their people. To put it blatantly, they were really ticked off. They wanted revenge on the Snow Elves like it was nobody's business. So they had this renewed bloodlust. They subsequently, Isgrimor, subsequently raised an army. He picked, or was granted actually, um, 500 of the strongest soldiers in Atmora. These 500 were called the 500 Companions. So Isgrimor returned with these 500 Companions to Skyrim to confront and attack the Snow Elves. So when he returned... This was really the beginning of the revenge for his brethren. Over the next several years, the Nords would fiercely chip away at the Snow Elves, skirmish after skirmish, battle after battle, eventually defeating and scattering them all across the territory. So now you have Snow Elves that are, were taken completely by surprise. They were not on a war footing. They're completely spread. And eventually they were defeated. So the final battle against the Nords, this was called the Battle of Mosring. This took place on the island of Solstheim. That was an island where the Snow Elves had retreated for safe harbor. But the Nords followed them there. And it wasn't until the Snow Elves' leader, known as the Snow Prince, was slain. And that really broke the little remaining hope that the Snow Elves had. So they were broken. They had no more will to fight. They were subsequently hunted down by the thousands. I mean, we're talking 500 Nords hunting down just no will, no fight left in the Snow Elves. And the Nords hunted them down and slaughtered as many as they could get, decimating much of the population of the Snow Elves. So physically and emotionally, the Snow Elves, this is where it gets interesting, my friends. They turned to their elven cousins, the Dwemer, for assistance. So the Dwemer said, fine, we'll grant you refuge. You can come in our, to our underground territories, 
but it's going to come at a high, very, very high price. And this is where the betrayal comes in. So in return for the safe harbor of the remaining snow elves, which it wasn't that much at that point, comparatively, they were tricked by the Dwemer into consuming toxic plants in order to live underground. What the snow elves didn't realize is that the toxic plant they were consuming, which was found in Blackreach, would eventually destroy their site. And it took generations for this to happen. But eventually, the snow elven population was rendered blind. So now you have a bunch of refugee snow elves over generations who are blind. So the Dwemer forced them into slavery. So although there were there were several pockets of snow elves that did revolt, but they were blind, they were weak. So most of the ones who the rebellious ones, the rebellious leaders, were hunted down and killed, or just mysteriously they disappeared. Which, yeah, y'all kind of can figure out what happened there. So as I dove into research for this a little bit, I I watched a couple of videos and read some stuff. It was very interesting one point that uh, that was gone over, and I thought, you know, that really makes a lot of sense. It is speculated that the Dwemer tricked and enslaved the Snow Elves to hold them as a potential source of power for their machinations. All the machines that they make, their entire infrastructure, runs on soul stones. So by trapping the souls of the Snow Elves, it eventually would assure the operation of the underground infrastructure and all of its defenses. So you wonder why all those things still continue long after the Dwemer have died and disappeared, you wonder why those things still continue to run. It's because they operate on soul gems. So could it be that a lot of the snow elves powered those soul gems? I thought that was kind of a really cool thought. Oh, man. Yeah. Dude, let me tell you. She was heavy to pull all the way. Sorry. Whew. Yeah. She's an orc. Her breath. She's, she's thick. <sighs> All right, holes buried, bodies covered. We're good. How's it going? You are. You're a good friend. Oh, we're talking about snow elves. Oh, okay. All right. I'll I'll, I'll key you in later. Carry on. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk. Okay. So now you have a bunch of snow elves who are blind, weakened, enslaved by the Dwemer. So years passed, and the enslaved snow elves started to adapt to this life of blindness that they had. Eventually, over time, they, I can't even say they evolved, they devolved into these twisted, degenerate creatures known as the Falmer. If you played Skyrim or a lot of the other Elder Scrolls games, you've run into these characters, uh, this species of Falmer, underground, blind, but they still hold a, a pretty good form of intelligence. I mean, they're, you know, they can make armor, they have their own society, um, right. they're just, you know, not what they used to be. So the history of the snow elves really was lost and they were transformed into this primal race. The snow elves no longer had a hope, no longer had a culture. They were lost. They were betrayed by their own elven cousins, which sucks. I mean, it makes me hate the Dwemer. I'm like, really? Um, but really they were gone. So some still speculate as to whether or not the snow elves actually agreed to the Dwemer's terms or if it was just blatant trickery that caused their, their demise is kind of still debated. Hmm. So 
eventually, as you know, we're not really going to cover too much of it now, but uh, the, the Dwemer who had their own conflicts with, with the Chimer would experience probably the most mysterious demise of a race that Tamriel has ever known. So we will talk about it at a later time. We will cover the Dwemer, but really when the Dwemer disappeared, it subsequently freed the Falmer, their enslavement, but for their race, it was too late. So mostly all the remnants of their, of their snow elven physiology and culture were gone. Interestingly enough, though, not all snow elves fell into the trickery and demise um, of the Dwemer. Some were able to escape, although it wasn't really a significant number. And what is known of these few surviving snow elves, they really had to go into hiding. They just led a life of isolation and seclusion. So you, you do see a little bit more of, you know, like the last snow elf and stuff in some of the games and actually in Skyrim. But um, for the most part, the snow elves are gone. So kind of Isn't that, a sad demise. Yeah. You know what? It's funny because we've, we've had a lot of requests for the snow elves. And that's the reason why we, we wanted to bring it into the show at some point. And it's happened to work out today. Um, you know, it, and that was the vibe. That's what people were saying a lot. A lot of was, you know, how sad it it was for them. And I I had no, I knew nothing about the snow elves until until this whole thing. And man, I I tell you what, that's lost all hope, lost all pretty much just, just desire for life in general. At least what they had. I mean, like. Huh. Now, see, that's that brings up the question of it makes me want to know on what grounds does a race devolve in Tamriel? You know what I mean? Like, what does it yeah. take? Well, it takes getting having hiding underground and having mushrooms shoved down your throat. <laughs> I mean, see, look, I like mushrooms, but they always say don't eat wild mushrooms, and they're like, oh, "Thanks for letting us hide here." Oh, oh, dinner. <laughs> I'm thinking, dude. Yeah. Then again, you know, it's it's sad to see the demise of the snow elves because they were such an awesome race. They really were. But at the same time, did they not bring this upon themselves? Yeah. When they did that to the Nords? Yeah. You know, you know, the Nords are they're just trying to immigrate. They're trying to survive. They lived in relative harmony with each other for a while. And whether or not it was you know, the race for land grab or the control of resources or their own greed and wanting an artifact of power. Still, they unprovoked, un, how would you say that? Unprovokedly, because that's my new word today, attacked the Nords <laughs> in the middle yeah. of the night and yeah. killed everything and raised their city. Yeah. So you know what? You deserve it. Yeah. Go to the table, talk about stuff, intermingle with people, you know, give everybody a chance to live. Is but, it, oh, no, it, they decide to attack. Well, you know what? You made your own bet. Isn't it funny how the tables turned and it was on them this time and they had no idea? Like, the trickery of their attack was the fact they did it at night. Knew, nobody knew it was coming. It was sudden. It was out of nowhere. Trickery of the dream, Dweamer was, <laughs> like, that was like the long con, man. Like, decades generations right. were sucking down and, those mushrooms you know what's funny too coincidentally the um the last 
the last where they lost their hope, where the, where the uh, snow elves lost their hope at that last battle on Solstheim Island. Um, when their snow prince was killed, he was actually killed by a Nord, um, a child. She was so grief stricken over the death of her mother that she picked up a sword and hurled it at the snow prince and caught him in the chest plate and killed him. Wow. I mean, you ima- just imagine that picture in your, in your, in your mind right. of a young girl just so grief stricken over the loss of her mother that she just picks up, picks up the sword and just hucks it at him and just nailed it. Strikes home. Finished the right. hope of the snow elves. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. I know. Wow. I was, when I read that, I was like, whoa, that's pretty powerful. Because wow, I could see totally that. see my kid doing that. She'd be ticked, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell Thank. you what. I, I put this on Twitter. Enter my mind, Vestige, and walk with me through the shadows of past events. This week... We are going to talk about a race who has really seen a lot of crap <laughs> in their so time. So the Wood Elves. And have been <laughs> treated like crap. I guess they really all have. They all have a history. Um, the Orcs, I kind of feel bad for. Even though I'm not a, a huge fan of kind of the way they live their life. But um, they are formidable. For, Formidable? Uh, uh, a formidable <laughs> race. And uh, kind of interesting like all the other ones. So anyway, we shall start. They are also known as the Orsimer, or in ancient times, the Pariah Folk. But believe it or not, the Orcs are a breed of elves hailing from the Rothgarian Mountains, Dragontail Mountains, Valenwood, and, of course, Orsinium, which Orsinium is Orcish for Orc Town. So, when I read this at first, uh, yeah, maybe you can see some similarities, but I was like, elves? Excuse me, what? But as a matter of fact, the old Orcish language is actually part of the Elnifex language, and that, that family of language, and is most likely a descendant of Ald Mary's. Uh-huh. So it shares the uh, the same basic linguistic ancestry with uh, other elven languages. So there's Ald Chimeris, there's Dunmeris, there's Dwemeris, there's Falmer, Altmeris, Bosmeris, and then um, Aeliadun. So and the Aeliads, yes, eventually we will talk about the Aeliads as well. But um, yeah, so it kind of it kind of not just it's not speculation. I mean, it's proven that the orcs are a breed. Of elves, they bleed orcish blood or elvish blood. They just suck at magic. So, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> so they are—they're definitely considered beast folk. They are also considered goblin kin, but having that elvish blood pumping through their veins, they have some very unique traits. Um, they're known for having very stout hearts for being incredibly courageous in battle. Mm-hmm. And um, there have also been in service, very notable service to the Empire, though they've 
had a very sordid past, they have been, at this point, widely accepted in Tamriel. But it does not stop people from screwing with them. <laughs> I just did a quest. Yeah. I just did a quest in Somerset where this high elf absolutely pissed off this orc. <laughs> and this orc wanted nothing more than to kick the crap out of this high elf. Oh, that's so funny. Well, being in Somerset, this orc had no idea about the customs of combat, of one-on-one -on -one combat and dueling right. in Somerset. So you got to run around and do all this stuff for him to prepare him for this duel. And then once the duel happens... I was severely disappointed in the outcome. And no, I will not tell you what happens, <laughs> but it's funnier than hell. <laughs> yes. So, so anyway, um, yeah. Turns out, uh, this poor orc, he was just not treated very well. Just having a bad day all around. <laughs> just, yeah. Well, he's on an orc on Somerset is not going to equal a good day for the orcs. So. Mm, right. <laughs> All right, so we all know orcs are incredibly heavily muscled. They have a big muscled frame. They are very large in comparison to the other races of Tamriel. And they are the only race in Tamriel to actually have tusks uh, yeah. from their mouth. Yes, so um, they, uh, they're known to have different coloring. Some of the coloring goes from light green to a dark brown uh, skin tone. And they are, as we stated, not very well known for having a particular affinity for the magical arts. They suck at it, kind of. <laughs> you can still make it work. You can still make it work, but it's not going to be the optimal. Because I'm a min-maxer, I guess. You know, I really don't see Magicka orcs. In fact, yeah, I can count on my hand how many I've actually seen since you know coming back all those months ago. Now, it has been noted in history that there have been a few powerful mages Ooh. that were of orcish blood. But there's not that many. There's very few. So um, normally they, they really make their true mark on the field of battle as warriors, adventurers, and typically legionnaires for the Empire. So anyway... Now, where they, another area that they make their mark is as armors and blacksmiths, especially in the use of the metal or calcum. Um, of course, you can find that all over the world, but they are very, very well known for their work as armors and blacksmiths. And it's normally the females. We'll talk about that a little bit as we go along here. Um, many orcish armors are very revered for their work. And when you see an orc in crafted orcish heavy armor on the front lines for the empire, they have been known to be incredibly fearsome. Um, and then of course, when they fight, they mix that with their infamous berserker rage and get out of the way because they're going to steamroll you. I will give them that, that they're, uh, I love their motif. I think they look great. Absolutely look great in game. That armor does yeah, look good. They're cool. It, it looks really good. Now, it's, of course, it's not as refined as a high elven armor. It never will be. It's more crude, but it's heavy and uh, very functional, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. So, all right. An orc's lifespan. Very similar to a human. 
So it's not that long in comparison to some of the other races. Um, and then most imperial citizens consider orc society to be very cruel and harsh. We will be talking about this as we go along here. Orcs speak Orcish. And this language was originally developed by the orcs of Iliac Bay. So different from Elna, from the Elnifex language. But uh, they have their own uh, language nowadays. Hmm. little history of the orcs. Okay. You're going to laugh at this. <laughs> okay. Um, it kind of gets a little deeper here, but basically the orcs were said to have been created when the Daedric Prince Boethia, Boethia, you'll remember, was a prince of deceit, conspiracy, secret plots of murder, assassination, treason, and the unlawful overthrow of authority. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a fine, upstanding citizen. Sounds like a freaking felon. <laughs> anyway, they were said to have, uh, the orcs were said to have originally been created when Boethia defeated the Aldmeri god Trinimac, transforming him into Malakath. We're going to dive a little deeper into that story here in a couple of minutes. But at the same time, the faithful Aldmeri followers were turned into the orcs. It is still unclear when this transformation actually took place, but there are accounts of orcs inhabiting the region of Iliac Bay since the beginning of the first era. So we huh. really don't know when all this took place. Interesting. Yes. The earliest orcs, and some still today, were viewed, are viewed, as a threat to other races. And I would mainly say because of their their warlike customs, their prowess on the battlefield, and their mere size. They're going to be a threat to anybody they come in contact with. Absolutely. Just because they're massive, they're intimidating. So, the earliest, like the regatta. Remember when we talked about the regatta when the red, the red guards, mm-hmm. they drove the orcs out of Hammerfell so they could make a home for themselves. Right. So, imagine how fearsome the regatta was to be able to drive the orcs out of Hammerfell. That's saying something. That's a whole level of badassery right there that you probably don't want to be on the receiving end of. Yeah. Um, so, at that point, when those orcs left Hammerfell, a lot of those refugees headed towards Orsinium and ended up founding the first Orsinium. So the strength, the strengthening of that particular stronghold was because of that influx of refugees and um, the natives of the region were kind of unsettled. So they all moved into that region. But as a result, several kingdoms kind of allied together in the region of High Rock to invade the Orc kingdom uh, in the first era and they were successful in routing the orcs. So the orcs were really left with no home, and they started to, to experience a lot of prejudice. I guess you could really call that. I mean, it was kind of the first time they were kicked out of their home. Um, <laughs> it's certainly not the last time. <laughs> so um, during the time period of ESO, Orsinium is controlled by Daggerval Covenant, obviously. The city was given to Kurog Grobakrag's clan, as a reward for assisting King Emmerich in the defeat of Ranser, the king of Shornhelm at the time. And then Kurog ended up becoming the king of Orsinium and then joined forces with the Daggerfall Covenant soon after. Mm-hmm. In the Third Era, Gortwag Gro Nagorm, 
That was a hard one. Wow. Became a very powerful leader of the what they, at the time was called the Nova Orsinium um, and basically forced the emperor to formally recognize Orsinium as an equal to other kingdoms of the Iliac Bay region. So there's all this struggle for recognition. And then old Gortwag found a way to basically force the emperor to recognize Orsinium. Right. And then later on in the fourth era, Orsinium would be sacked again by the Red Guards and the Bretons, their little Red Guard Breton alliance. Um, and then Orsinium's surviving orcs were basically refugees once again. And they were kind of just, were out, and they spread all over different areas, most notably like Skyrim. A lot of them joined the Imperial Legion. And then Orsinium was once again founded in the mountainous regions in between Hammerfell and Skyrim. So... I kind of feel bad for them. They just get routed in all all these different directions, and it seems like the poor orcs always kind of seem to lose. Yeah, I I yeah. agree. Like I don't, <laughs> I agree. I don't have any <laughs> more than sympathy for them. Yeah, I guess I really don't either. I mean, but okay. So here comes the part. We're going to talk a little bit about the religion and delve a little bit into the story of how Malakath was born. Um, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm just going to throw this out there. It's you, You're going to trip out. If you've never heard this story before, you're going to trip out. It's, ter- it's terrible and awesome at the same time. Okay. Orcus religion mainly centers around the worship of Malakath, right? Mm-hmm. The stories of Malakath's origins state that Boethia ate Trinimac... And basically pooped out Malachi. <laughs> Dude, that is true dat. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, yes. Yes. He is pooped out Malakath. Living poop. All um, right. Noted. So Malakath, of course, disagrees. Says, no, 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 no. This, that's, this story is far too literal. Um. But he doesn't have any refute for it, really. <laughs> like, okay, well, where'd you come from? Well, I'll tell you that story on another episode. <laughs> but the what you said about the poop? No, 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 no. That's not how it is. No, 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 no. So, yeah. I am more inclined to believe that Boethia ate Trinimac and pooped out Malakath. It's just more fun so, to believe that. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> hilarious, actually. So, anyway. Um, the religious sect known as the Wrathful Flame, claim that Malakath's renowned anger is due to the many failures of the orcs and the destruction of Orsinium. That I can see as fact. Because, I mean, the orcs are cool. They, they really are. But when it comes to, like, building a home and keeping it, they kind of suck. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is a, ret- a, a ritual for, with the Wrathful Flame where they burn a pyre and Malakath seeks to fuel his followers... Uh, he seeks to fuel their vengeance to last an additional generation by the burning of that pyre, symbolizing the loss of Orsinium, and he's basically just trying to get everybody pumped up. It's like a it's like a pep rally with a burning pyre. Hmm. Yeah, Orcish society. This is where they kind of lose me a little bit, a lot of it. <laughs> so Orsinium, Orsinium's considered to be the main home of the orcs, right? Yeah. But there's Orcish settlements all over Tamriel, especially like Second Era 
you play through the game. There are orcish settlements kind of all over the place. There's different orc strongholds. They're very widespread during the time, uh, especially through Rothgar. Many orcs settled in the Skyrim region. There was the um, Duskenith Yal, the Largash Burr, the Narlzal Burr, the Morkaz Gur, and the Cradle Crush. The Cradle Crush orcs. Like, the only common name is the one that I screw up. Perfect. Nice I'm, job. I'm not going to lie. Sick. It sounds like it's just a whole lot of Swedish chef from the Muppets going on. Anytime <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. You're right. It sounds like I was trying to clear my throat for the last entire last sentence. <laughs> so other tri- other orc tribes actually inhabit inhabit Valenwood, and those are collectively known as the Wood Orcs. Awesome. And then the Iron Orcs live in the Dragontail Mountains of Upper Craglorn. Okay, little fun fact: the orcs have a very jaded history. We do know this. They're widely considered by themselves to be outcasts to the rest of society. So many of their traditions reflect the fact, this fact, for example, when orcs are wed, they don't get married during the day. They get married at midnight. Okay. Yeah. Pretty, I mean, it's, pretty that's, cool. fact. that's it. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. A little bit weird, but they are, they're, they're going opposite of what the norm normally does. And I don't know if they're doing it at midnight to, to hide themselves so that nobody else will see. I don't know. Kind of weird. But their society loses me a little bit. Um, the main focus of, of Orcish society is the power and independence of each individual stronghold. Each or, uh, Orc settlement lives based on polygamy. So the tribe is controlled by the strongest Orc in the tribe, the strongest male in the tribe, the chieftain is always the alpha male, and he takes all the women in the stronghold as, their, as his wives. They father all of the children, and presumably why this happens is because they want to ensure strong offspring and survival of the clan. And the chieftain is only replaced by one of his sons when they grow old enough to eventually challenge and honorably kill him wow that's yeah intense sorry dad you got a little you got a little stitch or got a little uh hitch in your giddy up it's time i'm gonna whoop your ass <laughs> and i'm like that is terrible i mean they put such a high focus on family but at the same time they kill their dad i think that just goes to show though the uh like ruthlessness, you know, as far as going back to how the Imperials viewed them in general. Like, I just feel like that gives merit to how the Imperials feel. Like, I, I, I it does. So I totally, it, it makes you like, you know, fear them that much more. I mean, shoot, they have no problem challenging their dad to kill him to take a throne. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Not cool. Not cool at all. Party fell. So basically, the strength of the tribe depends on the individual strength of their chieftain. Mm-hmm. Really, really weird. Uh, traditional Orca society abides by the code of Malakath. So this code prohibits theft. This, this code is actually kind of awesome. This code, Code of Malakath, prohibits theft and unwarranted violence and places a very heavy emphasis on honor and personal strength in order to resolve conflict. 
So if an orc breaks the code, they're not he's not going to be imprisoned. Instead, those who violate the code of Malakath have to compensate the wronged or pay the blood price. <laughs> this is awesome. The blood price is paid when the offended party spills the blood of the wrongdoer until they are satisfied. Oh crap. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it's like you could completely kick the crap out of the guy who stole your goat. And if you're not done, you're not done. <laughs> and the guy's like, no more, no more, no we're more. Done. Get out we're of my swamp. We're done. Get out of my swamp. And he's like, uh, no, that's, I'm not done. <laughs> I hit you again. <laughs> so that is the blood price. Now, orcish women. Orcish women, strong like bull. Mm. Not slackers. They're expected to contribute just as much to the tribe as the men are. So many orcish women perform functions uh, like warriors, hunters, herbalists, and most particularly, smithing. I like it. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, smithing is an orcish art that is relegated to the women. So the chief, yes, the, uh, to this extent, the chieftain's second wife is always called the forge wife. That's awesome. And I remember, I remember running into this in the game. There's a, there's a quest line that's completely about this. Um, a wise woman is usually the chieftain's mother is tasked with the tribe's spiritual and healing practices. And then every other woman in the stronghold are either the wives or daughters of the tribe's chieftain. That can get a little weird, I would imagine. <laughs> and then this is the part that loses me. Totally loses me. The daughters of the chieftain are often traded to other strongholds to marry other chieftains. Nope. I don't. The whole arranged marriage I, thing, I'm just. I don't know. Really like, weird. that doesn't. Like, I don't. Obviously, you know, like that. I've, I've seen that happen so much in, in TV shows. Like. You know, for instance, like the very first couple episodes of Game of Thrones. I mean, like it just, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I just, I think I'm a little numb to that. I don't agree with it, but I just, you know, I'm a little numb. So it doesn't really phase me too much. <laughs> nope. I, I am a father of a daughter. There is no way that she's going to marry somebody that she doesn't know or like or love or, you know, mm -hmm. anyway, it's her choice is what I'm saying. I'm not going to be like, Hey, you know what? Um, my buddy has a really cool son, and uh, his son is, uh, he's a smith, and um, he has a little bit of a droopy eye, but I want you to marry him. <laughs> First of all, my daughter would laugh me out of the house. <laughs> Second of all, I couldn't do that to her. Hmm. Okay, so, orcish life. Very strict, very patriarchal. Patriarchal, yeah, I did that right. Okay. Um, it's not every orc's cup of tea, however. So there's a lot of orcs, both male and female, as, as we see with the adventures um, that we have in game that we play alongside. They leave the stronghold to see the greater world of Tamriel. Many become legionnaires with the Imperial Legion. Uh, many make their way to fortune in various other disciplines, like adventuring. Uh, but due to the unquestionable skill of orcs in battle and their craftsmanship, it is absolutely no mystery as to why they have been able to travel the world and have really flourished at life outside of the stronghold. 
But these orcs that have left the strongholds and have left that traditional orcish life are considered city orcs by traditional orcs, and they're considered outsiders. So hmm. um, here's another kind of weird and disturbing fact. Because of their size and appearance, interbreeding with other races is very rare, and many believe it is impossible between orcs and other races. Um, so yeah, like a wood elf and an orc, that. what would that look like? I don't want to let... I don't care. I don't want to know. It sounds Awful. painful to one of the parties. So you guys do whatever you want with that fact. I just pre I present them. You oh. interpret them. Oh, man. You know, I could see Nords and Orcs getting along all right, though. I mean, they're both similar size, you know, similar builds. This is getting weird, isn't it? All right, let's just move. You brought it there. I dropped it. You brought it there. Uh, I brought it right back. <laughs> this was a fun fact that I laughed at, and I went, that is definitely going into the lore lesson as a fun fact. The modern Orcish language does not contain words meaning fragile or handle with care. <laughs> Please do not handle me with care. <laughs> Is that hilarious? They don't even know how to be gentle. That's hilarious. They're oh, so gruff, awesome. man. They are. Some notable orcs in Elder Scrolls lore. Cartag. Uh, Cartag is a well-known orcish warrior that served as an ex-member of the Daggerfall Covenant and the leader of the Ropefish, an abolitionist group that helped slaves escape the Great House Telvanni in Vardenfell. There's also uh, Chief Bazrag Grofarun. He is the orcish chief of Clan Faroon, residing in the Faroon stronghold. He is a devout worshiper of Malakath and was once a very close friend of King Kurok. Then there is King Kurog Groersinium himself. He's also known as Chief Kurog Grobakrag, the Orcish King of Orsinium. All three of which you will run into in the Elder Scrolls Online. That is awesome. You know, fun fact, the Orcs were actually my first, like, one of my favorite races for the longest time, especially going into Oblivion. That was the first thing I made was, was the Orc. I loved the orcs so incredibly much and and uh you know it's kind of a shame that you don't see him because really if you're gonna go stam you're gonna go red guard for the most part if you're going magica if you're trying to min max if you're going magica you're going ultmer you know right. so, so it's like you really don't see orcs a whole lot but very cool you 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 don't. Um, I mean, they're out. They're they're certainly out there. I wouldn't say it's one of the most widely played race played races, but um, yeah, yeah. I've you know, they certainly they certainly do have have their place out there. I mean, you know, they're um, they're often recommended as tanks. Oh tank yeah, good call, good call. Whatnot. If yeah, if you're min maxing, but you know what? Play your game. If you like orcs, freaking roll a orc sork. Orc Sork, look at that! <laughs> I made a thing. You made a thing. Oh uh, well, good job, man. That was fun. I really liked that. That was cool. So thank you. Mm. Well, that wraps up the last episode of the Lore Secrets podcast for a couple weeks. Uh, special. Re